Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Howdy, buckaroos. My name is Mark, and I'm an alcoholic. What a, what a treat. What a treat it is to be here. I am. Um, I don't know. I just remember times in my life when I didn't know anybody, and it's an amazing thing to walk back in a room and you feel like you know half the people already that you've met over the years and see it's like kind of like when you're down here, it's like coming home. It's like uh, being in with a bunch of family, and it's pretty uh, pretty cool. I uh, I want to thank, before we even get started, I want to thank Amanda and John for schlepping us from the airport and um, um, pretty uh, pretty amazing. Um, a, a morning spent with Amanda, and I needed a nap, and I took that nap, and I... Uh, Man, I don't know whether it's Amanda's going fast or I'm just getting old and slowing down, but it's just like pretty uh, pretty amazing stuff. Guys, my home group is the primary purpose group in Dallas, Texas, and my sobriety date is January the 15th, 88, and uh, what a what an honor. Um, I uh, we're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of a little story stuff tonight and a little uh, uh, kind of collect up and kind of set the stage for what we're gonna do tomorrow um, and. Um, uh, we're going to get in a little bit to the step stuff tonight, but um, um, but a lot of this I think is so important because I, I, I think it's important to see why this stuff sets up the way it does. It, it would be um, I, I think that as people stay sober for a period of time, you end up trying you end up forming a doctrine based on your your experiences. Some of you guys came up through AA land where you were going to a bunch of, 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 of meetings and it was all fun and games and and, and, uh, and it still is even today. And so your doctrine stays connected to that idea that the fellowship kept me sober and this kind of stuff. There were some more of us, some others of us, that sort of struggled with some of that. And um, and I, I, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit like this. But I think it's if you can see kind of where some of this is coming from, it'll, it'll make it easier tomorrow as we kind of go through this thing. One of the things that, that I've come to not like very much in AA land, I'm just being real real transparent with you, is that the more uh, roundups and this kind of stuff I do, the less I like them because I've got one chance to talk and one chance to make a, uh, uh, some comments. And, and it seems like no matter how hard I try, um, there's still people that misunderstand what I say or, or so vehemently disagree with what I say. And because I've got 45 minutes to carry the message or, or 50 minutes like this, then I'm, I'm screwed. I, I just find myself in a situation situation where what, do you, what are you supposed to do? It's just like, um, um, any, anybody ever say something and then later said somebody else said something and, and, and accused you of, of, of saying something you never said? I mean, this, but this happens with such frightening regularity that after a while you just go like, why, why even do that? And this is the reason why I love doing this. Uh, because it's an opportunity to, uh, we, we can talk about um, the steps, we can talk about the big book, we can talk about the power of, of God in the middle of this deal, and if you misunderstand something or if you don't get something, we got plenty of time on break, we got plenty of time tomorrow during the day that we can collect up this stuff. If you get something sideways in your crawl in something like this and leave with it, that's your bad. Because I'm here, Chris is here, and we, we can talk about this stuff, and we can kind of see what the deal is. It's not like we're presenting something weird. It's not like we're pre- presenting, but I'm telling you guys, in my travels, I'm blown away by how often just a piece of big book, Larry probably understands this and sees this stuff too, that, that you can just, you can present big book, and sometimes people don't dig it at all because they don't know any big book. They don't even know what it's about, and so it's a frustrating kind of a thing to, to be into, but we'll see. There's plenty of time to, uh, to get into it tomorrow. Um, 
I, I think for a lot of the stuff, my, my story lines up with a whole lot of you. Um, the, um, I, I want to say this. I, 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 uh, sometimes I, it, it's frustrating because I, I, I keep, I run into people who came, came to AA and they sobered up and it's still fun and games and years later it's still fun and games and they're having a great time. And, and guys, my story didn't line up that way. I, I just, uh, I'm a third generation alcoholic and my, my grandfather was a, was a drunk. My dad's a drunk. My identical twin is, yeah, identical. And, and it's like, it's like, um, uh, I can remember being sitting with Chris at the Mason Jar restaurant in Houston, Texas when we were, um, 18, 19 years old. And, and, and both of us fully knowing and understanding that the alcoholism had already manifested itself. We already know that we're alcoholic. And I remember talking to Chris one night and I said, Hey, Chris, we're, we're, we're drunks just like Pop, aren't we? And he goes, Yeah. And I said, So what are we going to do about it? And he goes, Well, eventually we're going to have to stop. <laughs> but not now. And I, and I, and I, but you get that. I mean, it's just like, why stop when it's working? And for a whole lot of us, it, it worked like, like magic. Um, um, I'm so painfully shy that I cannot even, I, I, I couldn't get a date with a shotgun. I mean, I just can't, I just cannot talk to girls. I cannot do anything. And I, and I drink and I can talk to girls and they don't necessarily talk back, but it didn't seem to make any difference. I mean, it just didn't seem to. It just like, y'all get that. And so, and so it all, it all felt, felt better. Um, it was all a warm and fuzzy deal for a long time. Um, and right up into the point that it, that it wasn't. And so, uh, imagine, um, imagine my surprise in, in 1987 when my best drinking buddy, um, uh, Chris gets sober. Now, there's a guy that works for us at the bindery that was in, in, in AA and, and, and he, um, he 12 stepped Chris and took Chris to his first meeting, and then and then two months later, Chris would take me to my first AA meeting, and it was a pretty uh, pretty amazing deal. Don't have a lot of story on, on this stuff. It's it's an amazing thing. Um, um, at the end of the day, most drunks tend to have stories that are. I mean, we're real sloppy. We're real sometimes dishonest. We sometimes we do things that are kind of crazy and, and this sort of kind of thing. Uh, uh, Chris had introduced me to the joys of some outside issues, which sort of sped things up. If you catch my drift, and 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 I I just um and and there's nothing that would make things crazier than me all jacked up and um and I, I'm built like a jackrabbit. I don't have three muscles on me, and and I I just like it's it's like. But I, but I have the loudest mouth in the room. And so it's like everywhere I go, I always seem to be getting in, in a, in, in, in hot water. I can't, I can't keep quiet. And, and so I, I go, to, we go to a party. I'm going to be the one that gets in trouble. I, we go to a, go to a restaurant. I'm the one that gets in trouble. I'm doing, I mean, we're just, it's just, it's just crazy. And I, so the, we go to a party and I have to touch your date. I, I mean, I, listen, I could write a book about this, and, and I've been sober for 26 years, guys, and I've, I've thought about this a lot, but I can't, I don't understand what it is genetically that makes certain men, it's like I can't communicate with you unless I touch you. But, but you know, it took me a while to connect up that men don't like you to touch their date. It just, it just, and so I'm always at odds. I'm always, you know, have somebody uh, mad at me because I'm, I'm over there leaning on their date. It, it just, it's just crazy. And, and, and uh, the date didn't like it. He didn't like it. And, and my beautiful wife didn't like it. And she wasn't digging it at all. You, can, you know. And so um, the last two months that I drank, I got in trouble with the law twice. Both of them 
for physical altercations with 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 uh, people that I shouldn't have been messing with, and um, um, and it wasn't anything. It wasn't even. It wasn't even fun stuff to talk about. It was just I'm going to try to kill that man because he embarrassed me. I mean, it's just simple stuff. But 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 the law doesn't like that, and 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 society doesn't dig the fact that you're trying to put your hands on other people, and and so it just it got got more complicated and more complicated. And so when Chris finally sobered up and he took me to, to AA land, guys, I got to tell you, there's nothing in the universe that I've ever dug more than 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 twelve step recovery than AA when I got there. I thought it was the the coolest place in the world, big old long shotgun room with pressed tin ceiling and and everybody smoked cigarettes. I mean, it was just like like you could smoke in the meeting and and everybody had, listen guys, I don't smoke and I'd light a cigarette up sitting in a meeting. Just sitting there like that just because everybody else was doing it like that. You know what a, a number 10 can uh, looks like in a, in the restaurant business? A number 10 can is those great big old things like this like where they had them running down the center of this table and they'd be so full of cigarette but they'd be falling off onto the table like that. And and it was just it was heaven. I just crazy people talking crazy stuff and I thought it was the coolest thing in the whole wide world and I managed to stay sober for a long time doing just that. I've got one sobriety date but stick with me. I, so, so this sobriety date would take me to a place uh, to where that the lowest part of my existence on God's green earth was seven years into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and let me just, I'm just here to tell you, like, if you think you were crazy drinking and drugging and doing some, some that kind of stuff, you hang on. Because let me tell you something, some of us get really, really sick sitting in the rooms doing absolutely nothing but glad-handing people and smoking cigarettes and, and, and just acting a fool. And that's me. And so imagine my surprise. Imagine what it was like at Fort Raymer at my house. Um, I'm seven years from my last drink, and um, I'm writing hot checks all over Denton County. I got a burn rate on credit cards and on, on, on a bank account that would just... Let me ask, how many of you guys have ever bought something you didn't need? Man, when I die, I promise you they're gonna they're gonna dig through my garage and my and an aircraft hangar and, and they're gonna go through all that kind of stuff and they're gonna find twenty hacksaws. Why is it a man needs twenty hacksaws? But it seemed like I was always buying this kind of stuff that I didn't need. It was just treating an internal condition, but I wouldn't understand that for a while. Uh, this this deal with 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 uh, every woman in the room is more exciting than my wife. I mean, it's just I can't. I love AA. I'm going to six or seven meetings a week. I love this stuff, but I seem to not be getting there. I seem to not be, it's not as fun. I, they, they start talking at the first of the meeting, and I find somebody to judge. And so I'm looking at this guy, nice guy like this. They don't even know him like that. And yet I'm sitting here. By the time I get halfway through the meeting, I've, I've crucified this guy. I'm trying, listen, there was a guy in our group named Horse Jim. And I used to, I, he was one of the nicest guys in the world like this. But he was a, I thought he was an idiot. And when he would share, he'd share this crazy stuff like that. And I, so I would think for the, the whole meeting, I would just sit back there and figure out. Now, because I've not, not done any real jail time, if I killed Horse Jim and I buried him out behind this, this, this uh, uh, meeting hall, how much jail time would I really have to do? And I would spend the whole hour talking, thinking about that kind of stuff. I mean, that's... Mr. Spiritual, that's right. I, I'm nuttier than a squirrel turd and can't figure out why. I mean, I, I just... So, Chris comes up and saves my life twice. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, and I, I always... I, I mention this, I'm not to embarrass Chris in any way, but um, I love to see him squirm. Uh, but the, the, 
Chris would save my life twice in, in AA. He 12-stepped he, he me and took me to my first AA meeting and saved me from sheer death and, and certainly divorce. Uh, and then seven years into the gig, he would, he would insist that I do something about my crazy behavior and, um, and contact somebody that actually knew something about the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, and I did. I, I almost drank, and it scared me real bad, and I called Chris, and I won't get into a bunch of this because i got a bunch of other stuff I'd rather talk about. But the, the, to make a long story short, I met an old guy who scared me to death, was not friendly, was not really nice, uh, to, in my estimation. I wanted a big old hug and, you know, this kind of stuff, and that's not what I got. What, Krusty Cliff was, was really, really direct with me, and, and, and he would ask me questions, and, and it was always really embarrassing. I mean, um, let me ask you a question. How many? How? What would be a simpler question to ask a man that's been in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for seven years? If a man walked up to you and said, "Well, can you tell me who the co-founders of AA are?" I mean, a, 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 everybody knows that, except Myers Raymer, seven years sober. I, I just told him. I said, "I, I it's oh, shit." Some old dudes. I don't know. I, I'd seen some. I'd seen some pictures. I had no idea like that. I don't know because we're not. I, I had a book. I didn't know where it was. I hadn't read it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't care, guys. I just. I just didn't care. I'm too lazy to read it. I see no reason to read it, and I'm in a group full of people who validate it. I'm not being ugly. I'm just telling you the way it was. A whole lot of people that just validated my behavior and validated the, the, this, this meeting makers make it thing like this. And, and, and right before I so, right before I uh, emotionally sobered up with with Clifford helping me on this kind of stuff, I remember breaking down in a meeting one night and I'm weeping like a little kid sitting in that meeting. And this this guy looks at me like this, and I started to share something, and he said, he said, I, re- I remember it like it was yesterday because it was still, it was just. I'm, I'm not having a nervous breakdown in the meeting and this thing, and this, and this guy goes, oh, Myers, Myers, come on, don't do that, man. They're just, 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 all you need to do, you know what you need to do. And I said, no, I don't know what I need to do. And he said, all you need to do is just go to some more meetings and you're going to be okay. And I remember looking at him like this, and I remember the inside, it's just like I just shrunk. And I just, I remember saying, well, all right, thank you for the advice. I appreciate it, guys. I love you all. I'd already made up my mind to leave. I walked outside, and I got in the seat behind the steering wheel of that old Toyota Land Cruiser, and I just wept. I just sat there and wept and wept, and I just, I didn't. Guys, I don't want to be a drunk. I don't want to be a dope fiend. I don't want to die like this. But I can't seem to figure out any way to get past it. And nobody's... Everything in me says run when Cliff starts asking me these questions like this. And there's another piece of me that's saying, this may be your only chance to do this. This may be the only way that you're ever going to get clear of this is to, is to stop. Just listen to what he has to say. So I spent 20 minutes with him asking me questions, and I didn't know the answer to any of them. And finally I said, Mr. Bishop, I don't know anything that you're talking about. I, I, none of it makes any sense to me. And he said, I, I, you're finally starting to get honest. They said, I tell you what, why don't you meet me at the meeting tomorrow night? Don't you dare walk into that room without a big book, and, and I'll see you at 730. And that was 20 years ago. And I, I remember walking into that meeting like this, and I judged everybody in there. I thought it was the biggest bunch of pious, self-righteous, big book idiots that I've ever, I'm, I'm just judging everything like that. They're sober, they're happy, but I'm going to judge them anyway. I mean, it makes perfect sense, right? And it, what, what eventually happened was is that I would, I would um, um, 
I would sit there for a couple of weeks judging you, and then finally uh, there were some things that were said one night, and finally I just kind of let my guard down, and I just realized that as I looked around the room, I said, you know what, this may be the happiest bunch of people I've ever been around. Um, and they, they, they can't seem to stop laughing. They all seem to be engaged. They all seem to be healthy. They're not making bad decisions like me. Um, and maybe I ought to just listen. And I stopped. I stopped with the judgment for just a second. And what began to happen quickly, within a couple of weeks, I began to connect up dots. And it's like, um, it, it, it's like, I, I can't hardly, I can't hardly explain it. I, there, there's a piece of me, ego and arrogance wise, because I've been in the rooms for a while, that wants to, wants to still slip back in there every once in a while and say, well, you know, you, 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 you don't need to know this, you don't need to know this. I have this, this already formed idea of what AA doctrine looks like, and everything that they're telling me is buttoned up against it. Every, it's con- nothing but conflict. Every night I'm looking at it going, God, I didn't know that. God, I didn't know. If I accept that, then I have to accept that. And if I accept that, I have to accept that. And pretty soon, I've got a head full of chaos around what's real or not. And finally, these guys just kept saying, this isn't personal opinion. You make this sound like we're making this crap up. This is not, we're not trying to jack you around, kid. Why don't you just simply um, uh, read the text and let's study? That's all they did. I mean, three meetings a week, and there were two book studies and a, and a step study on a Saturday night, and that's it. No discussion meeting, just the, just the literature. And it's it. And and so once I let my let the the, the dead gum uh, guard down, I, I could begin to soak up some of this stuff. So listen, one night we're sitting in there like this, and Philip File said something, and we're reading page forty four, and we go through this stuff, and I remember like that. And afterwards, he walked up and he goes, "We're putting chairs up," and he said, "Marsh, are you okay?" And I said, "Philip, I'm an alcoholic." And he said, "Good." Um, Keep coming back. I don't know what to tell you, Mars. And he just walked off and he was laughing like this. And I've got, I, I was just kind of like, you jerk. And I, I, but I remember going home and I, I, I kicked the front door open and scared Londa to death. And I said, Londa, I am an alcoholic. And she goes, no shit, Mars. And I went, I went, no, 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 sweetheart. I, seriously, I mean, I, for the very first time, in the rooms, I understand what alcoholism looked like. I understand what it that, that I was one. There was no ambivalence. There was no like this. There was no because um, I'm thinking. Well, since I didn't have a DWI, I can't be an alcoholic. Since I didn't get thrown in jail, I'm not an alcoholic. Since I didn't black out every morning, I'm not an alcoholic. I, mean, I had a whole list of these things that separated me from you. And some of you guys got those right now. Some of you guys are working with that 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 premise. Some of you are, are not. But it's an amazing thing. Every room I talk to, there's still people in there that are that are dealing with this. And I, and I, it's a it's a it's a really frustrating thing to want to be a part of something and still have part of your head saying you don't belong. You don't belong. You don't. You're not. You're not supposed to be here. And it, it's a it's a frustrating deal. Everything about my life changed the moment that I did this, guys. Everything shifted the moment that I came clear that I belonged in the room and that I had a reason to be there and that there was indeed something called a common solution that they talk about on page 17. And and nobody had ever even introduced me to the idea. Guys, come on, stick with me. I understand that we have, that that we're connected, that we we have a common uh, problem. We understand that. We're all little drunks and crazies and whack jobs and stuff like that. I understand what holds us like this, yet Bill was really clear that that would never be enough to hold us together as we're now joined and that, that there would be a common solution. And I'm going, holy cow. Does that mean that we all have to be robots, that we all have to be doing everything exactly the same? Not on your life. All God's kids are different, and we got a whole bunch of different folks in here like that. You got loud ones and quiet ones and gentle ones and, and, and assholes, and you got, I mean, you got everybody under the sun like this, and we need every one of them 
to do what it is that we're doing like that. But at the core of that, the baseline of this thing, was this idea of a common solution. And so the question would become, and, and quickly came for me, was, was how do we... My problem was not learning the big book. My problem was unlearning seven years of, of opinions and ideas. Seven years of opinions and ideas by the way, that were hand-delivered to me by some of the nicest, gentlest, kindest people that I'd ever met in my whole life. It would, listen, if they'd have been jerks, it would have been real easy. You could, I'd just go, man, they're jerks. I could just... These were people that loved me to death. And they just shared a lot of ideas. And so, so is, it, is it possible that every piece of information you learned is wrong? I don't think so. I think, I think it's a mixture of a whole bunch of stuff. Y'all get that? And, and I think this is why this thing gets funny, is that... Um, um, there, there's this idea, there's this concept that perhaps what we could do is is just take everything that we think we know already and investigate it. But but stick with me, guys, because some of this stuff is 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 hard to do, and it takes some real courage. And some of us didn't quite come to the table with a, with a big old dose of courage. And so sometimes it's much easier to go, ah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be all right. I'm gonna be. And there's a piece of ego in there, and a piece of arrogance that flows in there with that 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 sort of conspire to keep you in a weird in a weird area. Um, let me. I want to give you a quick example. Uh, the, there's a. Um, there's a group of men that I've sponsored for a number of years now in Dallas that come from other groups that meet me over there at Primary Purpose Group on Tuesday night. And we've been meeting at 6.30 for a long, long time. And there's five or six of these guys. And, and they're all, the youngest one's 58 and the oldest one's 72. And, and I'm 60. And so the, the, these, these guys will all come. And we just do a little book study before our book study. And we kind of talk about some of this kind of stuff. And we were in there one night like this. And I'm, I'm, it, it's funny. They get real, in the beginning, they were all just real stoic. And they just wouldn't, they just, because they don't want to admit anything. They don't want to admit that maybe they didn't know anything. But I, I'm from that school. I mean, I, I understand that emotion uh, to, that, I, that wants to hang on to that. And so I said, listen, before we start, you guys do me a favor. Let's, let's look at Jim's story real quick. Uh, Jim's story and Fred's story. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a common theme that runs through a little piece of this. Let's talk about that specifically for just a minute before we start this other stuff like this. I said, you guys go ahead and get your big books out and let's do that like this. And so these guys are like this and they're back over in the back of their book and they're going through story by story by story like this. Y'all with me? Here's a collection of old dudes that have a total sobriety of way over 100 years. One guy's been sober 32 years, another going 27 years, and there's over 100 years of sobriety sitting right there, and they didn't know where Jim's story was in the front of the book. And I finally just reached over like this and I grabbed the, grabbed the book and I said, here, let me show you back up here. You remember Jim's story and Fred's story? And these guys are looking at me like I'm talking uh, 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 Russian. I mean, they're just like that. I'm going, right here, guys. And see that? Oh, 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 yeah. And then they're just kind of looking straight ahead like this with red faces like this because they've been, they've been called out. And, and, and they realized, and after the meeting, I mean, it was an interesting thing. We talked about it. Uh, one of the guys said that he was totally embarrassed and he wasn't going to come back, period. He didn't, he thought that I'd insulted him. And I said, all I did was turn, to get, all I did was ask you to turn to a page in the big book that you ought to know by heart the second week you were in AA. You should have known at least where it was. And here you are all these years into the deal and don't know anything. The rest of the guys have stayed with it like this. And it is an amazing thing to watch these old dudes, um, transformed into ferocious carriers of the big book, Co- collectively, that same group of people, collectively they'd sponsored five men. All, collectively, over a hundred years of... 
excuse me, over 100 years of sponsorship, I mean, 100 years of sobriety, and, and they'd sponsored a total of five guys. One guy hadn't sponsored any man. 23 or 24 years in the room, and he'd never sponsored one man. How does that happen? You see? This is the stuff we're trying to gather up. If we could investigate what we know, and then we just ask ourselves the question, is this doctrine, is this real life big book, or is this just something that somebody said that's kind? It doesn't mean you have to throw it out completely. It doesn't mean it's garbage. It doesn't mean it's trash. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means that we got to be careful. If we're talking about a common solution, dig, then you got to stop sharing that you stay sober practicing yoga. And that's how you stay sober. I'm just... I'm not ragging on yoga. Come on now. I've practiced for years and I, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying that. But we gotta be careful what we're sharing in terms of the, the, the deal. So, guys, I, I gotta, I, I did a talk. I'm not gonna tell you specifically where some of this does because they'll come kill me and I wanna be real careful. But I, I, I just, I, I just, I did a talk in, in, in the panhandle of Texas one time. And I left there and came back to Dallas. And when I got back, there was an uh, uh, email, um, email waiting for me. And the, 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 this lady said, can you call me? And so I called her and she said, I'm sorry I missed you. I really wanted my husband to hear you. And, and we just flat, we didn't know you were in town. And, I, and we talked a little bit. And I said, she said, my husband relapsed after 10 or so years. And, and, he, and I said, well, how's he doing? And she goes, well, he's, he's doing okay. And I said, well, is he sponsored up? Is he, how's he, is he back in the rooms and stuff? And she goes, oh, well, well no, not really. And I said, well, what do you mean, no, not really? And she goes, well, he, they, they won't let him back in AA until he's been sober for 30 days. I mean, it's just like... So I start doing my own investigating, and lo and behold, she was right. There was a whole group of little AA buckaroos up there that had made this, this conscious decision that they wanted you sober for 30 days before you got to AA. Now that... That's, come on, guys, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. And what I wanted to do was lock and load. I wanted to go kill those guys and, and see it. But, but, but that's what Texas guys do, okay? I mean, I'm just, I'm just, we, 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 that's how we deal with this stuff. I, I, I just, it's crazy like that. The, the, the people charging money to hear fifth steps. People, people, I can't, guys, we could spend hours talking about the atrocities in our rooms. And now listen, stick with me. The problem I got is, is that we sit back because we don't want to be intolerant. We just turn our way, turn our, our, our gaze the other way and let this stuff happen over and over and over and over again. Like, guys, there are, there are some groups in Dallas right now that are so toxic and so deadly for women to be there because there's so much he and she and going on like this that a woman can't get sober. She cannot get sober there. And there's not one strong man in the room that will stand up and say, Hoss, sit down. You ain't going nowhere unless it's sitting right next to me. Nobody will take take a, a lead in this because we don't want to hurt his feelings. We don't want to run him off. I'm saying, yeah. Oh, all right, listen. I wasn't going to do this. I, 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 I just got a little worked up. Sorry. I, I, I got three daughters. One of them's already in the room, and I and I get real, real, real emotional about that stuff. And I, I just, I just, uh, um, I want to tell you, uh, I want to tell you a story real, real, real quick. That um, I love to run, and and I and I, um, 
some of you guys are going to scratch your head and going, I don't see the point of the story, but you will. You'll just stick with me. It's real short anyway. And, and I just, I love to run. And so every other day I try to run. And, I, and there's a, I work a part-time job down in South Texas at a, at a treatment place. And um, they've got a, a kind of a seawall down there. And, and I run along that seawall when I'm down there. And so uh, during spring break of this last year, I was running down along that seawall like this. And there's like 15 or 16 kids in a, in a, in a big cluster in the middle of where I usually run like this. And there's, it's, it's chaos. I, it would have been a good day not to run anyway like that. But so I go around them, and as I go around, I get right in front of these guys again like this and step on a shoelace because I'm too lazy to tie that damn shoelace up. But that's another story completely. But but I, anyway, so I fall. And, and I, when a 60-year-old man hits the ground, it's like... <laughs> It sounded like a big old bunch of sticks dropped on the ground like that. I just like, and then so I'm thinking, man, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to, and I'm looking to see what's bleeding or not like that. But, but what, what got me was, is that I was listening and behind me, I could hear a couple of kids laughing and then a couple of more kids laughing. And then pretty soon everybody in that group, I'm, I'm sitting up on my knees looking at the group and every one of them are just sitting there laughing at me like I, like, like I was a comedy act and like I'd done this intentionally like that. And so it's weird. About that time, this guy picks me up and, and he's, he's a local drunk from the island. He's always there and he's just a, an, a kind of amazing sort of a guy, badly deformed face. And, 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 and he had picked me up and he said, old timer, are you okay? And I went, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm all right. And so he kind of dusted me off and he said, you want me to run with you for a minute? And I said, nah, I'm all right, buddy. Thank you like this. I mean, he showed me great kindness there in front of all this, these kids. And the kids just, they didn't even keep walking. They just stood there and laughed like that. Well, so, I, I, I start running again, and I kind of hobbled off, and then I, I, I'm, I'm, as I'm running, I spent the next hour thinking about what had just happened. So, so stick with me, okay? I, the, the, I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm not trying to be mean in any way at all like this. But let me tell you what my hypothesis is here, what it is that I'm just thinking that, that is. I think that some of those kids were raised better than that. I think that some of those kids had mamas and daddies that told them better and taught them better than what was exhibited right there. But all it took was a couple of guys laughing and the other guys picked up on it like this and they were looking around and pretty soon they would do that. Now listen, I'm not judging it because how many of us in our own respective AA rooms have made decisions based on where everybody else voted? Did you ever wait in a group, in a group conscience or a business meeting and look around the room to see how everybody else is voting and then you vote like this kind of stuff? Like, Guys... Here, here's the problem, is that, is that identifying the problems in our program, identifying the problems in our fellowship is a great thing, but it's no thing if we don't have the, the, the nads to, to just step up and change it, to, to do something about it like this. Wrong is wrong. Could we get on the same page? Can I get an amen? Wrong is wrong. Why is it so hard for us to get this idea that, that, that we're not being mean old bad guys if we just say your behavior is atrocious, you can, you can, we can't do anything about your behavior, but you can't do it here. You see, why can't we just simply, why is it that the, that the new guy in the room has to pay the price for the idiot in the room? I mean, it sounds weird, doesn't it? I, I just, some of you guys ain't digging this at all. We'll talk about something else in a minute. I promise you. Like that, that, that it's all about love and tolerance. Listen, it is, it is. But but the, but the question always comes up like this: Is it, at what point does love and tolerance slide over into apathy and ends up to D.A. Carson, one of my very favorite theologians, uh, did a talk one time, and in the middle of this talk, there was a line that said, "We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance." Let's just call it what it is. It's a compromise. 
You see? And, and to the extent that you will allow yourself to do that, you will find yourself accepting and going along with things that normally you would just simply not do. Um, to change the course of anything, you need to be able to have some, some uh, backbone. You need to have some courage to do some things. I know. And so some of you guys are already going, but I don't see any reason at all to change anything. It's all fine. I love this thing. It's cool. Leave it alone. I, I would respectfully disagree. And, but here, so hear me out. We, we have a fellowship worldwide, tens of thousands of us in the trenches doing this deal like this, and we have crazy things going on and nobody says anything about it. We have um, um, success rates that are as bad as anything I can imagine, depending on where you are geographically. You, may, you guys may be lucky and you may be from an area where there's lots and lots of cool stuff going on in AA land. Or you might have sobered up in Dallas, Texas, the armpit of the AA world as far as I'm concerned, where there was so much apathy and so much middle-of-the-road stuff that people just simply can't get sober. You see? And so depending on where the deal is, how many of you guys are, are, are maybe have run across areas where uh, I can name you two or three places in the Midwest where there are geographic areas where there's two or three counties where one woman is sponsoring every girl in, the, in three counties? There's just simply no women wanting to step up and take any deal like that. You'll see them in the room like this, but there's only one. Who's your sponsor? That girl? Who's your sponsor? That, who's your sponsor? Is there anybody else that has another sponsor besides this lady right here? She's the only one that will do it. And you just and you and you wonder why some of us fizzle out and just burn out like a comet while we just get get roasted in the in the deal. There's only so much you can do. You see, one of the most contentious arguments that I ever had was from a podium one night, and it was after a talk, and this guy walked up and he said, "Myers, he said I could not disagree with you more." And I said, "Okay, next." And I I, I don't. And he, and he goes. No, 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 hear me out. I said, I, I am 100% convinced that you can effectively only sponsor one guy in your entire AA uh, deal. And I said, wait a minute, so what, what you're saying is if I stay sober 35 years, 40 years, I can only sponsor one guy? And he said, well, maybe two. I went, wow, wow. Did it ever occur to you? He said, I think that because you sponsor as many men that you do that it's just arrogance. And I said, oh, oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> I know I look scrawny, but I'm a scrapper. I said, don't, come on, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. At the, because the reality is if he would get off his lazy butt and sponsor more, I wouldn't have to sponsor so many. And that's the truth of that matter. You see, we get it. I'll tell you one more story, and then I'll get back into some serious stuff like that. The, 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 I was talking to a, a little brother a minute ago. We were talking about this doll thing. Some of you guys have heard this story, but I want to I want to I want to put this in perspective, okay? The the I did a, a talk in um, I, I I can't tell you where it is. I'm still waiting. All these years later, I'm still waiting for him to come get me. In the middle of the night, they're going to lynch me in my own house because um, it's a it's a it's on a big lake and it's a big rural area. It's real so, real uh, a lot of it's a kind of rural area, but it's a lot of lot of boats and people and cutoffs and this kind of stuff. And so I I, I drive out there uh, um, from Dallas to do this AA talk, and I got there. Uh, man, I, I drove right to it. I couldn't believe I actually found it. And I'm still unclear why they have to hide AA clubs. They're always they're always in some of the craziest places in the world. And this one was no exception. And so I get there about an hour before this meeting is supposed to start. And I'm dressed just like I was tonight, except I had a tie on. And and, and I walk in. Now, as I, as I walk in the room, there's a guy that's pulling in front of me. And he walks in. And as he walks through, there's a back door to this place. And he walks through. And I said, I said, hey, how you doing? And he puts his hand up like this. He hadn't turned around. He just puts his hand up like this and walks just straight out the back door. 
And so I'm in the, the hall all by myself, and I'm just sitting there kind of looking around. And there's some tables up front like this, and I'm looking, and I go, well, maybe I'll make some coffee. And so I got up, made some coffee and stuff, and pretty soon another bunch come in like this, and, and, and they're doing a little talking like this, and I kind of waved and said, hey, y'all, and, and just doing what we do. And, and uh, this guy goes, hey, and back, and then they start their conversation, and I'm sitting there like this, and, and, and I got... A coat and tie on, sitting in this room. There's not anybody there that knows me, and nobody's saying one word to me. And I made the coffee. I mean, they could at least say, <laughs> ingrates. So I wanted to walk back up there and put a booger in it too, like that. Just a, uh, it's, it's that kind of passive aggressive thing I got to deal with still. But I, I just. I, I get I get through the whole thing and we're sitting there. It's like 15 minutes to eight, and the room's starting to fill up with some people like this. And I'm thinking, miss, sooner or later, the guy that asked me to do the talk is going to come over and say, "Hey, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you drove forever to get here. I'm glad you're." But nobody did like that. So pretty soon, this lady walks in and she's carrying a big plastic doll under her arm like this. She's got it under under deal, and she walks over and she's sitting at a table and 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 she's just she's catty catty corner across from me. And she's just sitting there, and pretty soon she's over there talking to the doll and, and, and like this, and I'm thinking, man, you don't, you don't see that in AA every day, you know? Like, <laughs> a couple of minutes later, this other girl walks in. I think it's mother-daughter, but I'm not sure, but they look a little bit alike. And, and, and she walks in, and she's got a great big old doll. I'm not talking big plastic dolls like this. And she got in there like this, and they're sitting over there like this, and pretty soon, and now, guys, you got to picture this. i got to set this up for you like this. There is not a sound in that room. Nobody's talking. Nobody's doing nothing. The room's got 30 people in it, and the only sound in that room are these plastic dolls walking on the tabletop. They're walking them around like this, and they're starting to do doll talk back and forth between these dolls, and they're going like, and that's all I'm hearing like this, and I'm just like, and I'm going, oh, Lord, Lord. I, I was like, I, I, I got, this isn't happening. Let me add, Put your finger on that thought for just a minute like that. Were any of you guys old enough to hear the Outer Limits? We're, we're watching the Outer Limits or, or maybe it was Twilight Zone and there was a, there was aliens came down and they were getting in people and there was this stinger thing coming out of the back of their neck and you could tell who had been possessed because they had this little stinger coming out of the back. I was looking around at the back of people's necks wondering. I mean, <laughs> Ten minutes past eight. This guy stands up and goes, well, we were supposed to have a speaker tonight. And I, and I looked at him and I said, I bet that's me. And he said, okay, good, good, thank you. And he sat back down again, no introduction, no thanks for driving, no nothing. It just like, And I got up. Uh, I've been wondering what I was going to say to this den of crazies. And, and, and the, the reality... Um, that's the place that Spankathon got invented. I, I kind of came up. It, it was a it was a bloodbath, guys. I'm telling you, man. I took no prisoners. It was a scorch earth, and 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 it just. Um, there, and every time I tell that story like that, there because I'm looking at it from this part. I see your faces, and some of you guys are going, "He's got no right to judge those people. They got any right." <laughs> Eat me. I, I'm just saying. I, I have every right to judge bad behavior. I have every right to judge something that might kill somebody. Now let me tell you when this got real. It would be two years later that my oldest daughter would walk into the rooms for the very first time. How many of you guys got a relative that's in the room? Didn't it get real personal? 
Didn't it get real? Didn't it sort of... I mean, I can. there's a lot of things I can tolerate until my daughter got in the same room. And when she was sitting in the same room, I had to look at it from a completely different perspective. I'm going, buddy, what, what do we do with this? What, how do we deal with this? What do we, is, is she going to hear the message? Is she going to hear the clear-cut voice from, from, from uh, uh, divine inspiration? Or is she going to... Um, is she not? Is she going to miss it all? Is she going to just just be a meeting maker's make it kind of gal and come to a bunch of meetings until the pain of being untreated in her alcoholism becomes so great that she has no choice but to use again? Is that how it's going to roll? And for so many of us that we do, guys, we see this worldwide. I see this exact same kind of behavior like this. The people will come. We'll watch them get enthusiastic. We'll watch them get all fired up and ready to do this thing. And then we watch them just go like this and they just start getting a little sicker and a little sicker and a little sicker until finally one day they just simply don't come back. And then it just seems like there's always, it's just like it's scripted. There's somebody standing in the back of the room going, oh, that's all right. Who's going to drive them back in? And I, guys, I'm going to tell you, I just want to get up and choke the guy. I just want to go give him a big old uh, uh, noogie. I, I just quit saying that. Quit saying that. We Listen, guys, they should never have, have left. And if we'd, have t- if we'd have taken care of our end of the deal, then that stuff wouldn't happen to happen. If, if we'd have taken the responsibility for whether or not they were getting a clear, accurate message of what the steps look like, what they do with it is their business. I'm not saying that people don't come and then decide that they don't want what we have. What frustrates me is how many people came, wanted it, and we didn't give it to them because we're too busy telling stories. We're too busy doing all the other things that we think are so important at the expense of what's really important, which was giving them an idea of what this stuff was. How did I, how did I stay in AA? How, did, how was I in the room for seven years and still didn't know what alcoholism looked like? Chris is going to talk about this stuff in just a second like that. How did I, how did I not understand this stuff? How did I think that what defined me was my drama? If you think I'm making this up and if you think that I'm being too, to make a too big a deal out of it like this, do me a favor. You can be part of my lifelong experiment with this stuff. Walk into an AA meeting and, 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 and as a topic throw out there why you're an alcoholic. And watch where the conversation goes. It will take now to now that fast for somebody to start sharing their story. I got a DWI. My husband left me. My kids left me. I lost my job. Like that, you fill in the blank on this kind of stuff. Do you understand what I'm saying, guys? Like, but what, some of you don't agree with this. I'm just saying, guys, that the, your drama does not define your disease. And that's the stuff that drives me crazy. It, it doesn't. This is the reason why we end up with so many people. We, we end up with, with losing so many guys. In, in Australia, what a country. What, it's just um, amazing. And they've got, they've got all, lots of AA. Lots of AA. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been there, but I'm telling you, it'll, it'll blow you away. 98% of all the meetings in Australia, country, uh, continent-wise, from shore to shore, 98% of these meetings are what they call ID meetings, where we just all we do is we start talking about our story, how we got here. How we got here. How we got here. Your story is important. I'm not making light of it at all. On a Friday night at a podium or uh, in a 12-step call, you better have a story. If it ain't a good one, make something up. We don't care. I don't care. I mean, it's just like, I don't care. But you, you need a story. I'm not saying that that piece of your experience is not amazingly powerful in how we move people along the line. But the, the big part of this thing, guys, is that um, 
I, I tell you what, do me a favor. Stop and think just a second like this. In, in Jim's story and Fred's story, there's a repeating theme that comes up and it, they, they say it in both of them like this. And there's a line that comes up in there like that that hit me like a ton of bricks one day like this. So, so uh, Jim or Fred one, I can't remember which one, uh, uh, relapses. And when he comes back, what is it that the cats tell, say in a deal like that? He said, we told him what we knew about alcoholism. My favorite line in all the big books like that. We told him what we knew about alcoholism. Because Bill Wilson and those cats expected us to know what alcoholism looked like. You see? On page 19, there's a piece in there that said we were going to share our combined experience and what? Knowledge. Our experience and knowledge. It wasn't our experience, strength, and hope. My mama can share experience, strength, and hope. You understand what I'm saying? I, I just, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that, that, that the, I think the guys that wrote it hit it on the head. Uh, um, we, we were going to share our combined experience and knowledge. They assumed that once you got sober, you were going to get to a place. That's the reason why Bill wrote The Doctor's Opinion, more about alcoholism. There is a solution. These are primary pieces that will tell you what alcoholism looks like so that you can tell somebody and identify one-on-one -on -one with this kind of stuff so that we can start doing what we used to do, which was so amazingly effective, which for some reason we've decided we don't want to do anymore, which is qualify the new guy when he comes in. Please. Why is it that qualifying the new guy and helping him see her, him, her truth or his truth seems to be viewed every time as exclusionary? Guys, come on. I've been spanked from the podium enough. I mean, I've been, I, I, get, I get emails. I get hate mail. I got a file that thick with nasty letters that people send me because they just simply don't agree with that. Our stories is all we have. Well, you're a moron. I, I'm just saying, quit, quit saying that. Quit saying that because it's not true. If your story is all you have, we're in trouble. You, you, you need to be able to explain what alcoholism is. And we'll spend a bunch of time tomorrow talking about that kind of stuff. And what happens is, is that the more you know and understand it from that perspective, the easier this all gets. The, 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 it, this stuff gets amazing if you just simply understand what it is, that where, where you're coming from. You see? Um, some of you guys already know that, and I'm playing with you. I'm, I, I, I want to make sure I, I want to make sure that you know that I know I'm crystal clear that you that a lot of you guys already know and understand exactly what it is that I'm talking about. You you you, you know this book better than I do. Um, my my problem is is that when you end up with situations, how does a whole continent with with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of meetings? How do we? How does it get to where the only thing that's important is how you got there, at the exclusion of everything else? How about we talk about how you stay here? How about we talk about some other stuff that needs to be that needs to, needs to be uh, talked about? Those 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 guys at Primary Purpose Group. When I finally got done with my tirade judging them all, um, it was an amazing thing to watch how quickly my life was transformed and how quickly I became to embrace the idea of what sponsorship was going to look like and what what it was going to be like to be of service to somebody else. We're going to talk a whole hour tomorrow about just that, about this idea of what it's like to um, actually um, be of service. Because listen, we're up against we're up against a tide, guys. Because th there's far more people over here that think that service work and twelve step work is subjective. There's so many more people over here that think that it's something that you do if you're retired or if you're, you're you just have a whole bunch of spare time or something like this. While the rest of us, you know, cook chicken dinners and 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 go to meetings and do the rest of our stuff like this. But, Y'all understand what I'm saying? We we just have so few people that want to actually get involved in trying to um, be involved. Try to sponsor and do the rest of this kind of this kind of stuff. Um, 
I want to read something to you real quick. The, the, um, Bill Wilson in 66 wrote this letter. It was reproduced later. Uh, the grapevine in those days was producing some pretty amazing stuff. And, and uh, it, it later ended up as Bill sees it uh, um, in, the, in the deal. It's just a little piece, a little short piece called Whose Responsibility? You can get it online. Or I can email it to you if you want to email it. But, but I'm amazed at how clear this was. I want to set the stage for this real quick, though. Um, um, it, by 66, Bob's gone. Uh, the traditions have been published and out. Uh, we're still in a time, this is pre-internet, obviously, and everything is still coming back through Bill Wilson. If there's a problem in a group, it still goes back through Bill. If, it, if there's the, the uh, uh, idea of the non-stop discussion meeting was already in full swing, we, the meetings were being changed from a, a, a talk on Friday night from a podium, which was what most of the meetings were, to this situation where we would just sit and share our day and this kind of stuff. And there was some, there was some appeal to it. It's not, it's not that I don't get the appeal. You know, you, I mean, I, I get that. Um, the problem was it was just kind of off the chain, some of the things that we were talking about. And we had a lot of people that just weren't getting better. Um, and so Bill, Bill saw the problem, and he, so he wrote this. Uh, um, um, listen to me. An AA group as such cannot take on all the personal problems of its members, let alone those of non-alcoholics in the world around us. The AA group is not, for example, a mediator of domestic relations, nor does it furnish personal financial aid to anyone. Now, though a member may sometimes be helped in such matters by his friends in AA, the primary responsibility for the solution of all of his problems of living and growing rests squarely upon the individual himself. Now, should an AA group attempt this sort of help, its effectiveness and energies would be hopelessly dissipated. This is the little part that I want you to remember if you can. This is why sobriety, freedom from alcohol, through the teaching and practice of AA's 12 steps, is the sole purpose of the group. If we don't stick to this cardinal principle, we shall almost certainly collapse and if we collapse, we cannot help anyone. Dig? So, so, so stick with me. Listen to this. This is why sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of AA's 12 steps is the sole purpose of the group. We're supposed to be there to teach the steps. And yet we find ourselves in situations. I, I'm reminded every time I read this, there's, a, there's a, a, a friend of mine in Houston, Texas, that sent me a text message one time, and he said, Myers, he said, I, you might sit down because this is going to make you sick. I just, I just um, left my 17th straight meeting with no mention of the steps and no mention of God. I know, but some of you guys are scratching your head going, so? If they want to talk about their day, they ought to be able to talk about their day. Listen, stick, stick with me a second. I, I'm not saying, I think sometimes people think that when I talk about this stuff, that I'm thinking that the, that the stuff in your day, the fact that you're having trouble getting along with your mother-in-law, or, or, or that you're having trouble finding a job, or that your wife left, I'm not, I'm not for a moment making light of those situations, guys. I'm telling you, my heart bleeds for you. I just, I want to cry real alligator tears with you. I just don't think, I just struggle with this idea that the meeting is the only place that you need to dump that stuff. I think that a much better place would be is to call Krusty Cliff or call somebody that loves you, call your sponsor, and say, buddy, I'm dying here. I'm simply dying here. And he knows you, and he knows where you are in the steps, and he knows where you are on a spiritual path, and he can help gather you up and collect everything up like this. I understand that it makes great fodder for discussion in meetings, I'm just not so sure because, guys, let me tell you something. I, I, listen, again, I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm not, even, I'm not trying to be mean in any form or fashion. But for the brand new guy that just walked in the room, that's just he's detoxing, sitting in the AA meeting, he doesn't give a rat's butt about your divorce 
or whether you get along with your mother-in-law. He doesn't. I don't. That's where everybody's hair catches on fire and they leave <laughs> like this. I, come on, stick with me. Like you, do, I just want you to look at it a different way and look at it a, a deal. Uh, I, I think there are great times to, to share this kind of information. Um, and I, I'm going I'm to be honest with you. It's not that I, it's, I'm not a, a meeting hater, and I don't hate the discussion meeting format. It's not that I hate that kind of stuff. I just wonder why there's so many of them at the expense of. Go back and look at any metropolitan area and look at how many book studies they have compared to how many discussion meetings they have. And after a while, you, you can't, if you're thinking man or woman, you're going to sit back and go, why are there so many of these meetings like this? We have 1,500 meetings in the Dallas-Fort Worth area every week. 148 groups, 1,500 meetings in the Dallas-Fort Worth area like that, and 90% of them are, are discussion meetings. And unfortunately, the ones that are, are, are labeled book studies, most of them are just uh, places where you pick up the book, read a paragraph, and then use it as a launching point for your discussion so that the discussion starts looking like this. Well, I know Bill felt that way, but, you know, for me... And we just head off into a deal. We're not studying the text. We're not studying doctrine. We're not studying what a common solution looks like. We're just using it as a launching point for a discussion. Too much? All right. I'll be nice. I promise. I, I, I just... There was an old uh, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young song that, that was talking. In the center of this song, there was a line that said, Confusion has its cost. And I, I just think that we, 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 I love the song and I, and, I, and I love the idea that we could recognize that sometimes we're our worst enemy, sometimes within our fellowship. Um, as I've gotten older in this, I think some of you guys will, are like me and, and some, of you, some of you gals that have been around the rooms for a little while. As, I, as I'm here longer, I tend to step back more and look at the bigger picture of AA. I tend to look at what we look like to everybody else. Um, Remember, who is it, Charlie Sheen that, that slung all that crap against AA a couple of years ago? And, and there was some there was some crazy-ass stuff said. And, and, and there have been a couple of other guys, movie stars and stuff, high-profile folks, that have said some amazingly unkind things. The problem is, is that when you go back and look at some of the things that they said, they're right. Some of the things that we do in AA look pretty strange in certain areas. You may have a stand-up kind of group that doesn't allow that, and you're on page and you're doing it. I'm, I'm not talking about you. I'm, I'm, but, but I think that each and every one of us, if we're open and honest with ourselves, have been around AA groups that were just kind of off the chain, that just did some crazy stuff like this. And, but you have to understand that in any situation, the world at large judges us. The, the, we, we got this thing where we hope at some point in time that alcoholism and drug addiction is, is, is dealt with on par with everything else that's out there like this. So, so it should be no different than a man that's got, that's got diabetic, that's diabetic. He draw, drew a genetic bullet. He has a predisposition to the disease. There it is. And it's no different with our own addictions like this. And yet, and yet sometimes we, we, we get so crazy out there doing so many crazy things, um, that, um, um, that it gets embarrassing. And somehow I just think we, we ought to be our, our, our own police and just pay attention to what we're doing. And if it gets out there too far, let's just kind of correct it, move it back a little bit and see, see what the deal is. I want to wrap this up real quick. I want to, I want to, I want to, um, I had been at, uh, primary purpose group almost two years and I'm, I'm sponsoring a couple of guys there at the group, but I'm still not doing any 12 step work at all. And we're going to talk about this stuff some tomorrow. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time talking about it like this. But I, I want you to, to, be, to be clear on something. Is that um, um, 
the, the book was really clear what we should be doing, and, and, and we need to look at that and then ask ourselves the questions. Uh, at, at, I'm now almost nine years sober, doing much, much better. I've got two years of big book underneath me. I understand the text. I understand how to teach it a little better. I understand kind of what, what it, it, how things line up better. Uh, but I'm still not doing any 12-step work like that. How, let me ask you this question just between buddies. Y'all, y'all can be honest with me, okay? How, how many of you guys ever did something around the, in the arena of 12-step work like you drove a bus for a treatment center or you picked somebody up or you um, uh, did a little stand at in a group office like this and then didn't, didn't do it anymore, but you played it forever. You just, you just liked it. Am I the only guy that ever did that? I drove a bus one night for a, for a treatment center in, in, at, by Denton like this, and I'm telling you guys, for 10 years, I'd go like this. I'd go, yeah, I, I drove that bus up there, that deal like that. I just, I mean... I, I, it's like I'll milk it for everything it's worth like that. And, and sometimes we do that. Sometimes we don't see the, the, the bigger picture um, that our, our sanity uh, around this stuff um, is directly connected to this idea of being of service to, to somebody else. There's some great, great information out there. But for, for a lot of groups, it's kind of, uh, uh, it's kind of dissipated like that. How many of you guys are belong to groups that do no 12-step work whatsoever? Some have some commitments. Some have no commitments. Um, um, when I travel, I'm in lots of AA groups, and I'm amazed at how many times I'll look at bulletin boards and chalkboards and stuff, and there is no indication of any 12-step work anywhere on the deal. I'm not judging it. I'm just saying, as a group, sometimes the healthiest thing that you can do to change a group's course is to go ahead and get some commitments and get some of those young buckaroos excited about the idea of going out and, and carrying the message. And so they... they, they, they um, Finally, I got sick enough again. I started feeling myself getting goofy again in AA, and which leans back heavily into the idea that self-knowledge will never be enough. I don't care if you can quote the big book. Self-knowledge is not going to be enough. And, and I found myself getting goofy again. And, and I remember talking to Clifford one night and asking him about it. And Cliff, Cliff just told me. He said, Mike, he said, I've been trying to get you for two years to engage with us and to do 12-step work. And I said, Clifford, I, I don't think you're being fair, brother. Who do you think drove you to Salvation Army last night? And he goes, well, you did, Myers. Thank you very much. Who do you think did the talk? You did. Who do you think stayed 30 minutes later and passed out big books and, and answered questions? You did. Who do you think's been on, on uh, text messages and emails all day long answering the people that we talked to last night? Well, I guess you. He said, thank you. Thank you. Um, I mean, driving me around is some nice piece of service work, but it's not the 12-step work that Bill Wilson... Uh, I mean, otherwise, Bill Wilson would have wrote it on the, on the deal. Step 13, drive an old dude around while he does 12-step work. I mean, it's, that's stupid. That, that, that's crazy like this. And so what he would do is he would force me uh, uh, over... Um, uh, he'd force me to go do it. And I didn't want to do it, and I did it, and my life was, was transformed. Uh, guys, I can't, I can't, I, I'm trying to put this into perspective like this because some of you guys have experienced it. You know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. The, the moment I got off my rear end and started doing something for somebody else in the rooms, the moment I stopped saying, I've had a crappy day, I need a meeting. The moment I stopped saying that and I started saying, in a couple of minutes I get to go down to the meeting hall and try to help some folks. The minute, the moment that it shifted off me and what I wanted, what I thought I could get, the moment it, that I made the, the distinction, everything began to shift and my life got instantly transformed into something that was worth living. 
It's an amazing thing. Some of us, some of you guys make life pretty tough going like this, and some of you are, will stay frustrated just like I was because you can't, you can't hear what you need sitting in a bunch of meetings and you're staying frustrated. You, you, so a lot of times we want our sobriety to come from an external source like that, and it, it, it's not going to happen. Sobriety, true emotional sobriety, this cool stuff that makes you get up in the morning excited to, to be alive, this stuff comes from an internal thing that happens once we do something which looks like, let's see if we can kill self. Let's see if we can demolish ego. Let's see if we can set aside everything that, that makes me want to stay comfortable. Because listen, we'll talk about it some tomorrow like that, but isn't at the end of the day, this, isn't this the big problem with most 12-step work? I don't want to be uncomfortable. I'm afraid you're going to ask me something I don't know. I'm I'm a, I'm afraid that 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 maybe I'll mess this up. Um, I don't. Let's see. Reruns of Storage Wars or going to the Sally to carry a message. Storage Wars. Or, I don't think I've seen that Storage Wars. I, I think I'll 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 stay in. Really? We have an opportunity to change and affect life like nothing else in the universe. A chance to do something so profound that it would change everything in another person's life, and we're going to choose storage wars? Really? I'm not judging it, guys. I did it for a long time. Long before there were storage wars, there was... I mean, I, they got a gig one time like that that they wanted me to go to, and they'd been asking me and asking me, and finally they stopped asking me. And one night on a Friday night, I was sitting at home watching cartoons on TV. Cartoons on TV. And it made perfect sense at the time. Perfect sense. Did I have a little moment of guilt? Yeah. But there's some badass cartoons, man. I need to. I need to. It, it's just. It's just amazing to me. And I and I watch what happens, and I watch the way that this thing sets up, and I and I see these guys, uh, uh, and I see the lives transformed. Um, I can't tell you. There's not a week goes by that I don't get text messages or emails or personal visits from people that I talked to ten years ago at some of those wind-up joints in Dallas, and they'll walk up and go, "Yeah, I know you don't remember me, but." And they'll tell me about when I met them and this kind of stuff. And I'm just going like, could anything be sweeter than to know that you had a hand, had a part in uh, transforming somebody's life? It's, it's, an, it's an amazing deal. The, 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 your ego says, I don't want to do it because I'm going to feel uncomfortable. And, and what you have to do is, for some of us, you have to just simply believe that there's enough of us that, that love you enough already to tell you the truth. i got nothing to gain except maybe a healthier fellowship. But in the bigger picture, uh, nobody pays me to tell you um, that if you'll get off your dead butt and go help somebody, that your life will be transformed. Um, and yet we still have people that don't want to sponsor, people that don't want to do this, people don't want to rock on. The only thing standing between you and the life that you dreamed of is your own ego, your own arrogance, and comma, your old, own old ideas. You see, and this is part. This is part of what we're going to do. We'll, we'll spend a bunch of time tomorrow talking about this idea of how to get clear of some of these old ideas that are set up like this. Old ideas can be a lot of things, guys. A lot of things. Like, do you ever stop and think about this thing? I mean, we're 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 uh, scout honor. I'm almost done. We, we're, honest. We're. Um, do you ever stop and think about how often um, we find ourselves in a situation where where how many of you think that you're born a bigot? You're not. We learn how to be a bigot. We learn how to hate. We learn what jealousy looks like. We learn how to lie. We learn how to be dishonest. We learn these are things that we and 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 for a long time, guys, these can work to our advantage. And so we hone them, practice them, we work on them, just like it was a musical instrument we were trying to 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 to, to learn how to play. And it's the craziest thing. And it's no wonder that some of us get here 
sober up and then look in the mirror and go, holy sh... What is that standing there? Because how many of you guys thought that every character defect you had was connected to uh, booze and dope? Me. I thought, I thought the moment I put all that stuff down that, that my wife was going to say, there's the man I've always wanted. <laughs> and what she did was she looked at me seven years sober and she said, Myers, you put the cray in crazy. You, you are a fruitcake. And, and she was right. She was right. And so the hard part was this was unraveling all this stuff and unlearning a bunch of old ideas, and that's pretty uh, that's pretty cool. Like that, it's, it's a, a you'll you'll see a life uh, transformed like that, and then you will look at yourself sometime, and you won't even know yourself. Other people will. It'll usually come through somebody else first, and they're going to go, "Golly, you used to be the most selfish guy I ever saw in my whole life, and now you're not." Remember how many how many of you guys would lie even when it was easier to tell the truth? I mean, sometimes the disease takes you into this kind of stuff. Sometimes that's part of, of, of just being our survival instinct is, is tied to this sometimes. But the reality of this stuff is I'll never forget when my wife told me why not. She said, Myers, she said, you have no idea how cool it is. I'm always delighted that you don't drink and do that other crap anymore. I'm, all, I'm, I'm so excited that you're there. But i got to tell you, the fact that I can trust you to be where you're going to be and say what you, mean what you say is, is the most amazing thing in the whole wide world. And I get to travel all over the world, and I get to be gone a whole lot like this. And I asked her one time, I said, do you ever worry about me? And she said, nope, for two reasons. And I said, what is that? And she says, A, you're the ugliest guy in the room, so I don't worry about you with girls anymore. And I started laughing, and I said, what's the other one? And she said, because you're an honest man. And I went, holy shit. He's right. She's right. I love you guys. Let's go, let's go do this. Let's go, uh, let's go smoke a fast one, and we'll come back in a few minutes like this, and Chris will do this. Thank you. Howdy. Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah. Everybody in there? All them speak. I, you know, I don't know what I can tell you. I won't have a voice tomorrow if I got to scream too loud. Everybody back in? My name is Chris. Very grateful, recovered alcoholic. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, thank you guys for coming back after Myers beat you up. There you go. He's my brother. It's I got to tell you guys, it's so so good to be in the South. I mean, we can talk about shooting people and squirrel turds and get laughs. You just can't do that in part of the country. Right? That's just the way it is. So anyway, we're uh, we're delighted. Uh, to be able to do this, I, I, I'm going to reiterate some stuff that Myers said, and uh, and hopefully we can uh, we cannot cover too much of the same area. But uh, gosh, I would I would so enjoy doing these kind of deals because exactly the same reason that Myers said. Uh, a lot of times you go in and you do an hour talk, and you never get a chance to visit. You know, what did you hear me say? You know, this, that, and the other, and it's like. Yeah, I'm sitting there thinking while Myers is talking, and a lot of times over the years, um, I got sober November 13th, 87. I've been and ended up speaking from podium soon after, and it's just like been nonstop ever since. And and I, I get a chance to do a bunch of this, and and I'm I'm honored to do it. I'm gonna try to slow this down in the next couple of years, uh, but I. Getting a chance to do these workshop type deals where we can slow down a little bit, we can talk about this, and we can visit at the breaks, and we can we got all day tomorrow we can spend and, and answer some questions. We're going to do Q and A's tomorrow after each one of these steps we're talking about. So if you guys have some questions, but it's just so much nicer than just doing a talk and then leaving. It's just it. You know, I want y'all to understand exactly what Meyer said and exactly what I'm going to say. Is I, 
we're not up here just bashing AA and trying to be controversial. This is not. It's just, the only thing that we can do is try to share our experience. And I, I'd like to really make sure you all understand that. And I'm, in the morning when we get to talking about first step stuff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reiterate because there will be some people that weren't here tonight that will be here in the morning. And I just want to make sure you all understand. I, I, I want to share my, my experience. Y'all, y'all know um, I, I was in an old Vietnam bar one time. I've talked about it from podiums before, and I, I, uh, I, I knew the, the lady that owned it, and I, I could go in there and drink for free. And I had this, this uh, some of y'all might have noticed that I'm, I'm, I'm blind in one eye. I got a black eye patch. So I think some of y'all think it's a prop. Uh, yeah, don't start the pirate stuff. I'll crawl right up your butt. I just, I don't like it for shit. Anyway, anyway. Uh, we'll, we'll go one of these little guys with a cane and say, wait, what's up, peg leg? No, wait. Well, nobody's going to do that, but the pirates always get the get the heat. You know. Anyway, anyway, I'm in this bar and we're talking, and it seems so convenient to to present myself as a Vietnam vet, you know, because I'm in this bar and I've got a black eye patch, and they're buying free drinks, and it's like, but I, you know, it's like Myers talking. I can't shut up, you know. And so I'm talking, and it becomes quite obvious after a couple of beers that I've never been out of the state of Texas at the time, and um, and they didn't appreciate me misrepresenting myself, and um, I had the worst butt whipping of my life. A guy in a wheelchair beat me up. You'd think all you'd have to do is move, you know, but I... He kind of caught me on my blind side, don't you know? And uh, Y'all think I'm lying. I, yeah, I, I can still hear him say, roll, the guy's egging him on, roll over him again, Jackson. I, he, uh, that was a fine bar. But I learned my lesson about talking about stuff you don't know nothing about. And we got a lot of people in AA, got a lot of people in the world, period, that want to talk about something they've got no experience with. It's what drives me crazy. Y'all, y'all ever sit in an AA meeting and they were talking about the four-step and the little guy first off, well, you know, I haven't actually done a four-step, but uh-uh, that our group will shut you down in a heartbeat. We'll stop you in a heartbeat. Yeah, because we want to hear about it if you had an experience. If you don't have an experience with it, then, then you'd be quiet. Knowledge versus experience. It's just we're not here to listen to you ramble. We're, that's eh. share your experience with us. My experience is that uh, I had a real problem getting to Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, once I got here, I dang near died. And that's just my story. And I'm I got to tell you now, I've, uh, I've worked in the industry, treatment center industry, for a long time. I do clerical work for a, for a, a treatment center, and I, I have for twenty plus years. Uh, I. I we contact alumni, we network a whole bunch, and I'm not a marketer, I'm not a clinician, I'm an administrator for this place I work, and that's what, what I do. And it's, Some of us that speak from the podiums, you got to work someplace where they'll look the other way while you're gone all the time. So uh, I'm grateful that these guys let me do it. But one of the things that I saw over a 20-year period in the industry is a lot of people coming into the rooms... Uh, um, uh, I've seen it a million times. You know, these little guys will come out of detox and they're all fried pie. You know how it is in, in treatment. They, you get there and if you're not loaded, they'll get you loaded. You know, they're going to get you a baseline and medicate you like a dog. And you, after a couple of days, and you start coming out of the haze a little bit. And I usually grab them, take them down, get them something to eat, get to know them a little bit, see see what they're about, where they're from. So maybe I can hook them up with some people like you when they get out. And how, that's what I, part of what I do. And uh, for free and for fun with that nonsense. And uh, uh, I, I've done it a thousand times and they'll get up there and they'll start looking around and they'll see the steps on the wall and the traditions. We're, I'm, we're all 12-step stuff in our, in our treatments. And they'll see big books laying around and he says, oh man, no. I mean, I figured for this kind of money, we'd do something besides AA. 
I said, brother, I'm, I'm a whole bunch of years sober in AA. I mean, this, this is, this business work. He said, no, no, no. I know it works for some. I've tried AA. It doesn't work. And then I got to talk to him a little bit. And it, and without exception, I get the same story. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days and I got drunk. Okay. But you didn't try AA. And a lot of people, you're not nodding your head because you're not digging what I'm saying. I'm saying we got literature out there that contradicts this left and right. Guys, this is what I did for seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous. Go to meetings for a while, relapse, follow my butt, come back in, get blamed because I didn't want it bad enough. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Guys, the last time I picked up a desire chip, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, nobody applauded. I bet you I've got some of you in here the same same damn thing, you know. It used to be, you know, oh, welcome back. You know, about the millionth time of that. Nice. Buddy, could you bring some of them chips back? You're bankrupting this group. <laughs> and i got to tell you, every time I came back, guys, I, I wanted it. It's, it's one of the things that drives me crazy. Every time a, a newcomer relapses, it's because he didn't want it bad enough. Could it possibly be that we're doing a lousy job in some parts of the world conveying the message of hope that the, that the old, some of the old timers got. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just saying. Bill Wilson, there's a great little, little, I've got some stickers later. I'll, I'll, I'll drag them out if I can find them. Uh, uh, it was in a, in a letter in uh, Bill's, uh, as Bill sees it, there's a little excerpt from that letter. And in that letter, in 1942, he wrote it. He, Bill said, our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. I'll say it again. Bill Wilson in 1942 is writing this letter. That's why I put it on these stickers. We can stick them on our little books so that we can remember. Our chief responsibility, we get to do a lot of other stuff in AA, but my chief responsibility is to, is to, is to guarantee that newcomer has an adequate presentation of the program. What's an adequate presentation mean? Adequate presentation needs to mean more than keep coming back. It works if you work it. That's not adequate. That doesn't tell me anything. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just trying to say that these little one-liners cause my hair to catch on fire sometimes. If that's not adequate. Adequate is, is I mean, I'm sitting around Alcoholics Anonymous in and out for seven years and I can't get sober and, and I don't understand that it's about the 12 steps. I don't understand it's about a spiritual experience. I just think if I keep coming to enough meetings, I'm going to get sober. And again, it's what Meyer said and I'm just going to repeat it. There's a lot of people out there that get sober that way. We're going to talk about it tomorrow when we talk a lot about the first step stuff, but this is a progressive illness. And I know lots of people early on in their illnesses, guys, how many of y'all remember when you could drink with it pretty much impunity? I could drink, I wasn't getting arrested, I wasn't taking my clothes, I wasn't doing any crazy stuff. You, you follow? I eventually did some, some of that, you know? Especially the nudity. What is that about? What is it about when you... you... It's just... I wouldn't do it now. I wouldn't do it now. I don't, but I... <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, we want to share a little bit with you about our experience. And like I said, guys, I've said it from a thousand podiums. I know I've shared the podium with Larry in here and Amanda and a bunch of y'all in here. We've got a chance to... Uh, 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 Dennis and Sissy over here and all the crazy... I mean, y'all all get hear me say it. I, if, if you can't reconcile it with a big book, hold it suspect at least. You're so free to agree with what we say from this podium and tomorrow in the workshop. If your sponsor's sitting up here and telling you one thing and we're telling you another, your sponsor's right. I, I don't have any truck with it. <laughs> you're going to die if you're not careful, but I'm going to, you know, 
I don't have a truck. I mean it. No joke. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing. I'm just, our experience is, and, and, and some of y'all can jive with it. I've got a, a, a counselor at this place I work just recently. He said, Chris, people on this campus, they, they mimic your story. He, he thinks what they're doing is hearing my story and then sharing their story to, to match mine. And it's like, are you nuts? Guys, you don't realize how many people can relate to what we're talking about. Seven years in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, how many of you guys have, have, have relapsed a time or two? Raise your hand. It's, it's not a requirement. There's a lot of you. How many of you came one time and stayed sober from the very beginning? There you go. A bunch of us. That's ideal. That's what we're supposed to do. But understand some of us, you know, Thousands of emails, thousands of, 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 of phone calls over the last 20 years of people who, who, who can identify with what we're talking about. We're not, again, I'm not taking cheap shots at AA. I'm saying if, if you're getting the clear message of hope out of the big book, what, what is the message that we're supposed to be carrying? Is the 12 steps and the ensuing spiritual experience that you can, that you can recover from alcoholism. And if you're not getting that message, then it's what we call, the big book calls, middle-of-the-road solution. And it's okay. If, if that works for you, rock on. I got a guy that, I, that I've, I've had run-ins with over the years, thousands of times. He's just the nicest guy in the world. And he loves AA as much as I love AA. I guarantee you, there's nobody out there that loves AA more than him. He's been in a meeting every day for 30 years. How cool is that? I don't know if he has a job or a family. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, but I think the message sometimes that we carry, and we're going to talk about it this week, is if all I'm carrying is a message of go to meetings and don't drink, then, then we're giving, that's middle of the road hell right there. That's a message that, 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 that's not adequate presentation of the program. You might be able to do that. Y'all follow? But the real alcoholic, and that's who I'm talking to. That, that's the person that I care about, is the little cat that can't get sober. Listen, if I'm talking to this little cat, Myers alluded to it earlier. If I'm talking to this guy and he's brand spanking new and he wants to get sober, and I don't tell him the solution, shame on me. If I tell him the solution and he doesn't do it, shame on him. you all agree? But guys, I've, I've said it from a gazillion podiums. Getting sober under the best of circumstances is a bear. Can I get a witness? I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, you, you finish the detox and then exactly what Myers is talking about, all this crazy stuff starts coming up and that person that you didn't want to be all along raises up. And Bill Wilson talks about the bedevilments on page 52. You know, the, 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 the irritable, restless discontent, the trouble in personal relationships, the low self, this feeling of uselessness, no sense of direction, fear, worry, depression. Oh my God, that's sober. Well, I mean, it, it, that's, a, that's tough. Best case scenario, this is a bear. I don't care how good your treatment is. I don't care how great your thorough your detox was. I don't care how cool your group is, how big it is, how fancy it is, whatever. If you don't get the solution to know what to do in order to participate in your own recovery, to get spiritually connected, you're not going to stay sober. i got to tell you guys, if, if, you, if you can't hear the solution... I just agree with Myers in this deal. I think that somebody needs to take some responsibility when a newcomer comes in and we don't tell him how to get well. 
uh, like I said, some, a lot of thousands of people will come to our fellowship, hear the solution, say it's not for me, and leave. I uh, I got no no problem with that. I understand. I, my heart goes out to the people that I've treated a thousand times who come back in the room and say, I've tried AA, it doesn't work. And then you talk to them and you find out all they ever did was go to a lot of meetings. Meetings don't treat alcoholism. For the recorded record and for everybody in this room, did anybody in here hear me say meetings are not important? Because I didn't say that. I would never say something so stupid. Ever. The fellowship is such a big part of my life. We're going to talk about it. We have this little circle triangle business. I want to get out of the way tonight, and tomorrow we're going to talk about this, this physical craving in the middle of session. So we're going to talk about what alcoholism looks like and uh, 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 help some of you guys, maybe who are sitting in here on the fence, for heaven's sakes. But the opportunity for us to get in there and, and actually help somebody understand their truth. Uh, Bill Wilson was so crystal clear when he, when he, understand, when he, when he understood and, and, and conveyed the message to us that those of us that have been through the ringer are the ones that are most likely to be able to get the little cat's attention. We can help alcoholics. And listen, let me get this out of the way in case I say drugs too. Because I, 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 I know some of you little dope beats snuck in the back door. And I just know it. <laughs> I can tell by looking at some of you that you've got a lot more... <laughs> A lot more going on than just alcohol. But I, right now we're seeing thousands of people relapsing around prescription medication. I mean, our, our fellowship is just riddled with them. So we're not going to get specific about that. But we, but I just, if you're a little dope fiend in here, welcome. That's all I is. We love you. We love you too. <laughs> the the solution is the same for you. I don't, this we'll, we'll move on quick. The the uh, I happen to qualify for a whole bunch of fellowships and uh, twelve step husband and um gosh guys the last count I saw I saw a list the other day uh, somebody sent me an email there's over 260 twelve step fellowships out there that use our twelve steps Alcoholics Anonymous these are the ones that AA has given permission to use the twelve steps on I mean 260 fellowships guys I mean if you're having trouble molesting chickens listen I. <laughs> I got some good news and bad news. Good news is you can get well too. <laughs> bad news is we ain't going to lunch. <laughs> Sorry. Why would so many of these fellowships be trying to use these 12 steps if it didn't work? Because, guys, we know it works. My problem is sometimes is that we use the language that presents this as an option. You see, if I could get spiritually connected without the steps, I would have done that in the church. And I know some people that can do that. I didn't have much luck doing that. If, if, if I could do this just by sitting in a room, then I'd shut my mouth. And i got to say this real quick, because I, I may, may forget later. Some of the stuff that, one of the things that Meyer said that was so telling to me, and so specific, is why... Some people always talking about our passion. Oh, Chris Raymer, you, you and Myers, you're, you're so passionate about recovery. And we are. And I, let me be the first to tell you, it's not because we're not drinking one day at a time. Not knocking that. I'm just saying, not drinking doesn't fill me with this kind of passion. Why, why I'm so excited about this is the simple fact that... See, let me paint a picture to you. If what we do in our room is the only thing we have to do in order to have a successful day is not drink then I'm painting an incorrect picture for you. Because I could stay sober for periods of time. 
Early in my illness, I could put weeks and months together and not drink. Give me a give me a job or a, a woman. Oh my God, I could I can I can stay I can stay sober for two weeks for for the ugliest woman in the room. <laughs> I couldn't couldn't stay sober much longer than that for the prettiest woman in the room. Come to think of it, but but still, you know, I, that's given sufficient reason, I can stay sober for short periods of time. We'll we'll talk more about that tomorrow. But guys, I got to tell you, sobriety without ease and comfort, sobriety without freedom, is not sobriety. It's dry time. It's what's what. Yeah. That's, that's why I, I, I get I, I have problems sometimes with some folks that want to argue about this recovered recovering thing. You know, I got to be the first to tell you going in the door, guys. I'm a recovered alcoholic. A couple of weeks into this, I recovered, and and the obsession to use lifted, and I'm still a bozo, and 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 got. I'm not a perfect example of what this fellowship is about, but but I believe the promises that Bill Wilson tells us in the 10th step come true. On 132, when it says you have recovered, we have recovered and been given the power to help others, is true. Treatment centers are the ones that started this. We'll always be recovering. And some of you are not laughing because you're saying it still. And I'm just saying there's a big movement out there. A lot of people, guys. I was sharing this from the podium 20 years ago. And if you introduce yourself as recovered, you'd have a lineup of people come up and say, you're wrong. And now we get one or two. It used to be a whole half of a room. Y'all make sense? Some of the best hope we can give the newcomer is that, by God, you can get well. So we got we just start claiming the gift. I think if Bill Wilson meant that every day we're going to be sick and every day's a day we could relapse and we're going to be recovering the rest of our lives, I think he would have written it in the book. He didn't. Title page of the book: story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And everybody thinks, oh, what's the point? It's a big deal. It's it's a moot point. I think it, I think it's not a moot point. I think it's it's valid to start this with a clear understanding that this is for keeps. Guys, I could stop doing the work and get sick. I've watched I've watched dozens of circuit speakers. Larry, some of the guys that I speak with, Sissy, we we know all of us know people out there who've gotten sick and relapsed. I'm not taking a shot at them. I could get sick again. But if I keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing in this circle triangle, we'll talk about in a second, I'm going to stay on rock-solid ground. That's my story. That's my experience. With the hundreds of men I've sponsored, that's my story. A lot of hope there. Treatment centers don't want you to hear that. You're a good customer. You come back six or seven times. One of the reasons I say it from the podium too is I get a lot of new people coming in. We got a lot of young people coming in. And I gotta tell you, one of the problems with young people is getting them to understand, to buy into this. Who wants to be a part of the fellowship that requires you to be sick the rest of your life? I, I, I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be well. And Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob wrote extensively about that. So, I, I, don't come up after him the daily reprieve and all this. We've all been through it. I don't want to talk to you about it. Just If you want to stay that way and introduce yourself that way, that's perfectly okay with me. The big book tells me on page 92 to introduce myself to the newcomer as a man who has recovered. Those are exact marching orders in the book that tells me what to do. Just say it. <laughs> Myers and I, uh, 
we, uh, we were born out in Odessa, out in the oil field. My father was a printer, one of the finest craftsmen I've ever known in my life. And uh, my mother was a professional artist. She's still alive today. She's, she's 90 and, and uh, she's just, she's amazing. Uh, just absolutely amazing. And uh, uh, we've got a, a little sister and a half sister and, and uh, we caught the genetic bullet. Like he alluded to, my pops was an alcoholic. He was the kindest, nicest guy. I don't think I ever saw him get crazy. But he he was like what we call a periodic. He would stay sober for long periods of time. Uh, he did some stints in AA and stayed sober for periods of time. And then he, something would happen. The barometric pressure would change. Something. It just it didn't seem to matter what would happen. And, and he would twist. We would know we were in for a siege because he would go and buy a six pack, not a case. He would buy a six pack of Slitz beer. As far as I'm concerned, you have to be a drunk to drink Slitz beer. But do they still make that, Ralph? Do they? Okay, never mind. Anyway, that's what he would do. He'd, he'd, he'd buy a six-pack and he'd come home with it and he says, oh, here we go again. Because he would start and he'd be off to the stupid races. He never missed a day of work, never got arrested, never did a bunch of crazy... Y'all follow? But, but he was impaired. And he was... And i got to say it without crying. He was a, not a happy camper most of his life. He was uncomfortable in his skin. Uh, I want to be like that. We started drinking in high school. Family drank. You know, it was it was cool in the hill country. It was just my mom and dad. They said, well, you know, we we, we, we know you're going to drink, so go ahead and go, and you'll go out to the property and get a keg of beer, and you all drink out there. And, you know, just, just be careful. And we did. And uh, we were okay. And, and uh, I'll never forget my first drink was uh, a bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine. And I'm... Buddy, I speak all over the world, and I get that same reaction everywhere. I know it's a, you can feel the love. Come on, guys, and you guys that are not doing it, you never tried it, okay? I just, I'm not encouraging you to do that, but next time, if you have the chance, it's not that it tastes good, it's just crap, but it, it's pretty. It's just the color green that you've never seen in nature. There's no grape in it. I don't know what kind of chemicals they put in it, but anyway, you drink, we bought a little bottle like this. I don't know what, well, I don't remember the, it's just it was a little small bottle. And I was going to split it with a friend of mine. And we were, this is the first time I had sips of pops, drinks, beers, and stuff like that. And I thought, this is the first time we had some alcohol. This was ours, and we were going to go drink it, me and a buddy of mine. And we leaned up against a big old cypress tree up in, up in uh, the hill country. And, and uh, he took a pull, and I took a pull, and he spit it out, and uh, he didn't like it. And I took another pull, and he took another. I said, don't spit this out. And, you know, if you're not going to drink it, don't just, but don't waste it. I mean, this is all we got. And, uh, Already greedy. <laughs> oh my God! I hadn't even discovered drugs yet. That was one of the deals. That was one of the deals when we were growing up. Now, I got to tell you real quick, guys, because I, I, we made a commitment. We had a bunch of our, our high school friends got arrested for smoking pot, and I made a deal at that time with God. I says, if we don't get arrested this summer, I'm never going to do another illicit drug. And buddy, I got to tell you, for a whole bunch of years, I didn't. I, you know, I had the power to not do that, but I never could do that with alcohol. Despite the deal. Anyway, he left. He didn't want any more of it. And I finished the rest of it and went home. And I'm walking across that field behind our house. And, and I'm walking back to the house. It's about 11 o'clock at night. Big old full moon up. Colder than hell. It was January 1971 when I took my first drink. The year Bill Wilson, the co-founder, passed away, I took my first drink. Ah, would love to have met that man. And I'm walking across that field, and I remember thinking, still to this day, I still remember how that felt, and I still remember exactly saying these thoughts. Now I know why pop strings. And I went home, and I, again, again, I didn't, I, didn't, I just knew that I was going to do this every chance I had 
Every weekend, whatever I could, uh, opportunity to drink, I did, guys. And then for years, I didn't pass out. I didn't, I didn't do a bunch of crazy stuff. And this is, this is what so many people don't understand. I know some of you in here, I sponsored a guy one time that, that had uh, two DWIs. He drank twice. Well, I mean, it was just absolutely not, it just no, there's, there was no, where's the fairness in that? I mean, he had no social period of drinking at all. I mean, I had a whole bunch of years. I was in the food business and the, as a professional chef, cooks, you, you could drink on the job. They didn't give a rat's butt. If you showed up and did your job, they didn't care how much you drank. It was pretty cool. And the guys with the big white hats got laid a lot. Anyway, I'm just saying. <laughs> And got free beer. I went there. It was the heaven on earth. And uh, I was pretty talented, guys, in that in that industry. And I we uh, we left the hill country as soon as we could. And um, uh, I I went to Houston. And uh, I got an apprenticeship program there at the at what back then was the Houston Oaks Hotel, and it's it's now the Weston and, and uh, down at the Galleria. And uh, uh, ended up a few years later in Austin. And a few years later, I ended up in Atlanta. I traveled around a whole bunch. It was was pretty good at what I did as a craftsman. Most of the alcoholics that I know in this world are, are talented beyond belief, um, uh, except for that old alcohol thing. You know, we 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 do a pretty good job. And um, and that's been my experience. I'm not just saying that. It's just a lot of people in AA have never found that talent because they got sidetracked with the alcohol. But it's one of my big soapboxes to try to help people get excited about their life again. And uh, anyway, uh, I... Uh, I remember calling my mom one time, and I was in Houston, and I was drinking. And she, you know, she didn't comment so much on it. I kind of held it away from her about what we were doing, and, and uh, uh, I wanted to get out. I wanted to, to, to leave town. I was drinking too much, and, and uh, she said, "Well, I need to get sober again. I need to." And she said, "Where do you want to go?" And I said, "Well, Austin, Texas." And she she wired me five hundred dollars so I could move to Austin. It's like there's no alcohol in Austin, Texas. Y'all understand? I mean, it was my first geographical cure. We were trying to do this, and I watched so many people try to do this. Talking to a family member this afternoon, she said, well, I think our daughter shouldn't come home. I think our daughter should go someplace else. Again, it's a geographical. Bop till you drop. It might work. But, but at the end of the day, you can't blame your drinking to your external circumstances. This little guy we drove up here, this is a little issue man. The little center spot up there is his little heart. This is his, the little spiritual malady that we need to talk about. I'm going to here. Those little X's are the little outside issues that we can't stop talking about. Uh, it's got nothing to do with my drinking. So, and we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Some of y'all absolutely will not agree with that because you believe your drinking is connected to that. And I'm just going to, I'm going to submit for your consideration. I go to this counselor, right? She said, he said, buddy, why are you drinking so much? This is that girl. I mean, mm-hmm. what? She, she won't go out with me. Yeah. Yeah. And then she married me. Chris, you're still drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I've told it from a thousand podiums. I'll never forget asking God out in front of a bar. He used to tin bar. I said, God, if you could let this woman marry me, I'm going to be okay. I'll quit drinking. Everything. I'll get a. I'll just. Uh, I need to put some roots down. God, help me out here. And two weeks later, we're married. I got them old rented boat shoes in the in the in the closet. You know, I'm we're, and I'm sitting there watching her eat them Cheerios and shoveling them in them. I said, God, if you could just kill this woman, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> She's a sweetheart. It had nothing to do with her. Y'all understand? But at the end of the day, I'm so uncomfortable inside, it's not even funny. And I haven't made the connection that it's the alcoholism that's causing the problem. Can, y'all, can we get on that same page real quick? Alcohol's not the problem. We'll talk more about it tomorrow. Alcoholism's the problem. 
You think it's the same thing. It's not. Because, guys, most of us in here have been detoxed before. When I stop drinking, I get worse, not better. Yeah. So, and some of y'all want to visit about that. We can, we can, we can sure share. Because I'd like to. The, um, I don't remember where we were. I'd come back to Houston. I always ended up coming back to Houston. Uh, uh, in the in the in the moves, I, I don't. I still drive a pickup, you know, because you never know when you got to move again. I don't know. It's just inbred in me. It's just because I'm convinced if I can get someplace that I won't be a problem. And and uh, uh, and it's always me. Uh, but I've got a great work ethic got from my father, and uh, Myers can attest to that. I mean, we. I, I'm I'm the first at work and the last to leave, and I've never missed a day's work in all my drinking ever, uh, ever. Ever. I ain't robbing liquor stores. I ain't doing all the crazy stuff. But I'm up in North Texas. We moved closer because I figured if I can get closer to Myers, I could stay sober. And I got a job at a country club. And he turned out to be a, a lush just like me and was not a good ma- match. And anyway, I came home. I'd been doing some outside issues one night. And, and uh, uh, I was high as a kite, and uh, I'd done a bunch of stuff, and, and I was drinking a bunch, and I came home, and she said something, and I pushed her, and uh, it was one of those deals. I'm on a West Texas boy, guys, up on the front row of the Baptist church, and I'm not a, um, you might get physical with some loudmouth in a bar, but you don't touch a woman, ever, and and I did. I, I didn't, I used to pat myself on the back, and I didn't punch her. I, I scared her to death. I pushed her against the wall, and uh and she'd never seen me like that. She'd seen me drunk a bunch of times, but she'd never seen me that nuts. And uh, uh, after all the dust settled, uh, she said, what was that about? And I said, I was loaded to the... Gi- I, I'm sorry. She said, you know, you got real clear here. We're, 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 we're only together a few years now, and I'm not going to spend the rest of my life getting worried about getting shoved around. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to play this game. I love you, and I'll stay with you, but, but we're going to have to make some changes. And I told her that night. I, says, I said, listen, I... I uh, I'm going to quit. And, uh, uh, and I meant it with every fiber in my body. i got to stay there for a minute because usually somebody laughs real loud. I know alcoholics, uh, you hear it all over AA, you know, oh, if an alcoholic's mouth's moving, he's lying. That's not been my experience. My experience is, and I think it's disrespectful. I, I, I just do. I, alcoholics are no, no more dishonest than anybody else. I mean, under the influence, we can be goofy we can't be dishonest i'm not but i don't think there's any more propensity for us to do stupid stuff than half the people out there you know it's the way we're raised just like what myers is talking about and that's the nature of the beast with drugs and whatever it's we break the law it y'all understand where i'm at i I just when i told her that i was going to quit i meant it with every fiber in my body see what i didn't understand was and so many people that come to treatment don't understand and so many family members out there don't understand so many people sitting in AA don't understand is that I don't have the power to manage the decision to stay stopped. If you can stop given sufficient reason, you're not an alcoholic. I realized what I was doing to my kids and I put the plug in the jug and I've never had another drink. How cool is that? I'm not going to question whether you are or not. I'm just trying to say what the book tells me is that if you can stay sober on a non-spiritual basis, you're not one of us. That's what the book says. Bottom page 34. 
We can talk about it tomorrow. I, I'm just I'm just saying my external world exacerbates the daylights out of it. Y'all follow? But I'm just saying I quit for work before, I quit for a boss before, I quit for that wife before. Two weeks later I came home and I'd been drinking. I didn't get drunk. My deal I just it, it was clear. I was gonna go to the bar with this guy, chef downtown. We were gonna have a couple of Jaegers, that was it. One maybe one beer that we were done. I came home, I'd been drinking. She saw me get out of the car. I was not drunk. Y'all understand I was I was under the influence, but I was not loaded by any stretch of the imagination. I'm patting myself on the back because I didn't get drunk. And she went to the bedroom and packed. She said, my deal with you was that we weren't going to touch another drop of alcohol. And two weeks later, you come home and you've been drinking. And she left. And I'd like to say I got sober. I didn't. But I did go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I had five more years of drinking. And I go to AA, my first meeting. I'm not going to beat it to death because Myers did a pretty good job explaining what, what happens. I went to the AA meeting. It was the same as like I've seen it. I walked in and everybody's sitting around the room and I remember it was real dark and there was, a, there was steps on the wall. You kind of walked in and kind of get your eyes adjusted. And it was, oh my God, it was just, and there was, there was like an old geezer laying in a, in, a, in, a, in a recliner. You know, like one of those, what do you call it? I always... For, forget what they're called. You know what I'm talking about. Easy chair. He sat up real quick, scared the shit out of him. And it, it was like, it had this light like psycho. You know, hit it and the light's moving like that. And I'm going, I've been drinking. I'm freaked out. I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous but I come, I, I, I think, I don't think I've ever shared this from the podium but I think I'm going to, I think we I think we ought to go into every AA club and if there's an easy chair in there that you can lay down in like a, like a bum, we need to get rid of it. You ever gone to somebody else's group and sit in the wrong chair? You can't sit there. Why? Because the pooba sits there. And I was like, all right, rock on. We don't tell the newcomer that sometimes. But anyway, this guy sits up and he says, do you, do you have a desire not to drink? And I said, yes. What he's doing is not qualifying me for as an alcoholic. He's qualifying me for membership in the fellowship. And he has every right to do that. This is back in the day, guys, in the 80s. We had all these little crack monsters coming into our rooms. And, you know, and this guy wants to make sure that his meeting stays pure. Like a bunch of drunks is okay, but we don't want any of them crackheads in our room. And I, 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 I don't have any truck with that. I don't have, but that's what he did. He qualified. Do you have a desire not to drink? And I said, well, I'm drinking now. He said, that's okay, but do you want to quit? And I said, yeah, I want to try to do this. And he said, okay, welcome. And, and I sat there and I got a little hope there for a second. My eyes adjusted. And there was like six or seven other people in the room. Oh my God, who knew? You know, and uh, <laughs> guys, when I say that room was dark, I meant it. It was, you could, it was like, oh my God. Anyway, they went around the room. Some ladies having trouble with her husband. So we went around and we talked about domestic stuff, you know, relationship stuff. We talked to, how many of y'all ever been in a meeting? We talked about relationships. <laughs> Except I'm the little guy that Myers talked about who doesn't want to drink tomorrow. But we're not going to talk about that because we're too busy trying to fix this lady's marriage. Isn't it amazing? I just love it. I just got to take a chance with you. I'm not trying to be offensive. But can you imagine you go into a room with probably a thousand marriages represented in that room? You know what I'm saying? And you talk to them about relationships. <laughs> this guy over here has been married six times and he wants to tell you how to have, how to have a successful relationship. <laughs> it makes me laugh. Anyway. I went home at night. I popped a beer like that. She said, I thought you were going to quit drinking. She said, buddy, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. You know, she says, like, but I got to tell you, I learned a bunch of stuff tonight. We need to go to therapy because our relationship sucks. And we're going <laughs> to. 
And they're hooking me up with a good therapist, and they're doing all this. Guys, listen, let me just tell you, and I'm going to repeat one thing Mar said. There wasn't a person in that room trying to hurt me. Y'all understand that? Everybody's trying to help. Everybody's trying to be as, 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 as kind and as, as... When did it become okay not to tell the newcomer how to get well? When are we going to get around to explaining that you've got to have a spiritual experience if Bill Wilson continues to use the word if you're a real alcoholic? Because he knows that there are going to be people in here that are not real alcoholics. But if you happen to be the real McCoy, we only know one way to get well. I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous for seven years and nobody ever took me aside and showed me that. I knew it was about the steps in a, in a nebulous sort of way, but we never talked about the steps. There were no big books in the rooms I was getting sober in. I was seven years sober, seven years sober, seven years in and out of the rooms, didn't even own a big book. Had never had a sponsor. You'll follow? Okay. I'll take full responsibility. But I'm going to tell you guys, at some point, we've got to stop blaming the newcomer for not getting well. I sponsor little guys like that, buddy, and we got him a little big book, and he comes to that meeting, he doesn't have a big book. It's not going to be, hey, buddy, where's your big book? I says, he's going to be real serious. Like, buddy, we study the book here. Where's your book? It's in the car. Go get it. Well, I don't think you need to talk to me that way. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Blame me for loving you enough to to, to be Everybody tiptoeing around a little bit. We don't want to scare them off. What's going to scare them off? Well, the solution? Well, we're not going to... <laughs> anyway. Anyway, in and out, in and out, in and out. I can't get sober. I can put together a little sobriety and then I twist. I'm, I've always... I, you know, I get to that little place and my mind starts playing tricks with me and, you know, it's, it's, it's always that little voice. <laughs> two, three weeks out, this little voice starts talking. You could probably smoke a joint. <laughs> hate pot. H- hate it. You see, I'm sorry. You see, I know some of you lies. It's the cra- crappiest drug on earth, as far as I'm concerned, is pot. I'm just, I'm a kid of the 60s. I should have loved it. But I, who wants a drug that makes you horny and paranoid all at the same time? <laughs> horny, paranoid, and hungry all at the same time. <laughs> He's staying in the closet. You know, I can drink a case of beer, literally. I can, I can drink a, a 12 pack of beer and go to work. Y'all follow? And I can smoke a roach and, and, and I, I'm in a fetal position under the bed, you know? <laughs> Ugh, I hate it. But my head says when I'm trying to stay sober, you can do that. In North Texas, we call it the marijuana maintenance program. There's still people out there today picking up chips. Wow, man, thanks, man. For I've been sober a whole year. Scratch, scratch. Uh-uh. White smoke surrounds them, you know. Uh, if that's what you want, rock on. But anyway, anyway, I I, uh, I pretty much decided that that stuff wasn't going to work, and um, I. Uh, I ended up working for my twin brother. I, was, I had a cooking deal went bad, and I, and I was going to work for him for a short period of time. But if it hadn't been for family, I, I won't embarrass him because I always do from the podium. It's, he's just like me. He didn't want to hear any good good stuff. But, you know, 
if it hadn't been for some of our families, we'd have been dead. That's just all there is to it. I, 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 I'm a professional chef. I, I'm a card-carrying member of the Chefs Association. I, I can get a job anywhere making big bucks. And uh, I, but I'm too sick to work. I'm too. I, I can't stand that long. And uh, and they gave me a job working in the book bindery. Uh, uh, it was just going to be for a short period of time. I was there seven, eight years. And I got sober in that bindery. And uh, but I'm, I'm I'm not a happy camper. And uh, I'm not being very effective at work for him. Uh, I don't like where I live. I'm driving an old beat-up pickup truck. I, I, can't, I couldn't get. He could said he couldn't get a date with a shotgun. I couldn't get a date with a shotgun and a pocket of crack. I couldn't get a date. <laughs> We're not that homely. I don't know what it what is about, but it, we, I, it's, I'm just lonely. I remember one time in Atlanta, Georgia, in a park. Right? I don't remember where the park was, but I had an old beat-up Toyota Celica that I'd wrecked the front end on a little bit. <laughs> Let's just say parts were missing off the front of that old Toyota. That was a great little car, though, and I drove it all over the south. And uh, my first time through this with this state was in that car. But I went to this park, and I was sitting there, and I'm drinking a, 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 a brewski in this park, and I'm looking at the families and all the little kids playing. And I, guys, I don't know where I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm probably 23, 24 years old by now. And, it, and, and I start crying, just exactly like what Myers is saying. It's like, I, I am never going to have that. I mean, to, to be in your early 20s and to just give up. I, I, I know intellectually that the alcohol is part of the problem. Part, but I won't, I won't get down to that it's all of the problem. Because there's nobody going to explain what alcoholism looks like. Because we're too busy trying to scare each other into recovery with these stupid war stories. And I'm going to hit this one more time and I'm going to walk away from it. Guys, i got to tell you, there, there, there are ID meetings we just talked about and they're all very important. But i got to tell you, we kill, I tell you who we kill the most of in this fellowship is women with these stupid war stories. This idea that we somehow are going to scare. If you ever find any, if you ever find yourself sitting in a meeting saying, you don't want to end up like me, do you? you stab yourself with the closest pencil. <laughs> Come on, guys. The big book says you're not going to remember the consequences of even a week or a month ago. You're not going to remember your own stupid war stories. I've yet to have, in all of my 26 years of sobriety, uh, I've never had a single solitary person speaking for all over the world from the podiums. I've never had a single call, text, email from somebody who says, I remember you talked about eating out of a dumpster in Houston, Texas, and it stopped me from drinking. <laughs> not once. Fear is not going to stop an alcoholic from drinking. Fear might get them in treatment. Fear might get them motivated and heading them to the door, but it's not going to get you well. I'm not knocking the this, this story, exactly what Myers said. For Friday night from a podium, share your story. In a 12-step call, buddy, you've got to have a story. You can't, you can't just walk up and start talking about the big book. You've got to do this real, real selective. You've got to go talk to him about your story. He'll tell some of his stories, and pretty soon he'll understand that you've got both oars in the water, and you know what you're talking about. He'll, he'll, he'll start to listen because sooner or later in the conversation, maybe five minutes, maybe 15 minutes, maybe maybe a couple of days, he's eventually going to say, but you're not drinking now. And you go, no, easy. It's like fishing. You don't go too fast. Well, you can, you can screw it up here if you go too fast. You don't want to sound too eager because cause he's inevitably going to say, well, but how did you do it? He's opened the door, counselor. <laughs> Reel him in, you know, just hook, set the hook. You, well, have you ever been to Alcoholics Anonymous? And then you can tell him he's, he's, oh, it's heaven. Y'all follow? 
Really, man, get him in the boat. All right, we're going to take him to a meeting. The last thing, this guy, because he's pretty excited now. He thinks there's a solution in this book. He wants to go hear some, some hope. And we take him to the meeting. And they go, oh, we got a newcomer here. Let's turn this into a first step meeting. Let's tell Johnny how we got here. Let me, let me guess. You drank too much. <laughs> Y'all understand? Y'all laugh and we go back to our meetings. The problem is our meeting formats. We need to change some of these formats. Some of these meetings are okay. ID meeting occasionally, I think that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But guys, do we have to have every meeting, an ID meeting? Every meeting, we're going to tell our story. At the end of the day, the old timers, the newcomers, everybody gets tired of hearing the same story. Can you tell me how your life is better today as a result of working the steps? Can you, can you show me how your life has changed as a result of that spiritual experience? Because I want to hear it. I wanted to hear it 26 years ago. I want to hear it today. Man, I'm fixing to turn 61. i got hair growing out of my ears. I, I want to tell you something. I need some hope shared with me. I don't know. <laughs> it's right there. I'm kidding. It's just right. What the hell is that? An antenna? <laughs> Larry didn't have any hairs on his ears. Okay. Anyway, anyway, we we end up we end up uh, the women I was bring it back around trying to scare you into recovery. She's sitting there and she's in trouble. She got a little sheet, got to get a little sheet signed, and so she comes in. We got an opportunity because the court says you got to come, so we got a chance to really share some hope and tell you how your life can get better as a result of doing this one day at a time. We we can absolutely set the hook with you because you're sitting in this room, but we're not going to do that because we're going to go around and tell you how we got here, and then we're going to go around and, and, and tell everybody we're going to one up everybody. Right? This nice lady had a decent story, and that's okay. But this lady, she's got two DWIs, and this lady, she's had fourteen hundred DWIs and just got out of prison. This lady ch- killed her husband and she chopped him up in a bag and put him in like that. And this, this lady sitting right here, she's got a Louis Vuitton sitting in her lap. She's holding it closer by the minute. Oh, there's a guy with a black eye patch over in the corner. Oh my God, please don't let him shoot. And I'm going to talk about eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas. She lives in a half million dollar house on the hill. She's, been, she's, she's as much of an alcoholic as I am. But her story's different because she got here in a different way. So many of us, guys, look around the room. We all come to this room in different paths. We don't have to all just hit this bottom. Some of us come through the judicial system. Some of us are well, some of you are smart enough and pretty enough and bright enough to avoid a lot of the stupid stuff that the rest of us had to do. So you're insulated by your beauty and your money. That's, that's my one hope is that everybody coming to Alcoholics Anonymous gets stupid and poor and ugly all at the same time. <laughs> Because if you don't have any of that to fall back on, we're, we're in business. It's Anyway, I'm tired of scaring women away. They get their little sheet sign and they leave and says, you know, I thought that might help, but I'm not like those people. Because all we shared with her, with her was our stupid stories. Guys, tomorrow we're going to talk about it. If we take tell the story and connect it to a symptom of the illness, we could do them a service. If I can tell you a story and explain the phenomenon of craving, I'm doing okay. If I can tell you a story and connect it to the mental obsession, I'm doing okay. But if all I'm doing is telling you a stupid story, you're going to give me all the information I need to walk out the door. I get tired of people. Eventually, you're going to hear your story in AA. I've been around AA for 30 years. I have yet to hear my story. One-eyed ex-cook eating out of dumpsters in Houston, not once. (laughs) 
Y'all understand? I'm not trying to be sarcastic. Stop it. That's why I have a problem with the stories in the back of the book. That is not going to tell you what alcoholism looks like. It's just another story to let you off the hook. It nearly killed him because he's waiting to get as bad as me. He almost made it, i got to tell you. He did pretty good. Anyway, one cold November night, I, uh, I uh, left work. It was, it was no, there was nothing going on at work. There was no big pressure, nothing. I went and picked up some mail. I picked up my mail at my, my little apartment. My sister-in-law co-signed for me so I could get this little apartment. And I picked up the mail, and uh, uh, I did it once a month, whether I needed to or not. You follow? My credit was ruined because I just I just wouldn't pick up the mail. I mean, it's like out of out of sight, out of mind. And, and uh, anyway, I uh, uh, I picked up these stack of return checks, and I said, here we go again, you know. And I I'm 35 years old, guys, and uh, I'm I'm a mess. And I went to my little apartment, overcast, cold November night, and uh, uh, opened the return checks. And, and uh, had bounced a whole bunch of checks, including the rent check. And I'm going to have to go to my sister-in-law, Londa, and she's going to have to give me some money so I can pay these checks off. And guys, I'm just tired of doing this. Y'all, y'all, I'm just, I'm tired of letting my family down. I, I can let me down until the cows come home. Who cares? I can't even look myself in the mirror. But I'm tired of letting people that I love down. I'm just done. And nothing romantic about it. I just took a bunch of bottles of pills and uh, fed the ferrets and, and, and uh, watered a little sick ivy and stacked up the element, tried to tidy up a little bit and. Uh, uh, and down two bottles of pills. Uh, I'm just nothing romantic, no letters, goodbye crew world. I'm just sick and I've tried AA. I've been to treatment. I've been to therapy. I'm on seven medications a day, all doctor prescribed for my various disorders. Some of them are great. You chop that shit up and snort it. Oh my God, it's just... <laughs> I'm not knocking medications. I'm just saying I was. A, I, these are all doctor-prescribed medications, and I'm abusing those. And um, I'm, I'm well, anyway. I heard a voice that night said, "Don't do this. Go back to AA." And uh, it scared the day. I can remember kicking the ferret cage, thinking it was the ferrets talking. I because I'm y'all need to understand. I'm I'm not I'm unimpaired, but I'm not loaded. I'm just I, like, what is going on? But this was not a thought. Perhaps you should give this. I heard a voice that said, "Go back to AA." And uh, I've got thousands of emails from people who heard the same voice. Uh, sometimes it was a guy's voice, sometimes it was a girl's voice, but this this made myself sick, laid down on the side of the bed, conked out, and the next morning heard it again, and I, I, I'm committed that that night I'm going to go to AA. And I went to work, because that's what I do. And uh, I called the doctor, and uh, that afternoon uh, uh, I was running late from work, and I, there was a meeting I'd never been to before. I'd been outside it, because the guy that Myers was talking about, 12-step, he showed me where the meeting was. It was a, He said, this is a big book group, so don't go in there if you're not ready to do the big book, which I made a mental note, you know, don't go in there. You know, so... <laughs> Something told me intuitively that I was not going to find a date in that room. And I, but anyway, I was running late, and there was a, there was a, it was between me and the Kentucky Fried Chicken in my apartment, you know. And I was going to make that little you and go home and detox through the weekend. And uh, uh, well, first part of my spiritual experience is that I got out of that truck and I walked in the back door, and I'm detoxing. I'm less than I, I'm less than 24 hours away from that suicide attempt. And uh, and I walked in the back room and I'm I'm sh- coming apart. I'm shaking. I'm 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 a mess. And uh, everybody's laughing like we are in here. It's just like when the room where Myers is talking about. It's smoking. Everybody's got six or seven cigarettes out of their mouth. And and I walk in and 
chairperson to see me up in North Texas picking up chips. He waves, welcome back. And I'm real self-conscious. And lady over here laughs real loud and I can't do it. I just like, man, I can't, I cannot do this. And um, I don't even get to the coffee pot. And I turn around to walk out and a little girl took her finger in my belt loop. She said, sit down, cowboy, you're not going anywhere. You know, God is just all over that. If it had been him, I'd have shoved him gently out of the way. No, I, yes, I am going. Cowboy this, and I'm, I'll be out the door, you know. But it was a girl that did it. We, we, didn't, we didn't, she didn't sponsor me. We didn't date. She just, her sponsor couldn't get across the table to me. Old lady been sponsored everybody for a million years, and she knew what she was looking at. She's got a runner here, you know. The guy's not even in the door, and he's fixing to split. Get him. And this girl knew her primary purpose. Primary purpose didn't, didn't say anything about gender. It just said, help somebody that needs the help. If it, she saved my life. I don't know where she is tonight. I don't know. I hope she's well. That's all. She, she sat me down at the table and got me a roll of paper towels and a coffee cup, and I kept spilling it, and they laughing at me. Y'all thought, I wish y'all could see the courage of this. I mean, I had a big old nasty full beard like Myers has got, big old nasty. <laughs> I, I got a bunch of weight on me right here, you know, and it's just bloat. It's just, it's just a little stick with a gut. It's just, I'm, 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 I'm horrible. I'm, I'm kidney damage and liver damage diagnosed. I mean, I, I, I'm dying. And uh, that was a big joke. I, I got to tell it. It's just, you know, they, we couldn't tell if it was an eye patch or an earmuff when you first got here. <laughs> so self-conscious about that. Y'all see me adjusted about 4,000 times in talk, you know. I just like, but I mean, at the day, I mean, it's little things you don't worry about, you know. They went around the room and they shared how their life had changed as a result of the steps. Nobody told me a stupid war story. That was the chairperson. He said, let's tell Chris how our life has changed as a result of working the steps. And they went around and they talked about getting their credit cards back and getting cool jobs and getting in cool relationships and buying houses. There was a lady at the end of the table that had a sketch pad. I'm a, I'm a frustrated artist and, and I, I come from a family of good ones and I just... Best I could do is appreciate it, you know. And she was, she had gone back to school and she was sculpting. She was a sculptor and she had a little, and I just like fascinated with this stuff. Guys, I'm 35 years old and I've just tried to commit suicide. And these people are giving me the one thing that I need. And that's hope. If they'd have told me another war story, I'd have shot myself. At the end of the meeting, a guy got up next to me and he said, Chris, I need to ask you a question. He had the old nasty glasses like this, looking down over it. And he says, I got to ask you a question because my book asked me to ask you real simple. I got, I got to ask you this simple question. Uh, are you done? Oh, I don't know. He said, it's an honest answer. But I got to ask you, are you willing to try to be done? Because if I had said no, he'd have walked away. But I said, yes, yes. He said, Chris, you don't have a clue how to do this. We're going to show you real quick how to do this. We, you haven't been able to stay sober because you continue to blame everything around you for your relapses. You can't stay sober because you haven't worked the steps. If you'll sit with me a few minutes, here's one more time is exactly what Myers is talking about. This old guy didn't go home to his, to his family to dinner. He sat with me, not long, but he spent a little time with me saying, Chris, we've watched you so many times relapse. You can get sober just like we did. Let me ask you some questions. Let me show you for just a second in the book why you can't get well. Wow. 
Man, I've been in treatment before. I mean, they, you know, I've been in therapy for ten years. I mean, I, I know about inner child, and I know all about low self esteem, and I know, I know, I'm not knocking any of that. But I mean, I'll, I'll, I know why I can't stay sober. If I could get a job that paid me a whole bunch and maybe a good looking woman, I could have, you know. She said, "Will you sit?" And I said, "Yes." And he sat down and he opened his book and the circle triangle on there, and he said, "This was back in the day we had the circle triangle in our books, and um, this was '87." And uh, he opened it up and he said, Chris, I'm going to show you this because this is what we're using. We've been using this since the early days, 55, and we put this in the book. Bill Wilson brought it to us in 50 and we talked about it. We finally got it in the book. And, uh, don't get me started. We ended up taking it out about 93. We were trying to put it back. It didn't get voted in. But anyway, uh, he asked me to open it up. He said, what is recovery to you? And I've been around, guys, hundreds of seven, seven years in the program. He said, I said, I said, it's 12 steps. He said, buddy, that's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. The 12 steps. Have you worked the 12 steps? And I said, well, I'm working those 12 steps to the best of my ability, which translates to, no, I am not working the steps. <laughs> come on, guys. It's a yes or no question. And this guy got real pointed with me. He just chuckled. He said, Chris, come on, buddy. Have you worked the steps? No. I've worked some of them. You get bonus points, but you don't. But they don't work. He X'd it. <laughs> he, just, he said, that's... What's unity? I said, meetings. The fellowship. Rock on. Do you go to meet? Yes, I, meeting makers make it. He rolled his eyes and he gave me a little check. He said, okay, I'll give you that. You follow? I didn't have a home group, but I went to lots of meetings. I, check. What's service? Well, it's making coffee and emptying ashtrays. And He said, yes and no. Yes, that's part of what we do. We all do that. Somebody's got to set the chairs up. Somebody's got to vacuum the floor. Thank you for being of service with that. But our main service is what? Primary purpose, tradition five, we have but one primary purpose to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. One, one primary purpose. How many people have you sponsored in seven years? Well, none. I mean, I can't stay sober. That's why. And he gave me an X. You got a three-part program designed to treat a three-part illness, and you're in exactly one part, and you wonder why. Guys, it's equilateral. I'm not taking away. People say from the podium, oh, Chris is knocking meetings. He's bad-mouthing this. Bad. I'm not knocking. Meetings are so important, it's not even funny. My fellowship is the bedrock of, 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 of this, this whole thing. But the foundation stone that the book talks about is working with others. Bottom of page 14, top of page 15. Real quick, look at it. I'm watching the clock closer than y'all are. My friend, uh, Ebby's in uh, uh, Towns Hospital with Bill. And, and Bill is talking about Ebby. He said, my friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all of my affairs. He's working the steps with Bill in the hospital. We watch so many of you guys volunteer at the treatment centers where we work, where we have acquaintances. Y'all bring meetings in. Y'all are doing exactly what Bill Wilson did. They're not getting it in treatment in lots of places. They get it from y'all bringing the cool message in, giving them some hope. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he'd worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true to the alcoholic. One of the most, the finest sentences in the book. Here it is. For if the alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again, and if he drank, he would surely die then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it's just like that. Y'all get it? 
Guys, I'm in AA for seven years and I don't understand that. If you want to grow spiritually, it didn't say you got to pray every morning and thank God at night and do this. I'm not knocking that. Do it if you want to. That's not what the book says. The book says you got to get off your butt and go help another drunk get sober. One of my biggest soapboxes out there is that we have a tendency in these meetings to slow everybody down. Not a day goes by I don't get an email from somebody. You can't sponsor. I can't believe you're telling people to sponsor and within a few months, they got to be sober for two years at our group to sponsor. Change groups. Yeah. don't know what to tell you if there's a secret handshake it's about this we're going to do a whole hour tomorrow afternoon about working with others uh, guys I know it's a scary deal but that's what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about working these steps at a pretty good clip there's great workshops out there guys where they take every sentence and die, you know, break it apart and dissect it and write it down and there's, those workshops are wonderful that's not going to be tomorrow we're going to go through the steps how can I get a little newcomer through the steps quickly the problem in Alcoholics Anonymous today is we see it and our experience is that we go too slow with so many people. Everybody says, well, this is not a race. Yes, comma, it is. <laughs> I got to say, Harry Tebow uh, was Bill Wilson's shrink. He was, Bill was seeing him when, they were, when he was working on the, on the 12 and 12. There was a compilation I just saw in Hazleton's catalog. Somebody got a copy of it for me. A uh, compilation of Harry Tebow's uh, uh, letters and articles. This guy was brilliant. He wrote some great stuff. Talked about the resurgence of the ego. This guy had a really clear grasp of the problem. If you get a chance to read any of his stuff or, or if you email me, I can send you. i got a bunch of stuff in Dropbox now. I can click and, and it's the greatest invention in the world um, is Dropbox. And anyway, I, I quick, fast as an attachment, I can send you this stuff. And It used to take me forever to do it. Now I can do it real quick. But I can do it from the airport for heaven's sakes. But Harry Tebow, one of the things he said is that you could hit a thousand bottoms but unless you surrender at one of those bottoms, you're just going to keep hitting bottoms. You all follow? Everybody says, I'm done. I've hit my bottom. But unless you surrender, and by surrender we're going to say that you're going to do the work, you're just going to keep hitting bottoms. There's always going to be something else that's going to reach back up and, and grab you in the butt. And so that's the nature of the beast. I mean, we have to look at it. How many of you get drank and drugged when things were really good in your life? How many of you drank when things were really bad in your life? Ah. How many when you had a great relationship? How was a cool job? How many of y'all drank at night? I want y'all to be real careful when we leave here because I don't know if y'all noticed it, but the sun went down while we were in here. <laughs> this is treatment center crap. Guys, the cool part is, is when you do the work, nothing out there can trigger you. Nothing. The 10-step promises come true. So, got to mention it. Again, we talked about being free to agree or disagree. And so, uh, I know we've hit some high spots on this. And I, I, I don't want to be critical of anybody telling their war stories in meetings. I don't want to be critical of somebody therapizing in meetings. There's places for all of that. But I just think sometimes the, the, the right place is where we need to do it. It's just that simple. I, I work with more men at the picnic table out back helping them with their problems. That's part of what I get to do. I keep a contact list and somebody asks me something and I don't know anything about it. I got contacts all in there. I've already collected numbers here of people that I can contact to help if I got somebody coming back to this area. We'll talk about some more of that tomorrow. I, I'm not Mr. Answer Man because I've been sober 26 years. I have some experience that I can share with a newcomer. And some, it's, it's above my pay grade. Make sense? But I know people in this room that could help them do that. 
And it takes a lot of humility to understand that you don't have all the answers. As a fellowship, we do. <laughs> I never knew a problem that this fellowship couldn't solve. It's a pretty, pretty cool thing to watch. I, uh, they asked me if I would com- commit to doing certain things, and uh, I, we'll talk about that tomorrow. But at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm working on a four-step. I'm two weeks out, and I'm sitting on the tailgate of my truck. These guys are teaching me the discipline of the 10, 11, and 12. Uh, I've got a completed four-step. I'm ready. I'm, I'm rocking and rolling. Uh, I've found a home group. I'm there on a regular basis every, every day. When I got sober, I was in a meeting at my home group and uh, I'm sitting on the tailgate of my truck in the same apartment complex where I tried to commit suicide and it dawns on me I'm sitting there watching the big old full moon come up colder than hell up in North Texas and I'm, I'm sitting it dawns on me that the obsession's gone uh, I'm surrounded by liquor stores Circle K stop and go and blah 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 uh, there's a dope dealer that lives in the apartment complex where I live and I'm sitting there it's a Friday night I got some money in my pocket payday you follow I'm by myself surrounded by it and I don't want to use. Not, I don't want to use. <laughs> Sometime, somehow in that period of time, doing that work the, up to that point, the obsession to use had lifted from me and has never returned in 26 years. Ever. And I've watched thousands of people have the same experience. A lot of those same people are afraid to talk about it in meetings because they're afraid that they're going to catch flack from the other people in the group. That's why they want to introduce themselves as recovered. They don't want to take the flack. And I'm not encouraging you to do that. I'm just trying to say. Make sense? I, I, it, it changed me, guys. i got to tell you real quick. My life hadn't been perfect in 26 years, but some crazy stuff. And, and um, I, uh, I, got, I got fired in sobriety. I've never been fired from a job in my life. I got, I got canned at a place uh, and, uh, uh, over a speakerphone. I mean, how, how, how uncool is that? And I'm... You know, I mean, it was, we had to go through some stuff around that. And there's been some illnesses and there's been some sadness. I don't know what to tell you guys. It was a marriage that went, went south in that, in that, in that period of time. And, and God was always there to walk me through it every time. And I, and I didn't go into meetings ever and talk about any of that. What I did was go with my sponsor and my brothers and sisters in the room and we went out and had coffee and, and I talked nonstop about it. I leaned on you. I let you help me get through it. And it was, I never had to drink over it. Never had to, never, I walked through all of that with grace and dignity. And I gotta tell you, I'm sitting in a room full of people that have done the same thing. I listen to your stories and watch you walk through that stuff. And it's, it's, that's, that, that's what we need to, as representative of what Alcoholics Anonymous is. Not, it's not the problems. It's the fact that we got through it with grace and dignity. Guys, we've changed at a cellular level. Just going to a meeting is not going to do that. By working the 12 steps like we're talking about tomorrow, quickly, getting from A to B, you're going to have an experience like you've never been. I, any speaker, any aa or any buckaroo I know out there that's relapsing, all i got to do is take them to the circle triangle and I can find out what the problem was. Some of you will absolutely disagree. No, I drank because my husband left. No, I left because I uh, because of the I got it. I, that exacerbated it and make it worse. But if you're connected spiritually, you're in all three parts of this program. It doesn't mean that you're going to a meeting every day. Y'all, y'all, y'all understand? You know, I'm living in the steps and, and I'm, I'm sponsoring 400 people. That's not what this is about. Everybody's going to have their own equilibrium. The book says equal. So just, as long as you're in all three parts, God's going to take care of your butt. That's my experience. That's not hypothesis, not, not theory. That's what Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob knew. The old expression, and we'll talk about it tomorrow, and I'm going to wind this down. 
it was real clear. Dr. Bob's talking about it. You know, the old expression where the old timers used to come and talk to us and he used to say, you, you got you to you give it away in order to keep it. Y'all hear it? My experience is you got to give it away to get it. What happened to me in 1987 after the suicide attempt, guys? I was no lower than I was when that woman left me seven years earlier. I was no lower than I was when I was eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas. None. What was different was that somebody presented the solution to me. Oh, surely somebody in seven years told... No, they didn't. They didn't say, where are you at in the steps? Can I help you do this? They waited for me to ask the questions and I didn't know what to ask. I'm not... I got sober and stayed sober. And I sponsored a whole bunch of guys and still do, and they're having some good luck. I would like to say everybody I sponsor stays sober. They don't. You know, you win some and you lose some. You follow? But at night I can go to sleep and say, at least I gave it a shot. At least I tried. And again, what Myers said is so true. And tomorrow afternoon we're going to talk about it a bunch, about this sponsorship business. Guys, it's not fair for some of you. I, I want, let me put it a different way. I just need to thank everybody in this room that's carrying a big book that stayed around the program and been of service. I, I, whether, you're, whether you're a service junkie, we think because we do it, everybody does it. And I'm just, just telling you, you know, emails from, uh, I got an email this week from a little girl up in New Jersey, a 22-year-old girl, and, and uh, the best she can come up with is a 70-year-old guy to sponsor because there's no women to sponsor. And I get these emails often enough. She's not making this stuff up. She's scared to death. She wants a, a female sponsor. She wants somebody to, to, to work, do the work with her, and she can't find anybody to do it. I'm just speechless. The one thing that we're supposed to do, we don't do. Because we're too busy watching out for our own butt. Make sense? We're going to talk about this qualifying in the morning. We're going to talk about first step stuff. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys, I know some of you guys won't be able to be here. I hope you get the, a copy of the tape so you can see kind of where we went with it. We're going to have fun tomorrow. We're also going to, we're going to do these hour sessions. And we're going to add a little five-minute question and answer at the end of each session. Instead of doing it at the end of the day when some of you guys have got, you got to go home with babysitters or whatever, you got to you kind of miss that. But the questions that you all answer are so telling. We're going to do it like at the end of, of the, we're going to do groups of steps at a time so that you guys can ask specific questions about that and uh, we think we might be able to help uh, if we can share anything with you that might help you be a better sponsor a more productive sponsor that's what we want to do if, if what you're doing is already being effective man let this stuff go in one ear out the other you can't get better fellowship than we're having here this weekend it's it's going to be the coolest let's let's visit have a good time but bring some notes and i'll I get those stickers remind me tomorrow and i'll get you those little stickers and if you got your big books and you want that little circle triangle step in your in your in your book any guys i sponsor i always sit down with them and we go through that circle triangle just to just to touchstone see where they are i'll be more than glad to stamp that for you y'all good y'all have a good night thanks Morning. Morning. My, my, my name's Chris Raymer. I'm very grateful recovered alcoholic. Okay. Somebody somebody warned me about them collard greens last night. I didn't listen. This could be the quickest talk on history. No. I'm delighted to be here. Who real quick before we get started, anybody in here I don't want to embarrass anybody, but was anybody here uh, not here last night that's here this morning if you're brand new in here? 
Got a couple here. That's good. All right. All right. That's good. I want you to tell me why you weren't here last No. <laughs> I'm just going to pick you up because I, I want to remind everybody. Before I get started here, you all see this jacket? That's pretty cool. That's a Hugo Boss. Nice, huh? Everybody see it? We're supposed to be respectful from the podium. I wore a jacket. I just didn't leave it on. Okay. If it gets any warmer by this afternoon, we'll be down to, you know, skivvies. That's okay. And that's okay, too. I, uh, I, uh, to bring y'all back up to speed, I'm going to talk about this stuff. I know some of y'all can't see it. I, that's perfectly okay. I, it's more for me than it is for you. I passed out some little handouts that talks about the little physical craving and the mental obsession stuff. And, and it's where the, where the, it's in the, it's, it shows the page numbers of the, of where they talks about the specific first step stuff in the big book. And, and I, I've got it there. And if any stuff we talk about today, guys, again, we talked about it last night. I can send you, uh, Click in an email, I can I can send it to you. So if, if we're writing something up here, you can't see it. It's 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 okay. Well, I, I just let me know and I'll send it to you. Uh, uh, and be glad to do that. I uh, guys, I tried to start getting sober in the early '80s, and uh, I didn't get sober finally until 1987. In and out, in and out, in and out. And I, I know, uh, you know, we kind of hit it pretty hard last night, and I don't want to. I just want to bring our newcomers kind of up to speed. Um, none of us today are, are going to, we're not taking shots at AA, we're not taking shots at groups, we're not taking shots at individuals. You know, the, the, the cool thing about this is that there's a lot of ways to do this. Uh, but, but, the, but the goal is the same thing. These little stickers I had up here, some of you guys have snagged one up there, a little quote out of, out of as, as Bill sees it. It says, our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. And if you don't explain first step to me, you're not giving me an adequate presentation of the program. Can I get a witness on that? I, 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 we want to talk a little bit about that this morning. I, I finally got sober in 1987 because a bunch of guys opened the big book for me the first night I walked in, detoxing, sitting at their AA table. And they opened the big book and they started showing me the circle triangle. And they started sh- explaining to me why I couldn't stay sober for seven years, in and out, in and out, in and out. I'm on all these medications. I'm, 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 I'm therapized. I mean, I still walk in a neighbor's house and lay down on the couch because I think that's what you're supposed to do. I, I, I don't, and I can't even be in the room with my mom alone because I, I mean that's all we talked about for ten years in therapy with my mom, and it's like, oh my god. I, and I'm a better person for all of it. I'm not knocking any of that, but I got to tell you, folks, uh, I never could stay sober until I did the work and had a spiritual experience. Now, guys, that's my experience. And again, I'm going to say this and we'll move on. All we're here to do is share our experience. If our experience doesn't jive with your experience, that's so cool. It's, I mean, rock on. Make sense? I, I don't want to be arguing with anybody later on down the road. I, I just, it's, it's a little frustrating to me. Um, there's a little quote. Uh, Martin Luther King was a was a kind of a hero of mine. I'm a kid of the 60s and 70s and and uh, there's a quote he, he said in this deal. And this, don't try to look for this. It's not in the big book. <laughs> but it probably should have been, Meyer said. Our lives end the day we become silent about things that matter. Did you get it? 
Guys, you got to stand for something. You got, you know, even even if it's wrong, sooner or later you, you got to take a stand. And 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 I, a lot of the problems that we have out there in AA land is that we see lots of crazy stuff happening, but we just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, that's the way it is. Well, that's the way it is. And I say, if we could go back and look at our history, if we go back and look at the archives and talk to the old timers and the the, the, the people that are still around from from those days, they can tell us what, what happened. Uh, some of the things I want I want to mention real quick. And this, this, this fires my passion around this. And, and I guarantee it does the same with, 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 uh, with Myers. We, we, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in its second forwards talks about a 75% success rate. In the big book, when it went into its second printing, you'll follow, we had a success rate. This is 1955. We had a success rate in the United States of 75% people getting sober. You know, I've, looked, I've talked to New York, I've talked to the old archivists, they all agree with that. You know, it's just 50% got sober at once, and a few messed around and in and out a little bit, but they, by the time all the dust settles, they were sober. And, and we had great success rates back there, and we were doing one thing. Up to 1955, we were doing one thing. Big book. This confuses the newcomer. This is a big book. This is a little big book. I don't know, huh? Anyway, you look at it today. These are some statistics. I know, I know you can't see them. And these are 2012. I have 2013s, but I, I, I couldn't couldn't uh, download them this morning for some dang reason. Operator error. But uh, these are stats out of Dallas, Texas. We talk about this a lot, and uh, and uh, I'm going to tell you going in the door. I'll explain it to you a little bit. But this is not scientific. Don't come up after the meeting all blustery and that's not very scientific. I I, I know it's not. I, I'm. I'm cool with it, but it, but I think uh, it's an indicator. Houston Intergroup has the same kind of uh, stats. Dallas Intergroup, they produce these statistics. They print them in their little newsletter to kind of show you. These are chip sales in the in the various areas. These are in Dallas. We've been monitoring these since 95 when we got hooked up with Krusty Cliff down in Dallas. These nice people at Intergroup have been sending them to us ever since, and it's just, you know, bless their heart. Desire chips, these are, again, 2012 stats. The 13s are identical. The percentages, the numbers have changed, but the percentage is the same. Desire chips, 14,763. Y'all follow? Little knucklehead walked into a, an AA meeting and picked up, a, anybody want to stay sober 24 hours at a time? Yes, okay, and hugs, not drugs, and here we go. And we pick up a chip and we put it in our little pocket. If you can stay sober 30 days, you get a little red chip, a little one-month chip. In Dallas, Texas, we sold 3,897 Desire Chips. Now, guys, again, since 95, these percentages haven't changed very much. Y'all see a slight drop-off? Nearly 15,000 chips down to 3,897. In 30 days, we had that many people split? One-year chips. Do you stay sober a year? No pot. Come on, boys. No weekend. Just sober. We'll give you a little bronze chip. It's pretty cool. 1,241. Some of you guys, you got your little phone out, you can do the math. It's less than 9%. People, some people just get angry with this. You're making it sound like AA doesn't work. Guys, AA works great if you do it. But the problem is, is what we see out there, and some of the stuff we're going to talk about through the day is that we have so many mixed messages out there for the newcomer. It's like if you're a little newcomer and you don't know which group to go to, you just walk into an AA group. You got it off the Internet. You got it off from, from intergroup 
meeting schedules, and you walk into a group, and we don't know if they're carrying big books there. We don't know. I'm, I'm not saying that there's a bad AA meeting out there. I'm just saying in certain groups, you will never hear the solution out of the big book because they don't believe in the big book. All they want to do is talk, talk stuff. Our own literature can confuse the daylights out of alcoholics if they're not careful. Read that that piece of crap. Oh, kiss can't. Living sober. I mean, it'll. Uh, they're just now in they're in a revision state. They actually added the steps to it so people wouldn't get so confused. I mean, they present the and see some of y'all are already getting grinded. I can see the look on your face. I love that book. They gave it to me in treatment. Rock on. I, I love it too. It makes a perfect coffee coaster in my office. I just set my coffee off, spill coffee. I just I'm not going to read it. I've read it. You know, it's it presents Alcoholics Anonymous as a self help group. Guys, we got to get on that same page because if this is going to make you irritated, you need to get you a Krispy Kreme and go smoke. I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm, this Alcoholics Anonymous is a spiritual program of action. It is not now or ever will be a self-help program. If I could have self-helped myself, I would have done it eating out of dumpsters in Houston, Texas. Y'all follow? The real alcoholic is not going to recover because he changes some of his habits. Real alcoholic's going to recover as a result of a thing called a spiritual experience with a God that you may not even believe in, for heaven's sakes. But if you do the work, you will. And it, I mean, it's a pretty good deal. There's a guy in my sponsorship lineage, real quick, a guy named Don P. Don Pritz has passed away a long time. He, he was one, a friend of mine. He was a lo- lovely man. And uh, one of the things he says, you can actually hear it uh, on his last talk. He, he said it other times, but um, uh, one, he, one of the things he says, and I'm paraphrasing, it's not an exact quote. But he says, at some point during the game, we stopped focusing on recovery and started focusing on sobriety. You get it? And a lot of y'all are going to be confused there because you think it's the same thing. It, not drinking one stupid long day at a time is not recovery. We talked about it last night. It, not drinking with no freedom around it is, is a nightmare. All of us, anybody in here can stay sober for short periods of time, grinding our teeth. I've stayed sober for weeks just to piss people off. I'm, I, you know... My motives don't have to be great along this. But I can't stay sober living under that kind of pressure. What happens to me is I've got to get taken to a position of neutrality, safe and protected, so that the obsession goes away. Y'all are all clear, right? And there's some people that haven't done the work, and that's not it. I fight the temptation every day. I welcome. I hope you stay through the day. And I hope this doesn't get too hot for you to handle. Because we're here for you. We're preaching to the choir. A lot of you guys in here have had spiritual experiences, you know exactly, and, and I'm grateful you're here. But I, my heart goes out to the cats that are sitting in our rooms so confused about what this is about. Our own fellowship, I'm not going to get into it. This was, uh, 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 I got in trouble from the podium before on this, and so I, I don't want to hit it too hard. This is our wonderful publication, our meeting in print, the grapevine. Cover title, Don't Drink and Go to Meetings. If that was the solution to the problem, don't you think Bill Wilson would have written it in the book? I'm not objecting to the idea of going to meetings, but I'm just trying to say, if if you can do this, you're not an alcoholic. If all you got to do is go to a meeting to stay sober... 
for I'm Turn to page 20 in your book, if you got it. We'll go quick with this. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving up liquor entirely if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. In some of these cases, guys, because uh, I know you get, we got some little dope things that snuck in. It is, uh, this is applicable for the, for the drugs. Uh, but I'm just letting you know, welcome. I know most of you little most of you little dope fiends is a garden variety alcoholic. I just need to throw that out there, but that's okay. Moderate drinkers have little trouble in giving it up entirely if they have, if they have good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. We call these cheap dates. Take them to a place with a bar, great. Take them to a place they don't have a bar is no big deal. They don't care. They're not there to drink. We, I, I, I never actually knew any of those people personally, but. Then we have a certain type of hard drinker. These are Bill Wilson's words. He may have the habit badly enough to gradually impair himself physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. Here's the kicker. If, if a sufficient strong reason comes along, ill health, falling in love, changing in environment, warning from a doctor becomes operative, this cat can stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome, maybe need medical attention. Got it? Hard drinker. This is where some of you get a little sweaty because you haven't got off the fence yet. And I'm with you. I'm going to help you. But what about the real alcoholic? Bill Wilson's quote, not mine. What about the real alcoholic? He understands that everybody that drinks abusively is not an alcoholic. He's talking about the cat that's got the illness. What about the real alcoholic? And he starts off as a moderate drinker, may or may not become a uh, continuous hard drinker, but, he's, but he loses control once he starts. And then he, he's spending these pages, guys, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. But Bill Wilson, there's three other places in the book where he separates the different types of drinkers. He understood when he wrote this book that people were going to get confused. Am I saying if you're a hard drinker, you're not welcome? Absolutely not. You're welcome. I'm saying if you're a newcomer sitting in the rooms, don't assume that the person sitting next to you is a real McCoy. Because maybe all they got to do to stay sober is to just go to meetings. I want to I want to read something to you. If uh, where's my glasses? If any of you guys get a chance, I've read this from the podium. I hope I get to meet this guy sometime. Uh, no, I don't, because I'll have to shoot him. I, I know, I know. It'd almost be worth it. This Texas boys. I I don't know. This is an article in, in Wired magazine. I, I love it because I, I, I read, you, you guys send me stuff all day long every time you see something in, around recovery, and I've collected it for years. But this was an article uh, uh, in uh, 2012 in Wired magazine. Any of y'all know what Wired magazine is? Y'all get it? Little computer geeks, y'all. It's, it's great magazine. They got some good articles. But this guy wrote an article, and basically the premise, and I'm going to, there's a big blizzard coming in New York. The article starts out this way, a big blizzard coming in New York, and they're going to close down New York City. You follow? And everybody in this meeting is freaking out because there won't be a meeting tomorrow because of this blizzard. Everybody's freaked out. This is a, the guy that wrote it is not in recovery. He's sitting in this meeting listening to these people. That won't be a problem for this thick-set man in baggy beige suit. I can sweat suit. I can see him in my mind. I bet he's got a beard. Doesn't matter how much snow we get. A foot, ten feet piled up in front of the door, he says. 
I will leave my apartment tomorrow and go find a meeting. He clasps his hands together and draws them to his heart. You understand me? I need this. Daily meetings, the man says, are all that prevent him from winding up dead in the gutter, shoes gone because he sold them for booze or crack. He hasn't had a drink in more than a decade. So to the millions of people that read this article who are not alcoholics or possibly are alcoholics or are considering going into AA, or what, what can they take from this article? They can take from this article that all you've got to do is be in a meeting every day and you can stay sober. Y'all hear me? Guys, I get emails from all over the world. You keep knocking meetings. Guys, I love meetings. We talked about it last night. My fellowship is the, is the absolute love of my life. But if you have to go to a meeting to stay sober, you're not recovered. You're not well. What? i got to make a decision. I'm going to go to my son's little league game and watch him pitch his last game, or I'm going to go to a meeting. If you go to the meeting, I'm going to find you and spank you. Y'all follow? This is the stuff that drives me crazy. This is why I'm so passionate about this. I want people out there to get an adequate presentation of the program. I want them to understand what this is about. Early on, guys, meetings are so important it's not even funny. Go. But I'm saying downstream, you've worked the steps, you've had a spiritual experience. If you miss a day going to a meeting, you're not going to die. And this idea, this makes us look like a cult. This guy's going to get out in a dangerous blizzard to find a meeting because that's what he has to do to stay sober. That's Listen. Don't get... Uh, I can't. Just shut up, Chris. Okay. There was a guy named Dr. Milam up in uh, Seattle one time. He, this guy was the bomb. Back in the, in the 70s, he wrote this. Alcoholism is selectively addictive. And the selection is biological. This is not in the big book. I'm just going to tell you guys. We've got to get on the same page before we get into this first step stuff. Alcoholism and drug addiction, guys, is, there's a genetic predisposition. For years, we argued this. And they've done study after study. If any of you guys ever want to see any of these studies, holler at me and I'll, I'll flip them to you in a heartbeat. It's just, it's, it, the jury's in. Uh, uh, Dr. Carlton Erickson in the University of Texas believes that it's almost 60% of this illness is genetic in nature. How many of you guys, just for the record, just for grin, can see active alcoholism or drug addiction in your family tree someplace? Yeah. There's a few of you who didn't. It's, I, I'm just saying, you got to look around. It can skip generations. It's the same kind of stuff. I can look at pictures of me and Myers, and I can look at pictures of my father and look at this. It's like, God, we, I, y'all see how I stand sometimes? Like the, I always like this. I saw a picture of my dad in Okinawa in, in World War II, and he's got standing right there, and he's holding his wrist. It's exactly. I mean, so much of our life that we thought was, was, was environmental is, is the way we're born. It's just, just, that's the way we are. Some of us have a propensity for weight gain, for, for high blood pressure. It's got nothing to do with nothing other than that's the genetic bullets that we got. Just, just say it. It's progressive in nature, and that's one of the things that we always have to, have to kind of watch out for. The symptoms I'm going to talk about are not easily seen if the illness hasn't progressed very far. But, and it will gradually become more apparent as the illness progresses. I just want to mention this thing while we're talking about it. You can't look at this thing chronologically. We look at some of these old geezers in here and say, well, they're real alcoholics, you know, old guys. But the truth is, you, you look at some of the young guys in here, some of these young people in here are, are in worse shape than some of us old guys. We, their illness progressed so much faster 
than, than it did in us because of some of the, the drugs they exacerbated. They started younger than we did. Um, I've been in the in, industry treatment center business for 20 years and watching the young people come in and watching that. So a lot of these, these, these people started drinking when they were 10, 11, and 12 years old before their bodies were fully developed. And they, they, it, will, it will press you beyond recall at a, at, a, at a much faster rate. We know genetically that it, it travels faster in women than it does in men. For some strange reason, I, I, I just think because they're evil to begin with. I, I don't know about. <laughs> I just that's called humor, folks. It's just a joke. I know. <laughs> you can look at it and see if any of you guys happen to have any North American Indian blood in you. Uh, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, for years, what we thought that that was all about poverty, and it's not. It's just it, it, it's the genetics. It's just that simple. So uh, my external, I left a little issue man out here with the little X's around him. My external stuff absolutely exacerbates the problem, and i got to get in there with it a little bit so, so your hairs don't catch on fire. I, I, I'm going to say, if I'm an alcoholic and I'm going through a divorce or my family's had a death or, or I'm, 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 I'm dealing with poverty or, or child abuse or something horrible to happen, that can all exacerbate and make this t- twice as bad. Y'all follow? But, but good therapy, medications in some cases, time, maturity, will allow us to outgrow that over a period of time. Unless you're genetically predisposed, and then you can do all of that and still not be able to drink and drug like normal people. Y'all, y'all all clear on that? You don't have to agree with it, but I just—I hope I'm making myself clear. It's just there, there, there needs to be that genetic. My twin brother and I—we caught the bullet. I got two sisters that didn't, raised in the same family. Y'all, y'all follow it? So it's difficult to point a finger and say, "Well, it's your." I don't know. I've watched people come to treatment with the finest, most wonderful families on earth, and have the mo- the worst sickest little alcoholic you could possibly ever imagine. And I've watched people that were raised by wolves, literally. Your father? <laughs> Not the alcoholics. They ate kind of sloppy. No, never mind. <laughs> okay. 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 Here's what we want to do. And hopefully the idea is uh, all of this bring us, to, bring us around is if we can understand this. One of the things that uh, that kills me, we were talking about it last night, and I, I don't want to hit it again today, but uh, uh, the big propensity going to the meetings is to tell our war stories. And again, war stories are really great as far as uh, the podium goes in a 12-step call. But once we've got somebody sitting in the meeting, already sitting there, we need to be kind of careful with the war stories because that separates us. Unless, y'all follow? I never sat down with a woman and talked to her and told her my story about eating out of a dumpster in Houston, Texas, that her eyes didn't glaze over and she checked me out. You follow? I just like, okay. I didn't go to prison, you know, and that's, that's the problem. The guy in here with the worst story is not the worst alcoholic. We, we just gotta get, get, gotta get clear on that. Some of you, you get real grindy about it. Again, Myers quoted it last time. All we have is our story. No, shame on us. If all I've got is a story, we're in trouble. Because my story won't fix you. If we can connect that story to the symptoms of alcoholism, then we're golden. Everybody in here, I mean, y'all look around the room, we talk about it. we got some drop-dead gorgeous people in here. We've got a few homely buckaroos in here, that's for sure. we got black people, white people, gay people, straight people, Yankee. There was a Yankee in here last night, dead ringer. I heard an accent. No, wait. Every, you can look, big hair, little hair, and they don't make any difference. I mean, come on, guys, look at this. This is a cross-section of humanity. Yeah, we got biker dudes in here and cowboys in here. We look around the room, okay? What ties us together is not all the drama. What ties us together is the symptoms of alcoholism every one of us have. 
You give me a little 18-year-old girl over here, and you get me next to her, you can't, we couldn't put anybody different. But the symptoms of the disease are the same. If you ever get around to talking about it, then they can get comfortable in their skin. Oh, my God, I'm an alcoholic, and they can get with the program. Yeah, if all we do is tell another story, all they're going to do is wait and say, well, I haven't had a blackout yet. I haven't had a DWI yet. I'm not as bad as you guys. I'm not as... And they are. You could have diagnosed me with alcoholism at 17 years old. Had anybody known the questions to ask? They didn't. We've got to stop scaring people into recovery, folks. It will not work. You might scare them through the door, but you're not going to keep them here with fear. If you don't remember your last drink, you haven't had it. My book tells me on page 24, which you can turn to right now. Somebody asked me the other day, he says, what's your favorite page in the book? This is it. We're going to read this one little thing. You stick your finger in it. Middle paragraph. The almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd to your mind to deter you. If these thoughts occur, they're hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we're going to handle ourselves like other people. There is the complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. This is the mental obsession that the book's saying. My big book's telling me you won't remember the consequences of a week or a month ago. Come on, guys. Y'all remember me talking last night about my wife and I told her with tears in my eyes that I would never drink again and I meant it. And two weeks later, I drank. Did I remember her and the promise I made when it came time to take a drink two weeks later? I didn't even give her a second thought. You follow? You won't remember the DWI. One of the toughest cases that we ever deal with in treatment are liver transplant patients. They come to treatment because they got to get a new liver, and they can't get a new liver because they're loaded. You follow? We have a tendency to not want to give livers to people that are still shooting dope and drinking alcohol. I, kind of narrow-minded of us. You know, there's only so many livers to go around, you know, and so that's the deal. And so they come to treatment, and you would think they would be the most motivated patient. They're the, they're the hardest patient to get through because all they want to do is, you don't understand. If I drink again, I'm going to die. No, you don't understand. Everybody in this facility is going to die if they drink again. You follow? They can't make that leap. I've treated, I've treated probably seven or eight of them right off the top of my head. I know one of them that got a liver. One of them is still alive. The rest of them are dead. Y'all follow? The belief that fear would keep them sober. I don't need this stupid big book. I don't need those steps. All I'm going to do is remember. This is, this is the, this is the symptom of that, that kills alcoholics. So let me go through this. There's about 15% of us in the United States. It's, uh, it's, uh, higher in some countries. It's less in other countries. Um, uh, Southeast Asia, Asia in, in general has less, uh, 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 incidences of alcoholism that you can shake a stick at. Y'all see any Asians in here? I, I think I saw one last night. I mean, come on, guys. I've treated two in my 20 years in treatment. Two people, Asians. Why? I mean, you think, what? Somebody was trying to say stress is what causes alcoholism. It's like, uh, could you, have you seen pictures of Tokyo? You don't talk about stress. <laughs> it looked like a bunch of little ants. You know, just move uh, Oh, my God. Guys, it's nothing. It's just the genetic predisposition. They drink. They drink lots. They're heavy drinkers, lots of them, but the, 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 the percentage of actual alcoholics are, are, are very slim, very small. It's just, it's just the way it is. So, I don't know. It's pretty cool, I think. About 15% of us in the United States are alcoholics, so that's the deal. These are the symptoms right here. There's a three-part. Remember, we talked about the three-part illness last night, body, mind, and spirit, and this is it. This is exactly what Bill Wilson's talking about. 
Up in the front of the book, from the doctor's opinion up to page 23, we talk about this thing called the phenomena of craving. You got it? Now, this is one of the pieces that separates normal drinkers from, from the real McCoy, is the phenomena of craving. If you don't have the phenomena of craving, you, you're, 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 we got to hold you suspect. we got to fi- find out what's going on with you. Because everybody, it's, it's exactly the same. The 18-year-old, the 80-year-old, it's, it's the same. When I start to drink, now guys, listen, it doesn't say when I start to drink, I drink it to a blackout every time. It says there are certain times I can't control the amount of alcohol I put in my system. So the question we need to ask you first off, if I'm just working with you, the question is, when you drink, can you guarantee me how much you're going to drink every time? Well, I can sometime. Yeah, I know. And that's the last uh, essay question I'm going to ask you. It's yes or no. <laughs> you follow? Can you guarantee me every time? The question we ought to ask, I've seen the brochures, about 44 questions, 20 questions. The big book asked me to ask you two questions. We got... We, they do these multi-page psych socials when they come to treatment. It's like, guys, just cut to the chase. Did you ever get sick drinking? Yeah. Here it is. Did you ever get sick more than once? Yes. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. Come on, guys. Normal people don't do that. I watched my little sister get sick one time. She said, I'm never going to do that again. And she has never done that again. She's had alcohol since then, but she gets to a certain spot. She says, no. I said, Lisa, you want another drink? She says, no, I'm, I'm starting to feel it. <laughs> Me too. I, I, do you want... Do you want another drink? Or I don't understand what you're what you're saying. I drink till I puke. Right? Go to the bathroom, come back out, wipe my mouth. Uh, must have been the chicken. <laughs> come on. It must have been that guacamole. I, no, it was the twelve pack you drank before you ate the guacamole. You know it. Uh. Y'all follow? The physical phenomena of craving. One of the deals for some of you guys with kids, we were talking to Amanda about our kids earlier and like this. One of the symptoms that y'all need to look at is a high tolerance for alcohol. If you've got a little knuckleheads eating in high school and he's out there, you know, training ground a little bit, you know, and he's starting to drink, you find out that they can drink a high quantity of alcohol. should have been our indicator that we had a problem. It's the number one thing that you'll start to see. They can drink anybody under the table in that room. You know, and you think, oh, he didn't have a problem. He can outdrink everybody. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Because we have this really high tolerance early on when the illness is in its infancy, we can drink huge quantity. Remember those days? Oh my God, stay up 24 hours a day, go to Willie Nelson picnic and make a fool of yourself, and oh my God, walk around for a, a whole day and forget that you didn't have a patch on. Oh my gosh. Oh, how... It was working then, I tell you. Oh God. And towards the end, because of the progression towards the end, I could leave work, have a couple of beers, call Myers about something, and Myers would say, have you been drinking all day? In two beers, I'm slurring my words. Have you all experienced that? It's the the progression. Buddy, when it worked, it was great. You keep drinking long enough, it's going to keep working, but it's going to be a pain in the butt. And if you keep drinking long enough, it's going to be a hell. Bill Wilson talks about it in A Vision for You. He says, "You're, you're going to know loneliness like few do. You're going to wish for the end. It's a, it's a terrible place to be. Of course, nobody, until they get there, believes they're ever going to get there. Just, just saying. The physical craving is one of the things that we have to look at. We got, we got this big old target. Y'all can picture this target. If I could drink, here, I'll put it up. 
This is a little happy spot right there. Right there in the That's the little happy place. That's cool zone, buddy. If I can drink and hit that little target, you can't touch me. Y'all remember? Y'all remember John Travolta and Saturday Night? Yeah, we get that. I probably shouldn't have told that. Never mind. I don't remember it either. Come on, guys. Disco, buddy. I was I was hot, hot. When alcohol was working, I could outsell you, outwork you, out everything. And then I start getting outside the target a little bit. Chris, you got a little drunk last night at the party. You kind of made a fool of yourself. Yeah, I know. And I'm going to reel it back in. I'm not going to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't for a couple of weeks, for a week, for 10 days, whatever. And then I get back out again. I hit, y'all follow? It's just, and this is when the, you, you're the, the glide path starts. I start to drink, and I say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to control it. I'm going to hold it together. But the craving kicks in, and I'm off to the stupid races. I keep drinking, and I end up, <laughs> I'm not even close to the target. Y'all understand that? This is a drunk driving charge. This is a, a fight with your wife. I mean, this you really showed your butt with this one. Y'all follow? It's like, oh, my God, I really have a problem here. I'm not going to do that anymore. Y'all follow? Yeah. And always your little mind's telling you downstream, but I can have one beer. You put it in your system and the craving kicks in again and you hold it together for a short period of time and then it explodes again. Guys, look at your truth based on your experience. Don't let me paint a picture that this is you. Ask yourself the question. Did you ever set out to drink just a little bit and it ended up getting away from you? Okay. I'm going to mention something that a lot of people don't mention and uh, I, think, I, I think we should. Uh, when I do these workshops, when I do them in treatment, I'm talking to the, to the little newcomers, and I'm, and I'm trying to explain to them what this is about. One of the things that we talk about is this craving, and they, and, and they get to this space that says, when you drink, do you drink more than you intended ever? And they go, oh, every time. You see, that wasn't my case. We need to understand that at some point in our, in our career, alcohol on certain days can be satisfied. That craving can be satisfied with, with different amounts of alcohol. How many of y'all remember the days that you had a couple of beers and just went home? I mean, I did that a thousand times, guys. If I was drinking to a blackout like I did at the end stage stuff, early on in my career, I never could have, would have been as successful as I could have been. It's different in different people. Sometimes the phenomenal craving is satisfied with, with three glasses of wine. And I just, I'm, I've got it, I'm done, I go home. If you can make manage to stay there, then we don't have anything to talk about, really. We're, you know, you're a loser. Go away. Okay. <laughs> but that's not my experience. The follow the book talks about every time. Yep. You with us? So in, in any group, when you do it, somebody will paint a picture that every time I drank, I drank until I passed out. I drank until I was the drunkest on earth. And we, I think we do the, the newcomer a disservice if we don't make that, that, that clarification. Y'all follow? Uh, there's a lot of professional business people that we don't see in treatment until uh, 30 or 40 years of, of drinking history. And then the wheels come off toward the end of their career. Make sense? They drank socially. They got some trouble. They had some rough days. But it didn't come wheels off until later on down the road. And we were talking about it earlier. And I sponsored a guy that had two DWIs and he drank twice. Just absolutely no social time whatsoever. So it's different in different people. I, I don't know what that's about. The physical craving, everybody understands. I Every, any psychiatrist, doctor, I mean, TV personalities, they, they all understand the physical craving. You need alcoholics. Once you stop, you can't, you, once you start drinking, you can't quit. Okay, yeah, that's right. But you see, at this point, all we're doing is dealing with something. It's like a food allergy at this point. You follow? Well, if you know you can't control it, 
because sometimes it gets away from you, then quit. Damn. You follow? This is what your families think, i got to tell you. Doesn't she know she's killing the family? Doesn't she know she's going to get arrested? Doesn't she know she's ruining her life? Doesn't he know that he's, he's, he's damaging the kids? Of course he knows. You don't understand what alcoholism looks like. The disease is horrendous. This is the second piece. Y'all follow? Even Oprah understands the physical craving. Guys, everybody understands. Dr. Phil, everybody understands the physical craving. A treatment center industry, that's our goal in treatments. We're going to keep you away from alcohol. The triggers, anything that y'all follow, we're going to keep you away. That's why we keep people in treatment and put them in halfway houses and transitional living. We just warehouse them for years, some of them. You know, We don't want them to get out, yeah, which is exactly opposite of what the big book says. Not a fan of warehousing people. Y'all follow? The idea is if I don't put alcohol in my system, I'll get better. But you don't understand. We watch these people go to these halfway houses six, seven months out there, and they self-destruct. They come undone. Well, we don't know what happened. He was in a halfway house. He was in a halfway house. Untreated alcoholism kicked his butt. Irritable, restless, and discontent came back. Y'all follow? And the mental obsession came back and said, you could eat a clonopin. <laughs> For your anxiety. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get me started. From 23 to 43, there's 20 pages that talk about the mental obsession. Now, if any of you guys got family members that want to know more about alcoholism, you can hand them the book and say, here, read this. Or you can give them the book and say, read from 23 to 43. Bill Wilson continues to refer in several places in the big book and back in the back. He talks specifically about if you've got somebody that doesn't understand the disease, if you've got somebody that's fighting about God, let them read these paragraphs. Let them read these pages. Because this is what will convince you that you're the real McCoy. These 20 pages saved my life. It wasn't the stupid stories in the back. Thank you very much. It was these 20 pages that finally explained why I couldn't stop drinking. This is the mental obsession, guys. The big book talks about this thing. Go back to page 24 where we were. From tw on 23, we stopped talking about once we put alcohol in our system. And we turned the page, and now we're talking about what happens when I don't have it in my system? Why can't I stay stopped? The fact is that most alcoholics, italicies on the top of the page, guys, you guys, I'm st you're stamping your books today, and I'm I'll flip over and look. And if you haven't got page this paragraph marked, I'm I'm going to shame you. <laughs> Come on, guys. If there's a secret handshake in AA, it's this paragraph right here. It's that important. Bill Wilson was crystal clear. Stop worrying about the drama and start looking about the symptoms. The fact is that most alcoholics is trying to be very diplomatic. All alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. The follow? It drives me crazy when I go into an AA meeting and listen to somebody share, I got up this morning and chose not to drink. I didn't. I didn't. I have lost the power of choice in drink. Y'all follow? The, 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 uh -uh. This is why we need the spiritual experience, guys. 
If you can choose not to do it and make it stick, go for it. But and some of y'all are doing it. You're grinding your teeth a little bit now because you've been doing it every day. I get up in the morning and, and I choose to not. Okay, that's fine. But, but could, could it possibly be you've also worked the steps, you've had a spiritual experience, and the obsession's just gone? So actually, there's no choice that needs to be made. Y'all know how many times in 26 years I've wanted to drink so bad I could taste it? None. Not once. That's what the book's talking about. If, if I'm not obsessing about it, why well, I don't have to make a choice. It's the idea that you have a choice. And this is where the treatment centers come in because they, because they want to make you believe that you have a choice. Yeah? Guys, I don't have a choice whether I'm going to drink. I didn't 26 years ago and I don't today. I have hundreds of choices. I want you to stick with me. I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth. Everybody in this room, we have lots of choices, don't we? How many of you guys had to make a choice to come to this workshop this weekend and learn some about our literature or go do something else? But you made a choice to come here, yeah? Some of you got up this morning and we got on our knees and we did a little prayer with God. Was that a choice or not? Choice. Guys, I choose to stay in recovery. I choose to stay connected to my brothers and sisters in this room. And I do that every day, one day at a time. This is not self-help for the real alcoholic. For the, real, for the little disco drunk, hard drinker, you, you, can, you can paint the picture any way you want. But for the real McCoy, y'all follow? This, these are the two things you got. This is the death knell, the mental obsession. This is what makes this fatal because it, it doesn't matter. Everybody sitting in the rooms out there in treatment land, in our AA rooms, waiting for it to get bad enough. Y'all follow? Talked to a family member yesterday. When's, when's it, when's it going to get bad enough for him to quit? Guys, you, you don't understand. The problem is he's not understanding there's a solution and doesn't think he has to do a solution because he's waiting for his drama to catch up with him. We talked about it last night. Some of you are just too damn pretty. You're too good looking. You're too smart. You're not going to end up... I talked to a lady one time, honest to God. She said, I've never had a DWI. And I said, yeah, yeah. And I watched her out there and she got, she's got a driver for God's sake. She's got a, she, there's a limo coat. <laughs> Do you all understand the rationale behind that? I mean, I, I, it's like, oh my gosh. You know, I, I know the, I knew this wealthy lady, and that's all she did was go from one cruise to another cruise to another cruise. How can you get in trouble like that? You know, it's, it's working for her. She's got endless supply of cash. I, some of us, oh my God. Physical craving, mental obsession. That, that, uh, that night in 1987, after that suicide attempt, and I walked back in and they started explaining this to me. We didn't talk much about the stories because I was already in the room, but they started explaining the phenomenon. Chris, can you tell me some instances where you, where you just weren't going to have a couple? You know, yeah, I was on that date and that really nice girl and I ended up drinking too much and slurring my words and she was afraid to get in the car with me to drive home because I'd had too much and I was embarrassed to death. Did you choose to do that? No, it just, I just did. There you go. You understand the craving? It kicked in, and it ain't going to stop until you, yeah? How many of you guys ever raced at 9 o'clock? I don't know about Alabama, what time they closed the liquor stores and the stores. You could, in Texas, you can't buy booze after 9 o'clock. So, you know, you you, you got to run. to. I mean, that's where the cops do. They they hide out beside the liquor stores and catch you squealing into the parking lot with the kids not strapped in in the back. Because <laughs> you were particularly thirsty. Last night, yeah, yeah. No, I started drinking about six o'clock, and the craving still kicked in, and I ran out of booze, and I'm not finished yet. I buy a twelve pack of beer, have one beer, maybe another half of a beer, set it on the nightstand, and go to bed. It's nothing. I didn't pass out. I just, I'm, I'm fine now. I'm okay. The phenomenon of craving was satisfied that night with that amount of alcohol. Y'all follow? 
And sometimes you'll end up drinking around the clock because you can't satisfy the craving. That's called end-stage alcoholism. It's a crappy place to be. They start putting pressure on you in the mental obsession. It's the same stuff. Chris, have you been given sufficient reason to stop drinking? Yes. Guys, it doesn't have to be. What's the sufficient reason? It doesn't have to be killing somebody in a car wreck or a DWI or going to jail. What about sufficient reason? Somebody that you love leans across the breakfast table and says, you're scaring the bejesus out of me. Would you stop, please? Isn't that sufficient reason to quit? I say, yes, I will, and I mean it. I don't understand that I don't have the power to pull that off. That's fatal segment of alcoholism. It, guys, we can get past the physical pace. It's called detox. Once this physical, this, this, this is out of my system and I'm detoxed, y'all follow? It's one of the reasons we're having so much trouble today in treatment trying to detox opiate addicts in the same 30 days we're detoxing alcoholics. It doesn't work very well because you're still detoxing off opiates in 30 days if, you're not, if you don't know what you're doing. Even if you know what you're doing, it's, it's, it's risky at best. Y'all follow? You got, you got to get it out of their system first. But get, I've been detoxed a thousand times. Guys, I'm a quitting fool. I'm just a better starter. I just, I'm off the races. <laughs> I want to get with you real quick on this, this third piece. Again, the two symptoms you need to really look at with a newcomer is the physical craving and the mental obsession. But I think uh, from our sponsorship lineage, we do uh, a, a lot of people a disservice when we don't talk about the spiritual malady. And this is not about a belief in God, guys. The spiritual malady Big Book talks about is this resurgence of the ego. It talks about it in the doctor's opinion about being irritable, restless, and discontent. And it, excuse me, and it talks about it on page 52 in the bedevilments. Y'all follow? When I set booze down, I've seen thousands upon hundreds of thousands of of alcoholics do it coming through treatment. They set the booze, they set the dope down, and they leave. Further away from the alcohol and dope than they've ever been, what happens in the internal condition? Y'all look at this, the little issue man, some of y'all got the little pen. This little internal condition right here is what we have to look at. The in internal condition is what the, Bill Wilson's trying to get us to see. This is the untreated alcoholism. I got the alcohol and dope out of my body. That's not the problem. Come on, guys. Can I get a witness? Sit with it just a second and, and answer the question. Do you remember times when you weren't drinking and drugging that your life was so unmanageable it wasn't even funny? Could you, up, up on the steps when it talks about it, it talks about the, 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 the first step business that our lives have become unmanageable. Bill Wilson's not talking about your external world. I, everybody thinks it is. You go into a work, in, into a meeting and start talking. Let's talk about unmanageability today. And everybody will talk about the credit cards and the kids and the drama and the husband and the crazy boyfriend. Everybody going to talk about then. That's not what the book's talking about. The unmanageability that ties us all together is what happens to me when I lay that stuff down. The alcohol and dope, the stuff that made me okay inside, now I don't have in my system. And I think that's enough. Well, I'm not drinking today. Yeah? Uh-huh. More of us commit suicide in sobriety than we do out there drinking. Because nobody wants to talk about this. The depression comes back. Well, how many of y'all have seen this? Two, three weeks out, away from a drinking drug, irritable, restless, and discontent comes by. Y'all follow? God, I'm driving them crazy. Chris, you look so good. Man, I know it. I should have gotten sober years ago. I feel great. Everything's just shit. And then something just happened. I'm driving to work. Somebody pisses me on the phone. I'm fingering. I'm irritable, restless. Y'all, yeah? Somebody passes a memo at work and I didn't get one. I'm going to get fired today. All of a sudden, the whole world becomes about me again. I'm all like a big old ingrown hair. You know, I just, uh 
Fearfulness comes back. I'm 52 in the bedevilment. Y'all are with us? Fearful, depressed, prey to misery and depression, uh, no sense of direction. Yeah? Drives me crazy. This ego starts to reassert itself. Pretty soon I've separated myself from you and everybody else. And at a certain point, with every real alcoholic, the pain of not drinking a stupid day at a time will outweigh the benefits. And the insanity will return, and your head will say, whatever. You could smoke pot. You could eat pronopin. Near beer. That's the ticket. Near beer. O'Doul's. You can't get drunk on O'Doul's. Yes, comma, you can. You got to drink a case, but what the hell? Y'all understand? My first wife, y'all, some of y'all heard me talk about it. She came home one time, and I, I, was, I had a bunch of that. We make, it was called Texas Select in Texas. It was a non-alcoholic beer, and, and there was I had killed 12 of them in the morning watching some stupid television show. She, I was in the food business. I got worked the night shift, and I had 12 of these things laying down. She walked in. She says, my, you are thirsty this morning. <laughs> thirsty? Come on, come on, guys. This, I like Dr. Pepper, too, but I've never drank a 12-pack in the morning. <laughs> there's enough alcohol in there for the craving to get triggered and now I'm off to the stupid races until that craving is satisfied I'm not gonna y'all y'all with us? yeah I don't want to get this because everybody on the spiritual malady how many of y'all know family members that are not alcoholics that suffer from the spiritual malady they're just not happy irritable, restless and discontent they're just not so I don't want to confuse the issue here y'all, y'all, y'all follow? because everybody experiences that your family members that are not alcoholics but won't won't experience the physical craving and the mental obsession yeah? But if we don't talk about it with a newcomer, what happens is they think they're doing a great job because they're just not drinking, but they're not working the steps. This is why our success rates are so dadgum low is because we don't start talking about this. It's not okay to be sober and unhappy. You can do it for a short period of time, folks, but that's not what this is about. Sooner or later, you will you will crumble like a deck of cards. Can, can you all agree with that? I don't want to put the, all the importance here. Irritable, restless, and discontent is not what makes me drink. It's just not. I can drink. I, I can stay sober through a lot of uncomfortability. But what takes place is it, it, it saps all the energy out of anything else. Uh, I just want you to understand that just not drinking won't fix alcoholism. Because eventually this insanity will return and you'll be off to the stupid races. I got to say this real quick uh, and, uh, and mention one other little thing. Uh, we're seeing, uh, I was talking to one of you last night about it, we're seeing in the industry, treatment center business, we're seeing hundreds and hundreds of people who had long-term sobriety coming back into our rooms again, uh, into treatment, 20 years, 30-year people, long-time sobriety, 15 years, 10 years, back in treatment again. What happened for most of them is they got tangled up in prescription medication. How did they get tangled up in that? They went to the doctor because they were unhappy. I'm depressed. I'm not talking about the anxiety. They always end up with an anti-anxiety medication. They start taking benzodiazepines, and they relapse. And it's a tragic to, to watch. What, what happens is a lot of these people, and, and, and it certainly happens in my lineage and people around me, is they try to live on a spiritual experience they had 20 years ago. Can y'all get down with, with that? I, I'm trying real hard. I mean, we really understand the daily reprieve. We really understand that this is a day at a time. 
this my connection with God depends on me. This is this is what this is about. I'm not excited about my life and living off a spiritual experience. And I had a barn burner in 1987. But I'm not living off that spiritual experience. I'm living off current experience with you guys. Current experience of, of correspondence I have with current experience with, with my fellowship and my, 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 my little recovery club. And y'all, y'all follow? You gotta keep it current. And because if you're trying to live off that experience from the past, that's why we work and rework the steps. I stay active in all three parts of the program. And that's what that's about. That's what so many of y'all in here are doing now. You're gonna get a new experience from this weekend. And there's lots of people out there that are not. And I hope they get the message and I hope they can, can come in. We got, we got to stay. The book talks about staying current and that's, that's what we're looking for. I want to mention one thing real quick. I got a couple of minutes. This is a TV commentator. I've talked about this from podiums. This is a TV uh, guy. He's not on the air anymore. Uh, and I actually like the guy, uh, but he's, he uh, busted his anonymity on TV, and, and that's, that's perfectly okay with me. It, w- it would be perfectly, really okay is if he would introduce himself as a recovered alcoholic, but he insists on introducing himself as a recovering alcoholic. Because that's what they told him in treatment. Yeah? He's on Larry King. Larry King's interviewing this guy. He's, 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 uh, he, this is ages ago. This is in 2007. What gets me about these celebrity folks is, hey, we have a choice whether we drink or not. Just get up and make the choice not to drink. It's that simple. See, some of this is going right over your head. This, this word choice is so important, it's not even funny. And I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for you. This guy on national television with millions of people listening is telling people that all you've got to do, he's feeding into the family's belief that if you really loved me, you'd stop drinking. If you really wanted to work here, you'd quit. And I gotta tell you guys, sometimes this, this stuff is, is downright disrespectful. Nobody wants to say anything about it. Nobody, everybody wants to walk on eggshells. We got guys in meetings sharing this every day. I got up this morning and chose not to drink. Quit it. If I hear somebody in the meeting, I'm not one to, to look for fights in meetings, but I gotta tell you, if somebody says that in a meeting where there's a bunch of newcomers, I guarantee you, I will follow him up and I will make it perfectly clear that a real alcoholic has lost the power of choice in drink. I, again, I got thousands of choices, guys. I choose to be in the program. We're not willy-nilly. Everybody thinks we're letting them off the hook. We're not. But the opportunity for this man to share some hope with the newcomer, he passed it up with the belief of what he understood in treatment is that he had a choice. And maybe he does. Maybe he's not the real McCoy. You follow? It's disrespectful when I look at a, a, a woman with kids and say that if you love your kids, you quit drinking. Shame on anybody that wants to say that. I love my kids. I love my family. I love my work. I love my job. I love my country. That's got nothing to... Y'all, y'all understand this? You go up to a diabetic. Oh, buddy, man, you've got diabetes. I mean, if you really love your family, you quit. You do. What? <laughs> Next time somebody's puking in the bathroom, I got to knock on the door and says, Honey, honey, if you really love this, you'd quit. What? Guys, I don't have a choice. I didn't, didn't ask for this bullet, but I got it. I guarantee you. And there is a solution to it. It's called a spiritual experience. That's what we're going to talk about. What we're going to end up doing, I'm going to give Myers a chance to share for just a second. I want to make sure what we're trying to accomplish today is, is we're going to talk about working these steps at a pretty good clip. Um, uh, again, uh, 
the guys I sponsor, you've been sober 10 years, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to reread the book, and, and we're going to do some special stuff. Maybe You know, there's lots of stuff that we can do. We're going to read some some other information about those steps. We're going to open the 12 and 12. We can, we can expand our knowledge of the book until the day we die. Y'all are cool with that, right? But initially going in the door, what this is all about, as far as I'm concerned, is triage. Some of you nurses in here, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's, it's like, man, let's stop the bleeding first. Let's get this guy on solid ground. And then downstream, we can start splitting hairs. Uh, I, I, I get a little cranky with people, you know, when they sit down with a newcomer. Okay, I want you to read the doctor's opinion for a few weeks. Nowhere in the book does it say that. I'm going to sit down with you, and I'm going to open the pages, and I'm going to cherry pick. I'm going to go through this board. I'm going to get you this little sheet, and I'll let you read it. Guys, go home, and I want you to read these pages. But right now, we're going to ask the questions. Because if I don't get you to a place where you, you understand what this is about, you're going to leave. The, the insanity is going to close. There was a, a great author out there, a guy named William White. He's he's a he's an absolute I love this guy. He he's the author of a book called Slaying the Dragon. If any of you guys, it's it's out in the second edition now, and it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, wonderful guy. He's out of Florida. But one of the things he talks about, he's got an article. I can send it to you if you if you're interested. He talks about this little window of opportunity. How many of y'all have ever, ever recognized that? This little window of opportunity. You come in, you sit down, you get your feet on the ground, and you feel pretty good. You're about, a lot of the old timers want to make fun of it. Oh, he's on a pink cloud. There's no such thing as a pink cloud. And it's again, it's a disrespectful, it's, I'm sorry. I, I, it's called God's grace. And I believe all of us, lots of us experience that. I can think of dozens of times in those seven years I was in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous where I would come in, make a commitment to stay stopped. The obsession, I would detox. The obsession would go away, and I would feel pretty good for a few days. You know, I'm, I'm okay. And then the obsession would come back. I would get caught with the book calls that mental blank spot, and I wouldn't remember my promises or the consequences, and I would pick up and drink. Make sense? Guys, there's a clock ticking. And that window is, I don't know how long it's going to stay sober. Some of you little knuckleheads, you seem to be able to just bounce around for months and do nothing and stay sober. That's how cool. Maybe your illness hasn't progressed as far as the person sitting next to you. But when that window closes, you're going to get loaded. No, I'm going to call my sponsor. No, you won't. (laughs) I'll think through the drink. No, you won't. (laughs) Y'all... Y'all with us? That little window, I don't know how long it's going to stay open. To get through it, I need to work the steps. If you uh, look at the archival material, everybody, Bill Wilson's in Towns Hospital on his ninth day detoxing as Ebby's working the 12 steps with him there. He does a little third step. We didn't have the steps then, but he's the rudimentary basis of the steps, the principles he was working with Bill Wilson. There was a little inventory. He's fixing to go make restitution to the people that he's harmed. Y'all follow? He's doing this while the cat's in treatment. I have watched hundreds and hundreds of people have barn-burning spiritual experiences sitting in treatment because they're doing the work in treatment, because they're in facilities where they allow them to do that. This idea that you've got to be sober years before you have a spiritual experience is absolutely ridiculous and does not jive with my experience. Make sense, guys? We've got to get them through pretty quick. Dr. Bob, I mean, come on, guys, read the archival stuff. And in just a few weeks, he's worked the 12 steps. He's out there working with other alcoholics. Bill Wilson, the next day, he, after he gets out of the hospital, he's out there looking for number two. And it, nobody took longer than 30 days, a couple of weeks to work the steps in the early days. Read the archive. I'm not making this stuff up. 
There's a great book called How It Works, the story of Clarence Snyder that talks specifically. It got written by a wonderful guy named Mitchell Kay out of New York. And, I mean, they talk specifically about that. Get off your butt and start working with a drum, and you're going to be okay. But if you listen to somebody tell you that you're not sober long enough to go work with a drum, you'll die. And we're going to hit that so hard this afternoon, it's not even funny. We're going to talk a lot about that. Y'all good? Rock on. If some of y'all are feeling a little tense around the first step stuff, on break, and you're out there smoking a butt, do a third step prayer and that tension will leave. You got anything? You, anybody got a quick, real quick question? We, I got about five minutes actually on my time. If, if questions about first step. Not sponsorship, not anything else. We're going to do this by, by step by step. We're going to group these together. Some, someone already said last night, I said, y'all are going to go through all the steps in one day? Yeah. And if we were doing it the way we wanted to do it, we would be finished by noon. <laughs> Guys, it's not that complicated. Y'all, y'all follow? It's just not that, that, that difficult to do. Bill Wilson didn't, didn't, didn't intend for that to happen. Questions on anybody? Working with, a, working with somebody that had long-term sobriety under their belt and then relapses, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge to get them back on track. One of the damages that we do is that we tell them to come back as a newcomer. And I don't want them to do that. They've got 10 years of sobriety. They've got all that experience. Come back with a, with a recommitment to do the work. One of the things I find with the people that had long-term sobriety and lost it, and I'm sure Myers could attest, where did he go? <laughs> he, he, it was the rapture. I, 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 <laughs> Real quick, and I'll answer. One of the things that we look at with long-term sobriety with people that relapse is, the, is dishonesty. One of the first things I sat down when one was coming back in, I say, buddy, give me the areas that you're being dishonest in. Because there's, I, I guarantee you there's always a little piece of dishonesty that untreated alcoholism started to come back, and I've started to rationalize why it's okay for me to have a little affair or cheat on my finances a little bit or, you know what I'm saying, or... Today, again, uh, statistically, uh, I've gone to a doctor and a, a well-meaning doctor who should have known better and didn't has prescribed something that will trigger that physical craving, and they're off to the stupid races. Make make sense? Yeah, yeah. Let's go smoke, guys, and we'll come back. Hi, y'all. How y'all doing? Ah, uh, this is good. This is good. Everybody out there still smoking. Some of you guys are still kind of wandering in. Uh, I thank you so much for your hospitality last night. Uh, uh, for the taping world, this is Myers Raymer, a recovered alcoholic, and I'm so delighted to uh, to be here. It's weird. In doing these things over the years, I'm amazed at how you would think that I would know my voice from Chris's voice. But on CDs, they sound a lot alike. And you can't, I'm going, Chris, was that you or was that me that was it? And so it's kind of, it's kind of weird. We look a little uh, enough different that it's not a big deal, but man, that voice. Um, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about two and three and this idea of, of, uh, the way that we approach this stuff, I mean, we've already had so many great comments and so many of you guys are already on page doing the deal. Some of you are already and have been doing this for a long, long time. This is not new stuff. Um, um, it's an interesting thing. Um, the one common thread that runs through most everybody in the room that, that uh, is doing things a little bit differently is that they take some, they take some heat. You'll take heat in your home group. You'll take heat in the groups where you travel and this kind of stuff. And and we shouldn't be taking heat for doing what the book asks us to do. We talked a little bit about this last night, this idea that we could we could begin to very, very gently 
Look at what our experience is. Look at what the text says, and then try to see and determine where we're getting off into the into the weeds. And 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 so it's it, because there's ideally what would happen is is that our experience and how we teach and how we do this stuff ought to overlay what the big book says, and we shouldn't have a whole bunch of conflicts. We shouldn't have a bunch of crazy stuff. But it, but it's an amazing thing. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have ever been in a situation where you were in uh, an AA meeting and you introduced yourself as a as the real as a real alcoholic and had some pushback? I mean, guys, let me just tell you something like that. I've seen some of the craziest crap like this. You say, oh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm Myers Raymer and I'm a real alcoholic. And you'll see 20 people in the room roll their eyes and look at the ceiling like, like they don't, people don't recognize that it's, that it's big book. Bill Wilson was clear on this kind of stuff. The, the stuff that Chris was talking about this morning, it, I, I'm, I never get tired of hearing it because the reality is, is we don't all get here at the same, same deal. Um, um, Starting with the, the the Hughes Act in in, in seventy one, and we ended up with all of these people getting here. Um, and there were there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that got here overnight. And some of these guys were bona fide, some of these guys were not bona fide. But because we found ourselves in a place where we stopped qualifying people, we'd stopped trying to help people see where they really were in this deal. They just sat and sat and sat. Listen. My, I, I have no problem at all with the moderate drinker being in AA. I've got no problem at all with him being in there like that. I, I, I just don't know why he's got to be the loudest guy in the room. I don't know why he's come, stay, but shut up. I, I just y'all get that right? Because because it's the it's the it's the moderate drinker, not the real alcoholic, that'll that'll defend to 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 the point of fisticuffs. His right to take people a year to get them through the work, or his right to bring in all kinds of outside stuff like this to prop all this stuff up. And I just, I just, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stay sober. If you want to be in our room, be in our room like this. But qualifying for membership in AA and qualifying for, uh, to be an alcoholic are two distinctly different things. Distinctly different. And we gotta, we gotta pay attention to this kind of stuff. The, the, remember last night we were talking about this, uh, this idea, um, um, that line that I'll keep going back to it because it was so profound to me. This idea, we told him what we knew about alcoholism. And they would repeatedly do this stuff. And this, this is the stuff that, that I find fascinating is that we end up with so many people that want to talk about. Guys, we have tens of thousands of people in our rooms every day that want to talk about alcohol, but very, very few that want to talk about alcoholism. And they are two distinctly different things. And, and so we, we just, I know some of you are going, ah, I don't dig this and that. I think you're, let's, let's, there, there's a reason why, why we do this. And, and kind of, kind of stick with me for just a second. I, I, uh, everything that I do, everything, every time that we do these workshop deals, um, one of the greatest pieces of, of experience that I ever had was that I began to recognize that anything worthwhile in AA, anything that would save the day in AA, usually came through strong sponsorship. Now, I don't know, some of you guys already do this, because I've seen this for years like this. If I say the word strong sponsorship, you, you, you automatically go to short-leashed, controlling sponsorship. And that's not what I'm talking about at all, okay? Let's be really clear about this stuff. The, the, um, um, Things that are goofy, things that happen, things that are strange, all of these things could be rectified if we would just simply um, um, lean into the idea that we could be a little more uh, dogmatic about how we take guys through the work, that we could be a little more um, uh, focused on what it is that we're doing. And and so um, 
Because that was the whole thing. I ended up, the first seven years that I was in AA, I ended up with a bunch of buddies, no real sponsor. I did have a, a guy that was my sponsor, but he was a, I picked him because he drove a fancy car and he wore a nice suit of clothes. I mean, that's why I picked him. He didn't know anything about the big book. Nobody carried big books. We didn't, we just talked about a bunch of stuff. It didn't make him a bad guy. It just, it just made him an ineffective sponsor. And so my view of what this was, and, it, and so you can imagine, I mean, I felt like I'd been emotionally bitch slapped when Clifford got a hold of me and started, started teaching me this stuff. And I was just going like, wow. So hold on. And, and there was some pushback. I'm telling you guys, there was pieces of me that were going, whoa, whoa, Haas, we don't, this is not a race. I mean, this is, and I, and I had memorized all of these little, little one-liners and aphorisms and stuff like this. And I just, I just, I drove my group nuts for a year. I mean, I just drove them crazy. The new group that I'd become a member of, uh, because I, I still wanted, there was a piece of me born out of pure arrogance and maybe some fear that, that I just kept wanting to tell you what I knew. I just kept wanting to share because I was taught to share, you see. And so, so I want to get clear on a, on, a, on a, well, that main thing right there that is, is a point that I want to make. Um, we teach what we're taught. And so if you were taught to share, then that it will be your mantra. That will be where your focus is. I'm just going to share on this kind of stuff. If you if you're if you're retaught that perhaps what you share needs to be out of the text. See, what I'm blown away with is how many people that we have in our rooms that want to share, but they want to share things that aren't in our, in our text. They want to just share all these other things, and I and I and I see the importance of it in certain in certain uh, respects, but. In the bigger picture, I also see, because I've been doing it a little bit and looking back on it, I see the damage that it causes of just this nonstop love affair with the with the discussion meeting where we just share whatever we want to. Somebody brings a problem, uh, uh, throws it up on the table, everybody tries to clean up the mess, and then we go home. And, and at the end of the day, we talked about this stuff last night, at the end of the day, the, sometimes the guy that suffers the most are the brand new men and brand new women sitting in the room trying to connect it all up like this and see. And we think because our car, our conversation about our mother-in-laws or our grandkids or this kind of stuff, we think it's exciting and it's, and it, and it was such a whole, I love that meeting. I love like that. But we don't stop and recognize sometimes that what we're doing is we're boring the crap out of the new guys in the room that could care less about our families, could care less about our situational si- deal. They could care less whether we could find a job or not. They'd, I'm not being mean, but that's the reality. They want to know, when I get up in the morning, can I not obsess about drinking and drugging? Can I, can I get up and be okay in the morning? That's what they want to know. And, and, and that's fair. That, that, that's, that's not wrong to, to do that. Guys, over the years, I'm blown away by how often. I had a, a kid that worked for me for years and years and years who was the best foreman. This is when I was in the bindery biz. And he was the best shop foreman I'd ever had. He worked for me almost 20 years. A brutal alcoholic would come in, relapse, he was a, kind of a periodic, and he would go back out and eventually got his third DWI. They sent him to the pen. He came back. When he got back, I hired him right, up, right off the bat like this, and, and he got plugged into a group. He had no car then, and so he was going to go to a meeting right down the road, and I was familiar with the group, and I knew that this could be problematic, but it was close to where he was like this. And so day by day, I would be asking him questions when he was at work. He'd be leaning on a cutter working, and I'd be sitting there going, so, Rhino, tell me... Uh, Tell me what you're doing around step work stuff. And he and he go, well, we're we're not we're not doing any steps yet. Hmm. And weeks would draw into months, and months would draw into more months, and pretty soon I'm going. So, Brian, oh, tell me tell me where you are in the steps. Like, well, we're we're just we're just, Brian, I don't want to hear it. You're driving me crazy. What are you doing? 
well, smoking and visiting and just, you know, I'm just, we, I, I, I love this guy. And I said, I bet you do. I bet you do. Because he's not asking you to do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, does he? Well, no, but he says we're going to get to it. Six months into the deal, I see the signs of restless, irritable, and discontent in my star employee. And I'm going, buddy, um, uh, here's the deal that I'm making you. You will either begin working the steps today. It can be with that sponsor if you want to. But you will either start working the steps today or I'm going to fire you. It's that simple. Okay. And the next day I asked him what he did. He said, well, they, he said that probably by the end of the week we would start. And I said, you know, Brian... I said, look, I've been thinking about this. Rather than fire you, I'm going to be your sponsor. I always said, I always said I wasn't going to do this, but in this situation, I'm going to do this kind of stuff. And we started doing the work. And let me tell you something. Within a month, this guy was completely transformed, completely altered. And he's never had a drink since. And, and he's, he's, uh, he's about as bulletproof as you can get. But, but there seems to be this worldwide, there seemed to be this kind of um, idea that we have all kinds of time and that we can do all, all kinds of, uh, um, that there's no real urgency to this stuff. The stuff that Chris, that, that Chris read, um, this stuff on page 24 is huge in the, in the bigger picture. Um, so everything I talk about uh, uh, in terms of how it revolves in the steps is seen through the eyes of what, what I think sponsorship should look like based on what's been handed to us through the archive guys and through, through uh, personal conversations with old dudes that were there in the middle of this kind of stuff. It's like old school 101. It's just old school because I think it's better. I, think, I thought that they had a better beat on kind of what we were doing because nothing changed. Did alcoholism change in the last 70 years? Still the same stuff. They've invented a few more drugs, but the, but the, in the bigger picture, this stuff is the same stuff we've been dealing with for years and years and years. It didn't change. Why is it that we think that we, well, we're so much more sophisticated now, we know so much more like that. I understand that, but it didn't change the solution any. It didn't change that at all like that. And so, so I, I want to tell you a quick, I got to get out of this. I just like, uh, stuff running down your back is not normal. Uh, that, that feels much better. Listen, um, I want to tell you this quick story. I, I was in um, I was in Kent, England. Uh, this may be eight, nine years ago, doing a men's retreat, a workshop. And we had like seventy or eighty men in this room, and we were we were doing this 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 little thing. And and um, there were some things that were said on the break between some sessions that got to be problematic. I just kept hearing this this just. There were just some things that were said that didn't jive, and I kept thinking, well, uh, there just seems to be so much confusion around what we're talking about. So I said, um, um, I, so I asked these guys um, at, at one of the sessions as it began like this, I said, guys, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys are clear in your head uh, what you would do to, in sponsorship stuff? How many of you are clear what you would do um, in, in terms of just A, B, C, D? I mean, what, one, two, three, four. What, do you, are you clear in your head? And, and, and 70, 80 hands went up. Everybody in the room raised their hand, and I went, interesting. So we did that session, and then when I came back, I had collected up a bunch of index cards and those those little stubby yellow pencils that you see like that. And so I just passed a, an index card and a stubby pencil out to every guy that was in the room like this. And I said, okay, listen, before we get started, I want you guys to do me a big old favor like this. Based on what you said earlier, would you guys write down the first three things that you do around sponsorship? Just give me a, just give me a, you don't have to write an essay, just a, a line item of what you would do with a brand new guy that just walked through the front door. And from my perspective here, looking out this way like this, two men picked up a pencil and started writing, and then I looked around and nobody else has picked up a pencil. 
and I went, we're, we're on to something. You see, I, I got a head that tells me, you know, I'm okay. I've got this thing worked out. But when it gets to be black and white, when you actually have to start writing it down like this, all of a sudden we had a room full of men who were wonderful, but who were very, very, very ambivalent and confused about their responsibilities to the brand new guy. They just simply didn't know. And so that, I just sort of changed gears. I just hit the brake, and we backed up, and then we just started heading out in a different direction, and we started looking at these things from a different deal. I want to cover this real quick. I don't want to um, uh, confuse anybody on it. I want to, because uh, uh, we're, we're, I want to get into two and three. We're going to talk about this kind of stuff. Remember, this is not two and three as we as we work through the book, because uh, um, some of you guys are already book technicians. You already know and understand this kind of stuff. I'm looking at it again through the eyes of sponsorship of what this looks like in the in the bigger picture. If I'm sponsoring every one of you, uh, this is what two and three looks like from my perspective working with you. And and I think it'll give us a little bit different viewpoint on on where we are. Uh, on that deal, um, the very first thing that I, that I think that I think that on our on our uh, metaphorical uh, uh, index card, I think that the very first thing that we ought to all address is the idea that when a brand new guy gets here, male or female, we owe them the responsibility of helping them see what their truth is. Here it comes, the dreaded Q word. We qualify them. Again, I'll say I said it last night, I'll say it again. I am unclear why that seems to raise all kinds of, of goofiness around the word. It's like, oh, you mean being exclusive or or, or I'm uh uh-uh, uh uh don't go there with me. I, I, come on, man. I, I just simply think that the idea of seeing uh uh, of letting people sit and sit and sit, Chris hit on it dead on on this kind of stuff like this. If I let you sit in a meeting long enough under the guise of getting comfortable, we just want to love them and let them sit here and they'll know when it's time to do the work. I, guys, I understand it intellectually where you're coming from. I understand the thought process around that whole deal. I just don't agree with it. It does not line up with my experience. Let me tell you what my experience has been in, in being a student of watching brand new people come in. If I let you sit in that room long enough, what you will do is you will slowly but surely build a case against us until the I ain't one of you outweighs everything else, and pretty soon you just gently push off. It doesn't have to be demonstrative. You're not throwing anything down. I'm not coming back to this stinking place. It doesn't happen like that. You just go away. You, you just go away because there's no real reason for you to be there. The motivation is not there. You see, this is this is problematic um, um, because in my head keeps telling me over and over and over again that this thing about alcoholism is not such a big deal. Look at Bill's story and all the examples that we got. They're all they, He tries self-knowledge. He tries self-will. He tries fear. He tries all of these things, um, um, and and it, nothing connects it up. Y'all, y'all clear? The quicker that we can give you a, a rip-roaring case of alcoholism, remember Bill and Bob when they had their first meeting? Listen, I'm going to sit and chat with you for 15 minutes, and then we're going to be done with this conversation. That's what he had allotted for the conversation. Six hours later, Bill and Bob are finally saying goodnight. Six hours later, what did Bill do with Dr. Bob? He gave him a rip-roaring case of alcoholism. He just simply... And, and Bob realized what the deal was. For the very first time in his existence, he began to understand and connect up this dot that perhaps I am sick, perhaps I have an illness that's going to take me out of the game if I don't get better. You're sick, not weak. It ought to be our mantra, guys, because I'm telling you, society still thinks you're weak. Your family still think you're weak. And that's that's a problem. You're not weak. Hell. 
Some of you guys have willpower that would crush normal men. I'm just, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Some of you little dope things too know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been on a three-day meth run or four-day meth run like that. Come on, tell me it doesn't take willpower to persevere through all of that. You, you bet it does. You're not weak. Quit that. You're sick. Yeah. Let, some of you are sicker than others, but the, we get that. We, we all, we'll understand that. And so, so this idea that we're just going to sit and, 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 and visit with you a couple of minutes and help you understand. Let me paint you a, a, a mental picture of this kind of stuff like that. We don't even have to wait. Some of you, I'll lose some of you right here because you don't believe this. We don't even have to wait till it comes up as a topic in a meeting to talk about first step stuff, to talk about this kind of stuff. I know that, that, that but, but if we were talking about what we should be talking about, it would rotate through on a regular enough basis that it wouldn't be a concern. But if you sobered up like where I sobered up, where we're never talking about it like that, you, the, the chances are uh, it, you'll be dead before we ever get to the topic like that. So it could be, just stick with me, it could be that the very best place to approach this subject would be sitting on the tailgate of my big old gas-guzzling uh, uh, truck sitting in the parking lot before the guy ever even walked in the meeting. Hey, boss, how are you doing? My name is Myers Raymer. What's cooking? How come you're here? What, just, you're just visiting. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a badass truck. I like it, but it sure eats some gas. And we talk about some crazy stuff for a minute like this, and then we sit on the tailgate, and we're just kind of talking. This guy's starting to relax a little bit and feel comfortable, and we're talking about it. How about them Rangers? How about, how about them pathetic Cowboys? How about... Why can't we... I did that just I did that just for my buddy Amanda. I did that. <laughs> Hey listen, she doesn't have to live in the town with the losers. I do. It's 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 embarrassing. I just like We're just visiting with this guy and just talking like this. And in the course of the conversation, we'll, we'll, the, the talk will go to alcoholism and we'll talk and I'll say, Hey bud, what 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 makes you think that you're an alcoholic? Well, you know, and they'll do just what he's been taught to do. Well, you know, I got this DWI, and I said, okay. I said, anything else? Well, no, I just got this DWI, and I just, huh, interesting. And and so I'm going to take him to page 44, and we're going to have this little conversation. If you got a book, real quick, um, um, this is one of those things that that you you got to have marked. I will never, ever, 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 ever tell you to mark something in a big book. But I'll tell you this one, okay? This this little first paragraph on the on we agnostics. Um, um, I want to re- read this real quick. We're going to talk about it, and I promise you, we're getting ready to get into two and three. But I got to set the stage for this first, okay? In the preceding chapters, that's the first first fifty one pages, we've learned something about alcoholism. We hope we've made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non alcoholic. Interesting. Why would it? Why would that be important? Bill and those guys knew it would be important. The non-alcoholic is going to look at recovery completely different. Fellowship is enough for the non-alcoholic. Good times, sober bowling, whatever. All of this stuff is enough for the non-alcoholic. But they want to find out, well, what about the real alcoholic? And then he's going to ask you two distinct questions. If, when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. Hold your finger right there on that piece like that. We're talking about choice and control, the stuff that Chris was talking about. Like the 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 um, if if you say you're never going to do it again, and then you find yourself starting again and starting again, then you've lost the power of 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 choice. If you drink one, I'm just going to have one beer when I finish mowing the lawn, and you find yourself having three beers or six beers or ten beers or whatever the deal is, then you've lost the power of control. 
Choice and control. That's what it all comes down to. The drama, guys, never figured into the picture. Ever. We gotta stop letting our drama define us as, as, as drunken addicts. We gotta stop doing that. It has nothing to do with it. Zero. It was those two, those two distinct questions like that. Chris hit that stuff on the head, and uh, one of my very favorite lines in the whole big book is the stuff that comes next on the next little part of the thing. Look at what it says. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only 90 meetings in 90 days will conquer. Whoa! Whoa. I'm sorry, that's where I changed my book, but what did it say? If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Bill, Bill continually used words like that in the big book. In these declarative statements that he made, he was always using these kind of things. And guess what? I know, I'm going to let you in on a little secret like this. I, I know it's going to be a shock to some of us. It was certainly to me like that. There are some musts in the big book too. Any of you guys ever go, to the, go through the book and, and circle or underline all the words must? If I hear one more old dude sitting in a meeting going, there are no musts in this big book, I promise you, I, I just... Oh, I don't want to kill them. I just want to hurt them. I just, I just, I just, just a taser across the, across the table like this. And he falls down and, and pisses himself. And then I would be okay. I would, I would be okay. I just, I know it'll be on my next inventory, but, but it drives me crazy. But that's the, that's the stuff I'm talking about. That's the old ideas that we bring into this thing. That's based on something that somebody said that thou becomes doctrine. And this is the stuff that we need to investigate. And as, as you get to 20 or 21 times, and there's 30 some odd of them, when they talk about this, or maybe it's, I don't remember. But there's a whole bunch of them. But by the time you get to like 20 places where it says you must do this, you must or it kills us, you must or... When you start reading that, you'll stop that idea that this big book is subjective. Guys, I'm telling you, wherever there's a group of men and women together, um, it, it, regardless of what piece of literature it is, we remember we did this exact same thing to the big, big book, the other big book, like the, exactly the same thing. We gathered it up and we made it subjective. And what we managed to do is we took the teeth out of the whole thing and made it some wussified, limp-wristed, powerless program, and we did the same thing with the big book. We took everything out of it that had any teeth to it like this, and we got some little toothless, clawless creature crawling around on the deal, a weak, weak facsimile of what AA used to be. A little hard, maybe so, maybe so. But i got to tell you guys, I've sat in a lot of those meetings, and some of you still do that. Some of you are still there, and it's painful to watch. That's the reason why we have so many people that have some crazy-ass ideas about what recovery looks like. Y'all dig? I'll be nice, I promise. I won't lose... This is the this is this is the best. So so let's let's ask a couple of questions. So the so the very next thing that I would do, once we got this guy qualified, and I, I have a sense that he knows why he's here, and he's saying uh huh or uh uh, this this is again not subjective. These are black and white, yes or no kind of questions like that. Then I'm going to ask this guy that the second thing that I think is important. You can add to the list. This isn't doctrine. This is just my own ideas about this stuff. You can add to the list. The second thing I think is, is important is I want to find out what he thinks about God. Where's your head around the idea of God? Listen, I'm not trying to sell you one idea or the other. I just simply want to know and understand. Am I dealing with somebody who's had God shoved up his crawl sideways and he's, and he's all goofy and, and push-offy about the whole idea of a spiritual path? Am I dealing with a Satanist? 
Am I dealing with a, with somebody that's completely ignorant of spiritual deals like that? I mean, we all we would approach it a little different, wouldn't we? In, in this kind of thing. But it would be nice to know ahead of time, uh, just, just in conversation. This is not a long, drawn-out deal. This is a, a two-minute conversation. Are, are, you, are you cool with the idea of God, or, or, or are you like some of us that got here when God is just simply something I cannot deal with? I need to know that. So, so let me ask you, why would it make any difference? If I got somebody that's okay with the idea, the concept of a spiritual solution like this, there's not a real reason, a lot of reason to spend a lot more time in that area. You understand? Because I'm not in a situation where I'm trying to get this guy loaded up with a bunch of doctrine. I'm just trying to find out, is he open to the idea spiritually or not? Now, guys, stick with me. So what happens if he says, uh, I, I'm, I'm not digging God at all? Which happens lots of times. You know, it, it's like we're going to hit the brake and just slow down. We, we, we stop right there. And this is a guy that I'm going to spend a little time. We're going to go back through and we're going to read We Agnostics. We're going to actually read it. We're going to actually look at some of the ideas on this kind of stuff and see if we can break down some of the intellectual uh, arrogance around uh, a lot of this stuff. Or just sometimes it's just ignorance of really what's going on. Sometimes it's just fear that we're dealing with, garden variety. I'm just too afraid to look at it kind of thing. It's cool. You can deal with it all, but it's helpful if you kind of know what's going on, what, what's happening. And so, um, and so then we would see. For the example like that, let's say just, let's just for a second assume that he said that he's, I, I'm okay. I, I, I'm pretty distant from God right now, but I'm okay with the idea of a spiritual solution to a problem like that. And we're just dealing with it like this. Remember now, we're, we haven't even gone inside yet. The meeting hasn't even started. We're just sitting on the tailgate of my truck talking some stuff, okay? And the very, the next thing that I was going to ask this guy is, I said, listen, in the event that you decide that you want to do what we do, in the event that you want to recover, um, um, are you willing to go to any length? Now, 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 now stick with me, guys, because because some of you, I don't think it's fair to ask that question without telling people what that means. I don't think it's fair to say that. Are you willing to go to any length? Well, remember, willingness and honesty are key in this deal. At that moment, he may be willing, but he's going to be willing in two weeks. I don't know. I, I don't know. And so we, we I need to show him what that stuff looks like and ask. Somebody asked me one time, I just... I just think that he'll he'll be able to tell us when it's ready to do the, when he's ready to do the steps. And I'm thinking, I mean, I, I just think that that's that doesn't it doesn't it doesn't line up. It's like finding out that you have cancer and then just saying, okay, well, why don't you just kind of write out your own protocol of how we're going to treat your cancer? He's completely ignorant to what was going on until moments ago. He didn't even understand the disease concept of what it is that's kicking his rear. And now we're going to let him run roughshod through a program and pick and choose what it is that he wants, what it is that he doesn't want. We already know what he's going to pick that he doesn't want. Anything that makes him feel uncomfortable, he's going to throw out out the door like that. And so why don't we. Let me ask you a question. Any of you guys ever sit in a meeting and read how it works before the meeting? Everybody. There's nobody that hadn't said in at least 10,000 meetings. And we, most, most groups read it at the beginning of the meeting, this, this first, the first part of how it works before you get to the steps. Rarely have we seen a person fail that part. Look at, look at halfway down that page. If you've got the page up, page 58, if you've got that up, look at what it says. Our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like and what happened and what we are like now. And here it is. I think it's fascinating that we read it over and over and over again so many times that we don't hear it. We just simply skip it like that. Look at what it says. If you've decided that you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. You see what I'm saying? 
if you've decided that you want what we have, and you may not know right off the bat, but at some point in time, you're going to sit in a room full of people, seeing them laugh, and you're going to go, I think I want what those people have. You're going to want that. That's a requirement that you have to want what it is that we have. And then second time, if you're willing to go to any link to get it, and I'm getting ready to tell you what any link looks like, then you're ready to take certain steps. This was the key piece of this document that helped us understand when it was time to start working with somebody through the steps. You see? Because within our fellowship, there, there, there seems to be a great deal of ambivalence about that. Do we start in their first week? Do we wait till they're there for six months? Do we wait a year? Do we wait what? What? And, and, and this is based on how you answer the questions. This would determine when we began to start, start the work. So let me, let, let me get to a place. I, I got one more piece to say about this. Uh, and this is where some of you guys, your hair will go and catch on fire and you'll run out of the room like that. Just, just chill, okay? Serious. Uh, I just, um, Let me just ask you the hypothetical question. Is it possible, based on what we've been talking about, is it possible to have somebody say this one, this first step, second step, and third step, is it possible that they could be ready to do their third step before they ever even went to an AA meeting? Yep. And for those of you that think that that's impossible, we probably need to chat uh, in private. And I'll try to explain to you as dogmatically as I can how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men I have worked through the steps doing it just like that. Listen, I've I've seen it from both sides. I've seen a let's do a step a month for a year and you'll be done at the end of the year. I've done that for a long time. I've paid attention to, to the deal. And I can tell you without any shadow of a doubt, if your work is solid in the beginning of this thing and you're not trying to rush somebody, this we're not trying to jam the steps down somebody's throat. I'm just mindful of the stuff that Chris was reading uh, on page 24. I'm just mindful of that thing that's in italics there that says that we won't remember the pain and suffering of even a week or a month ago. You understand? This is real stuff. I can't determine, I don't know when restless, irritable, and discontent is going to come back and kick you in the rear end. I don't know when that's going to be. But I think that the area that we make the biggest mistake is assuming that the meeting will treat restless, irritable, and discontent. And, and we just, and we just let them come and sit and come and sit. Well, if we, if that works, how many of us have seen people sitting in the room that we already love dearly that began to get sick sitting right in front of us, right there across the table, and they're getting sick day by day by day. We watch them just slowly unravel. They just get wrapped around the axle until pretty soon they either explode or they don't come back or they, or they start making some bizarre, um, um, decisions. You see, this is, this is, in this situation, guys, this is where, as a fellowship, we need to shoulder some of the responsibility. Because the question that needs to be asked, were we trying to love this guy into sobriety at the exclusion of some action with the steps? Which I think is important to understand. I think it's important to see this stuff. So, so, so if I hadn't pissed all of you off, let me just, let me throw one more little, little bomb in the middle of your laps, okay? I think that probably one of the things that during the darkest deep part of the night, looking at the ceiling, when you're just simply reflecting, it's you and, 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 and God and yourself just reflecting on some things. The idea that love is enough to get somebody sober. Guys, listen, I've been covered up over the years by people who take offense to anything that looks like action, but they love the idea of loving each other into sobriety. A lot of women really feel this way, and I'm, and I'm, a lot of Al-Anons swear by this, swear by this, that we can just simply love you enough to, to, to bring about recovery. I, and I just want to throw out one little fly in the ointment. Just one, just little teeny one, okay? 
I think if we look at our personal experience, that if love had been enough, your mom and daddy would have got you sober. Seriously. That your, your husband or wife would have got you sober. The people that love you to death would have got you sober. The problem is, is that love is a great thing. I'm never, ever discounting the power of love in our rooms. I'm never, ever doing that. To this day, I get emotional just talking about how cool it is that I can be in a room full of strangers and feel love that's so profound that it affects me on all levels. I get that. But I've also seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that we thought our love was enough and we should have known better. We should have known that unless they take some action, then there's going to be a there's going to be a problem. That this thing could blow up in their face, and they could be as baffled as we seem to be. Why did they make it? We were we were so loving him every day in the meeting. It's going to take more. It's it's going to take more. We 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 y'all get that. Um. Let me just ask a, 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 a quick question. Does the idea of trying to help somebody see their truth... Twelve hours ago, it may have seemed goofy. Are any of you a little more relaxed around the idea of spending somebody, spending a little time around somebody helping them see what their truth is on this deal? Like that? There, there, people go... There's, there seems to be a lot of push pushback sometimes around this, but I've got to ask you, if there's pushback, what I want you to be able to tell me is why there's pushback. Is there a bona fide reason why helping somebody see their truth? And again, half of you already have this in your head like that. You're going to stand there and point a finger in their face and say, you don't belong here. And I, I, I didn't say that. I didn't even intimate that. But this idea of letting people sit and sit and sit and sit must be looked at, at least investigated sometime and see where we are. Because there were a lot of us that struggled mightily because of just that thing. The fact that I was seven years in the program before I knew what the face of alcoholism looked like, before I could begin to describe it to somebody else. Listen, if I'm going to describe based on what they say, we told him what we knew about alcoholism, if I'm going to fit myself to that ideal theoretically, then what I need to be able to do, guys, is to be able to explain what alcoholism looks like. The stuff that Chris was talking about this morning in step one type stuff, I need to be able to explain that to new people, guys. If you don't understand it yourself, how do you ever expect to teach it? And if you don't expect to teach it, how do you expect to stay in the room happy? I, I know that's a stretch for some of us like this. I'm not judging any of you because I was a bona fide card-carrying, flag-waving, I don't want to do any of that shit. That's me. That's me. So I'm, you will never, there's not a judge, judgmental bone in my body if you're battling with this whole idea. There, I will never, ever judge you for that kind of thing. I, I just, I, I get a little passionate about it and I get a little kind of over the top sometimes because I want you to understand that some of the grooviest stuff of your entire existence lies simply barely outside your reach and the only reason you haven't got there is because you haven't reached because you haven't simply remained willing to learn something different and approach something different um, and some of this has to do with just how we're taught. Well, my sponsor said, Okay. But guys, let me tell you something. What I finally had to do was simply get to a place, God bless you, I had to get to a place where I would just simply be willing to go. Is there, are the things that were taught me in AA, or is it based on text on Big Book, or is it based on opinions and ideas? I didn't say it was bad stuff. I just said i got to ask the question and then go on. And, and, then, and what I found out was, guys, is that I had a head immensely full of Chicken shit one-liners, pithy aphorisms, and and all kinds of... But very little of it 
was doctrine. Very little of it was big book. And so in the end, I ended up having to unlearn a whole bunch of stuff and then gather up another pile of stuff and, and, and go ahead and do, uh, go ahead and do that. This, this step two stuff that we would talk about from a sponsorship standpoint like this, um, uh, I, I need everybody to understand from, from, um, the, the, the taping record, I want to make sure that everybody's clear and understanding. I'm a flag-waving Christian. I love Jesus, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm totally digging it. However, it's not my job with a brand new guy that's bleeding out of every hole he's got. It's not my job to, to impose a doctrine on him when he, I don't know his past. I don't know his history. Maybe he was completely demoralized. Listen, I had a, I gotta be clear on this. I think it's important to talk about it like that. I had a really, 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 really messed up experience in vacation Bible school when I was 12 years old. And it, and it tainted everything about how I looked at all religion for years and years and years. And so I'm the guy that wants to sit on a bar stool at two o'clock in the morning and go, you are an idiot because you believe that stuff. I'm the guy that wants to just simply uh, argue to the mat, um, that there is no God. Imagine my surprise later on when I would begin to be pursued by that same God and I would wake into this idea that all of a sudden, uh, wow, there's a whole lot of cool stuff out there. And there was an, there was an, a, a burning, a, this yearning inside me that said, go deeper, go look, there's more, there's more, there's more. And, and I did. And, and there it is. It sort of unfolded like this. Had I died of alcoholism, is it possible to get too sick that you can't seek anything? Absolutely. You see it all the time. You, you, you got to be alive first. And so my job these days is to keep you alive and then God does whatever God does. I mean, it's not my job to dictate all this kind of stuff. You all understand where I'm coming from on the deal? Some of you aren't digging any of this kind of stuff. You all, you all shut off right at that Christian. I hate Christians. Quit. Just on a piece of inventory, Myers is M-Y-E-R-S. It goes in the first column. And then we can work across and we can get past this stuff, guys. It just... Let God do the lifting that He was intended to do. You weren't intended to lift some of the burdens that we want to carry. It, 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 that's the reason why so many of us get crushed by this stuff. We weren't intended to carry all these burdens like that. So brand new guys coming in, I just want to find out what the deal is like this. How would I, how I would approach a guy who's had some schooling in, in, in spiritual matters and how I approach a guy that's a Satanist maybe two distinctly different things. You see what I'm saying? I'm gonna, I'm gonna kinda, kinda look at this thing a little bit different. And, and so the, I, I, I sponsor a guy right now whose whose idea of God is Thor. He no gods plural. And I said, excuse me. He said, yeah, gods. And I said, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, Thor is one of them. I went, In, interesting. I just like next. I mean, we're 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 gonna get on on past. God's gonna deal with this guy, and 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 it's an interesting thing to see. Um, uh, when I met him six months ago, he had no concept and no idea, and he was he couldn't stay sober twenty four hours. And today he's sober, kicking butt, taking names. And 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 I think that what will happen with most of us is, I think if we look at our experiences, what will happen is is that as you get into this thing, you will sense there's more. Any of you guys ever do that? You just you're, you're okay. I could I could have a stick man for a god, and that's okay in the beginning. I was talking to my little buddy last night at dinner, and and you you know you start out one place, but where you start out may not be if you're a year into the deal, and that stick man is still sufficient. I'm just going. Eh, I don't know. Let's let's maybe and I'm going to throw some stuff in there to kind of mix the mix the pot up a little bit like this. But I think what's going to happen is, is that for most of us like this, the deeper we go, the deeper we want to go. 
And pretty soon, and I'm going to say this, and it's just an opinion, it's an opinion, it's an opinion based on some observations, is that most of us, we find, will seem to come around full circle like this, and most of us seem to end up back in the religion of our youth, um, uh, and it's kind of crazy. I hate that stuff. And where did I end up? Crazy stuff. But I see this all the time like that, but you can see. But, but Bill's clear about it. He spends all this time. Why do you think Bill Wilson spent so much time in We Agnostics, chapter 4? Because he realized that it was going to be a stumbling block for so many of us because we had so many weird ideas. You talk about a, a, an area where old ideas will kill you. I mean, you, you got to. I don't know if there's any way that they could have made it the idea of approaching this simpler than that. Y'all get, y'all cool? And so listen, if, if a guy says he's ready to start and, and, and he's willing to look at the idea that there's something out there bigger than him, whose hand's going to stay on the tiller? Yours or somebody? Something else's. Something else's. We're ready to move on. I mean, I'm just, I mean, people for months sitting in meetings, oh, I'm working on my second step, I'm working on my second step, I'm working, you, uh, rock on, but, but let me, let me just say this and we'll, we'll move on. From a sponsorship standpoint, it drives me crazy that you have to have a full-formed idea of a theology before you're willing to turn your will and your life over to the care of that. And I'm telling you right now, guys, most of the time, at least from my experience, that does not happen. It does not happen that way. It's not a full-form doctrine that we're turning our will and lives to. It's the idea that something out there is bigger than me. Does that take courage? Yes. Yes. Sometimes the very best thing that you can do is say, listen, Hoss, quit trying to intellectually connect all this stuff up. Can you just simply look back, look around the room, and see how many people are here laughing their asses off, having a good time, and comfortable in their own skin? How many people can you see that? Well, everybody in the room, just about. Exactly. What do you think did this? Did these guys just read a bunch of self-help books and get better? No. These people were transformed because of a belief system that they were willing to at least begin on, a path that they were at least willing to get on. And then there it was. Y'all clear with that, right? Okay. Uh, um, the... Uh, I will say this, I have known in my, in my experiences men and women who uh, were categorically opposed to the idea of God, they didn't want to do anything like this, and my experience was if they would go ahead and work the work, that experience would happen in spite of themselves. And some of you guys have had those same experiences like that. If you've ever walked with a, worked with a, a, a real militant atheist, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch as they go through the work to see what begins to happen, and they're just simply transformed. And it's some of the funnest stuff that I've ever done in my whole life to watch these guys start. Well, so can we talk about spiritual stuff tonight, Myers? Wow. Yeah, we, we can. We, we, we certainly can. Turn to page 60. I, I am... Um, I'm going to ask the question because I think it's always... Um, um, <laughs> Once we get past the ABCs and they ask us these questions on this kind of stuff and it says down at the bottom, being convinced we were at step three, which is that we've decided to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood Him, however simple that happens to be, it's not a, not a big old, big old deal at that stage of the game. And then they start talking about this thing. Listen, I'm going to read just one little piece of this and we're going to talk. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. Okay, guys, so, so stick with me. Am I the only one in the book, in the room that thought that Bill Wilson was nuts for putting this stuff in here? We, we, I mean, we spent, we spent 50 some odd pages talking about what it is to be an alcoholic, what alcoholism looks like. It's booze, booze, booze. 
There it is. And then all of a sudden, it's like he taps the brake and we stop talking about it completely. There's no mention of our addiction in this thing. thing. He introduces this idea from complete left field. We get, we get sort of bitch slapped with this idea, bam, that perhaps you are selfish and self-centered. No, I'm not. No, no way. And then, and then he spends three pages kind of dismantling and unpacking the idea that perhaps you are. He, in the same way that he did the same thing with God in spiritual matters and we agnostics, he's doing exactly the same thing here to help you see what your, what your deal is. So, so let me, let me make sure, I want to make sure we're real clear. Is, is anybody in here still falter under the delusion or illusion that the booze was the cause of all your nightmares? We talked a little bit about this last night. But 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 I it was it was such a big ticket item with me. I was one hundred percent convinced that underneath this patina of drunkenness and addiction was this super special man that that my wife was just lucky to have. I mean it was it was her it was her lucky day. Well and then to imagine to my chagrin when I sober up and that I find out that I am a card carrying complete fruitcake on many levels. Uh, character defects that are pouring out of me and, and my wife is, is, is dismayed. Um, how many times do we see these guys where we get guys that recover and then years later their families have had enough of them and they say, oh, you got to go. I can't stand it. I can't stand it anymore. Because we're not addressing the bigger ticket items in this kind of stuff like that. Over here in a minute it's going to say selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Guys, I just, I, I remember the first time I read it, and I had not ever read it before. I was seven years into the deal, and I'm sitting with Cliff Bishop, and I'm reading through this thing, and he reads this thing, and I said, uh-uh, uh, that Clifford, I don't believe that. Canadian whiskey and methamphetamines, that is the root of my problems. That is. And once I get that clear, I'm going to be okay. Guess what? I, I just, I just... <laughs> That we think is the root of our troubles. And then they go through this whole deal like that. So our troubles are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves and the alcoholic is a stream example of self-will or unright, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. There's one of those musts. We might as well go ahead and start marking them now, okay? Because you're going to end up doing it later anyway. And then uh, we must or it kills us. That's another one. And who makes it possible? God. It didn't, it didn't have anything to do with how many books I had on my iPad, on my Kindle app. It didn't have anything to do with any of this kind of stuff. God makes that possible. This idea, and, and, and it's clear, in, in, in perfect Bill Wilson, black and white declarative state on that deal. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. And so what we got to do is we got to get you into a place where you see how selfish you are. And that's what we're going to talk about right after lunch. We're going to talk about specifically about, about that idea. But so, so let me, let's put this into perspective real quick here. Um, um, because this idea of selfishness and self-centeredness, I think that I, today I see the wisdom of where they put it. I understand. Because it looked like it had just gotten stuck in the middle of the book for some weird reason. It was like Bill and them had the manuscript and then all of a sudden somebody in the back of the room goes, Hey Bill, what's this? And Bill goes, Oh, crap. Um, shit, stick it right there. And he just stuck it in the middle of it. Because it didn't seem to make any sense because we changed gears so fast and went out. We were zigging and all of a sudden he zagged and we just went, what, what, what? Where did this come from? I thought I had this perfect. I thought I had this worked out. I'm going to be a perfect man as soon as I can put together some sobriety. 
And Bill's going, oh, contraire, you're going you're gonna to find out that for some of us, uh, this is where um, uh, we begin to see things um, at their clearest. Uh, and then you begin to see how often we covered up the character defects with the booze and the crazy stuff and the behavior and stuff. And, and, and there it was. Some of you guys are perfect. I, I'm just telling you, I met some of you already, and I would already move you over to the perfect column. Uh, you, you are. And, and you may not have had to see any of this truth, but there were some of us, some of us that were knuckle-dragging idiots and, and, and we needed to be, uh, we needed to, to see this stuff. Let me tell you where you'll see it the, the, the quickest and the easiest. Um, let's look at it in relationships. Um, um, I, so, so for every woman that's in here that's ever had a relationship with a man, I want to ask you this question. Could you not, in your experience, see um, the man of your dreams, or maybe it was just some guy you, were, you went out on one date, but could you see a guy in the same evening be a prince and a total jerk in the same night. Depending on how the evening is going. If I think I'm going to get lucky, I'm going to stay nice all night long. If I see you, if I see you heading for the exits, uh, uh, um, I'm going to be demonstrative. I'm going to be whatever it takes. I'm going to be either more witty or I'm going to be more demonstrative or I'm going to be just a, a whatever um, in order to get what I want. Um, I want what I want and I want it when I want it is the is the battle cry of every drunken dope fiend I've ever known in my whole life like that. And and this is important to see. But but if you this is the reason why Bill put this here. This is the reason why he got it set up like this is that it we're getting ready to slide into this inventory right after lunchtime. And the problem is if you don't see the selfishness and self-centeredness, if you're not at least introduced to the idea of the selfishness and stuff like that, that you will, uh, you will not, you will just skim right over it like this because there's still this idea. Um, um, there was a, a, a sister in here last night that gave me something about ego, to egoism, and I was going to read it this morning, and I left it in my it, uh, on my nightstand last night when I was cleaning out my big book, and and I, I just it was perfect, it was perfect, and I, I just the 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 idea here, um, if I can recognize the ugliness of it, and there'll be some definite pushback. There'll be some, some of you will just simply not want to look at the fact that you're selfish and stuff. But, but once you get on the other side, there it is right there. Thank you like that. Uh, egotism is the, is the uh, anesthetic uh, that deafens the pain of stupidity. And I, and I, <laughs> I love that. Thank you. I, I, I absolutely love that like that. It, because it, it's true. You're, my ego always wants me in a place where I'm right. And, and you can be wrong all you want to, but I'm always going to be right, and I'm going to defend it. Some of us will defend it to the death. This idea that I'm that I'm right, and so this idea that we're going to we're going to kind of kick this door open and begin to look at the fact that maybe. Um, so, so let me let me ask you the question again. I'm not trying to be provocative, but I want to I want to see where you stand on this deal. How many of you sobered up? And it realized in the middle of your sobriety, in the middle of some 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 time there with no booze or anything in you like that, did you realize that that what's looking back at you in the mirror is a third grader? You see? So, so let me ask you: How many of you guys have ever gotten mad? I, I'm, I'm, this is primarily directed at guys because we seem to be we seem to be bad times ten, and women may be the same way. So, but just how many of you have ever uh, reacted to something that happened? So amazingly, just just horribly, jumping up and down, throwing things, acting like a moron like this, and then a couple of seconds later went, God, where did that come from? And your loved ones are going like this. Your loved ones are going. 
your loved ones are going like, oh, my. My. How, how does a 60-year-old man act like a third grader? Go ahead and prop up a persona that's not you, and it's real easy. It's sickeningly easy to, to do that kind of stuff. And so this is the stuff, as we get into this, this is the stuff that we want to talk about uh, so that we can, we can we, it, it, it's part of understanding what it is that's going on, this idea of self that's going to be entered. So look at the very bottom of page 62. Let's read this for just a second. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Now, most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone to the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. It's not complicated. It doesn't take months of thinking about this kind of stuff. It's real simple. There's a tiller behind you that controls where you go and what you do. Is your hand on that tiller, or is God's hand on that tiller? It's that simple. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know about you, but I tend to do this. God, I am delighted that in the arena of addiction, your hand is on that tiller. And then I knock his hand off, and then I turn around and I go, but in these other areas of my life, relationships, work, a school, a church, what, in the, all of these other areas, my hand on the tiller is satisfactory. Thank you. I know you're a busy man. Thank you for dealing with the addiction part like this, but I'm going to go ahead and control the rest of this kind of stuff. I, I, you, can't, you, can't, you can't do that like that. It's like, it's like it, it all, I don't remember who it was, Bob D, or uh, I can't remember who it was that said it one time like it. It's like, this stuff is like, it's like peeing on one side of a glass of drink, or something you're going to drink. It's like peeing on one side and thinking that you're going to be able to keep it separate. It, it, it's, it's, like, it's just like you, you, you can't, Sometimes I wish I hadn't said things and there it is like that. But there's it, a visual I didn't even really want to go to. I, what bothers me more is watching you try to pee in a glass. I just like, I just like, I can't get the image out of my head now. But it's the way that we, that we, that we behave. It's the way that we operate on this stuff that get, begins to get us into some trouble on, on this deal. You can't, so, so look at this thing. It's good. Um, um, they give, give us these hugely profound uh, uh, ideas in the beginning of this thing. Um, if, we, if we performed his work well, established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves. Check. Our little plans and designs. More and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. Guys, that's a novel idea for me. Totally and completely novel. Because I'm a card-carrying, bona fide taker. I just want my piece of this life. I just want to grab my part of this deal. This idea that I actually have an obligation to give back, to put back into the stream of life, was completely novel. Some of you guys were raised better than me, but I'm telling you, that was so ingrained in me that I had to really, really, really pay attention to what was going on. As we felt new power blow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind. Guys, let me tell you, how many of you guys can remember times in recovery where you would simply be obsessed with the voices in your head? I'm to just the, the chaos. You can't go to sleep. You can't. You can't function because of the chaos in your head of, of you trying to see what's yours and sort life out and run like this. This idea that I can be peacefully in my own head, you guys. I'm telling you, to be able to sit still and be okay. You remember as you began to practice this idea of meditation, where you could just simply be okay in your own skin. This is huge, huge stuff. Guys, I'm delighted that you're not addicted. I'm delighted that you no longer fight that battle like this. But more importantly, I'm delighted that you could be at peace. 
that you could be okay in your own skin, that we discovered we could face life successfully. Wow. This idea we were reborn. Let me, let me ask you, is there any of us in here, is there a single individual in this room that, that was never in a situation where you just simply went, I wish I could be reborn. I wish I, if I could just do, get, I just, God, I just need one do-over. Just one. I just want to be different. You see? And here it gives us like this. One more little quick thing and then we'll, we'll slow this thing down. Um, um, in the center of that prayer, was I the only one that thought that the prayer was a little weird? Because, because I did. I, for a long time, I would look at this prayer and they would say it's how important it was. And then I would look at this thing. And what I noticed in the center of this thing, or in the, in the, in the prayer, there's no mention of booze. But in the center of this thing is this line that always fascinates me. Relieve me of the bondage of self. I, I just, I just, come on guys, I keep waiting for the call from GSO. Myers, we think you ought to rewrite that prayer because you're such a spiffy guy. We, why don't you just rewrite it? And I would have, I would have written it. Relieve me of the bondage of good Canadian whiskey and methamphetamine. I, that's how I would have written it. And yet Bill knew that my real problem, guys, when you get up in the morning and you're sitting on the edge of your bed and you take a deep breath and you look out like this, it is not booze and stuff like that that's waiting for you. It's not. Within two steps, how many of you guys have, have, have taken two steps away from the bed, heading for the bathroom, and already your head is spinning around a selfish thought? This is going to happen today. This is what I got to do today. This is what I need today to make me happy. This is how I need to present myself in order to make sure that everybody else thinks I'm happy. This is what, and we just go through the deal like that. Self is, a, how many of you would get in the bathroom and you're, you're just standing there like this and look at it and all of a sudden your head's kind of stewing on something and you, your head attaches to something that's kind of goofy and you go, uh oh. And then by the time you go, you're sitting there eating some Cheerios and you're grinding your teeth and you're already like this. You get through traffic and you're irritated. You're just going nuts like that. You walk into your office place and you're going, come on, boss, say something. <laughs> it's like, you see what I'm saying? But what drives that? Let, but let's be clear. What is it that's driving it? It's not addiction that drove that. It has nothing to do with addiction that drove that. What drives that? is that you're selfish and self-centered to the core and you're already dictating how it is that people are going to make you happy. And if they do not do that, then there's a price to pay. You see? And this is a horrible, horrible way to live. And this is the reason why so many of us struggle mightily. This is the reason why so many of us just simply come apart in recovery is because we don't do the rest of this work. We don't do the rest of the stuff that we're supposed to see. Identifying it as a problem is huge. That's a starting place for the deal like this. But in order to do this, you're going to have to make a decision. And if you're going to make a decision, then you have to take the necessary action to say that the decision was ever made. Otherwise, it's not even a decision. Decisions are followed by an action that you're going to have to take that's going to change the, all, the, the course. And they give us clear-cut directions that are going to follow. We'll talk about this stuff right after lunch, and we'll get, we're, going to, we're, going to, we're going to talk about that stuff. Everybody cool there? On the deal. So, so from a standpoint, I just want to wrap this up real quick. So, from a standpoint, from a sponsorship standpoint, there is nothing in steps one, two, and three that should take any appreciable amounts of time. I'm not saying they got to do it before they go into the meeting, but could they do it before they go into a meeting? In the right situation, under the right circumstances, they certainly could do that. How do I know that? Because I've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. It's pretty amazing to get a guy on his knees in a parking lot or in a little side room at a church someplace where you're meeting doing a third step prayer and he's never even been to AA yet. I know it just drives some of you crazy. But but I'd rather do it like that 
than I would be to having sit in dozens and dozens and dozens of meetings getting mixed messages about what his recovery is going to look like. You see what I'm saying? Because he's got this thing in the middle self that's, that's, that's rearing his head. Um, this is good. Um, anybody had a major question real quick like that? we got like five minutes and that's it. Uh, and we're going to go uh, uh, set up and get a little bit to eat. Uh, everybody, everybody cool? I, I, I'm perfectly clear that some of this stuff, as we talk about working the steps in a timelier fashion, there'll always be somebody said that all I heard you say is, is that we got to shove this stuff down their throat. I, I'm not saying that, guys. I'm saying that, that what we end up doing is, is we end up waiting too long, and couldn't we just lean into the idea that we could be a little more proactive about getting these guys into the work? If you want to let them sit a week and, 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 and go do their deal, rock on. But we'll do it like that. Real quick, do you have a question? Sure. I think Wally P. and those guys did a great service to our fellowship in getting us to understand what a lot of the basic stuff in the early days were, were like this. Given on par with everything else out there, I think it's a fine piece of information for new people to have. And in groups where they're practicing that format on the deal like that, let me tell you the only one caveat that I've had, and I've talked to Wally about this before, the only thing that's got me a little bit, just a little bit goofy about that, that idea is that this idea of doing a third step with other people in the room, sometimes because we're so easily moved and persuaded by, by peer pressure, it's like so you have ten people in a room, they're going through back to basics, and we get to a place where in a meeting, collectively, we're all going to do a third step together. But we got two guys in there that have been struggling with this idea about God, and they're not quite there yet, but, we, but, but, but they don't have the courage to say, guys, I'm not ready to do this yet. And so, but we're going to make them do this, this, this inventory, I mean, this, this, this third step prayer in unison with everybody else. So what they've done is they've based the rest of their program on, on a step that wasn't well thought out and they weren't really ready to do this. I'm not really ready to turn my will in my life over to the care of something I don't understand yet. And so then they do. And then later, if they start kind of coming apart at the seams, if it gets fuzzy around the edges, a lot of times that's where we'll find it. Uh, in their thing. In Dallas years ago, there used to be a big, there was a big movement within AA that these group step things were really important. And we, and I was a part of them. We'd have 50 or 60 men in a room doing uh, a third step prayer at the same time. And my observations were that sometimes these men were basing everything on a something, on an experience that they weren't ready to have yet. That they weren't, weren't, weren't you. But, but, but get on par. Let me tell you something. I'm all over it. I love it. Yeah. At least they're in the book. Real quick. That's a that's a great question. I'm going to continue to be this guy's friend for the till the bitter end. I, I, I'm, I'm, I may he he may be my new best friend. I don't know. We're just we're just gonna we're gonna talk about this thing. Um, um, he's welcome to come. Uh, the, all, where I go, all the meetings are open, and he's welcome to come sit in the meeting and, and be there for a little bit. I can help him, and I can be there to help answer questions and this kind of stuff. But my, my responsibility always, from a sponsorship standpoint, my responsibility is always to tell you the truth. Always to tell you the truth. If you're acting a fool, I'm going to tell you the truth. If you're acting great, I'm going to tell you the truth. If you're act, and, and in this situation, I just say, Hoss, based on what you answered and based on how we are like this, I'm not really convinced that you even need to be here. Please stay. Please enjoy the fellowship. Please, please just be here if you want to, and, and let, we can talk about it some more. We can read. We can work back through this stuff if you want to, like this. I'm not trying to run you off, 
But based on the way that you answered this thing, I, I talked to a guy one night. We were sitting in a car with a bunch of guys, and we were talking about this stuff. And this guy, I heard this guy, and I said, well, wait a minute, what did you say? And I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I said, what did you say? And he said, well, if I just said if I go to a party and they don't have Michelob Light, I just don't drink. You understand? You but, you but do you understand why I would be suspect of this guy's alcoholism in that cir- in that circumstances like this? I mean, it, it just it just yeah. This is one of those guys I'd go. You know, let's talk some more. Let, let's talk some more. At the at the end of the day, it is not my job to run you out. It's not my job to do that. I just simply want to tell you the truth based on what I see. All I ever ask for is that people tell me the truth, and that's what I want to be sure that I that I that I teach. Y'all cool? Real quick. It would it would depend. I want to know kind of where what the situation is. It would it would depend. I just I just want to. This is one of those situations that it may take a day or two, just because I'm ready to have him in the room, just because I'm ready to love him and want him here and get, and for him to get well. Doesn't necessarily mean that he's ready to do that kind of stuff. And so sometimes we have to just be a little more careful about this kind of thing. I'm not going to force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do, and I'm not going to strong arm them into doing it like this. Um, um, if they if they don't want it, if they want to wait a little bit, say, buddy, come on, sit. why don't you sit with me tonight in the meeting like this, and I'll be there to answer whatever questions that come up like this, and then we can see. And at some point in time, usually within 24 hours, my, at least that's been my experience, within 24 hours they'll contact you and say, buddy, tonight when we're at that meeting, would you do a third step prayer with me? I said, absolutely I will. And we get on with it there like that. Let's make let's make one thing real clear though. We we have one message to carry to the alcoholic that still suffers. We're going to qualify these guys. One to help them find out: Are you an alcoholic? Are you a drug addict? Are you a combination of the two to help them see their truth so they can get comfortable? I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. They're just really uncomfortable. I don't know which room to go to, you know, because they did more dope than they did alcohol. But if you sit down and ask them the questions, they go, shit, I'm an alcoholic too. Welcome. <laughs> you, 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 like I said, most of us in here qualify for a whole bunch of 12-step fellowships. And that's that's the ticket. If I'm talking to somebody, though, and the second step, the consideration is, you know, am I willing to believe there's something out there bigger than me? And this guy just continues to say, no, there's nothing else I can do. I'm not going to jam it down that throat, but I'm not going to do the rest of the work with you. We only have one solution for you, and that's the spiritual experience. And if you're not willing to do that, you know, follow? There's too many people dying out there for me to waste time with somebody that believes they can do it another way. And listen, guys, I'm going to say this. I'm not knocking. If you can do that, there's like, I can think of three other fellowships out there that are taking God completely out of the fellowship. SOS is one of them, Save Ourselves. Uh, 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 moderation uh, Management is, is another one. There's, there's several. Rational Recovery is another one. They're all 12-step. Based on the 12 steps, they're taking the spiritual experience completely out of the fellowship. If you want to use that, then that's fine. Let them go there. See, I don't worry about them sitting in my AA group. I worry about them sponsoring a real alcoholic downstream who may desperately need this. We're not trying to jam anybody up. I'm just not going to waste my time with somebody that's not willing to, to go with what, we, what we've done. And that's the, some of the problem that we've done. We've watered the whole thing down so everybody can feel comfortable. I, 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 that's not my job. My job is to carry a clear message. So we'd be gentle with them just like Myers said. We talk to them. We spend some time. I'm not going to jam them, help them out, escort them out the door. <laughs> they're, they're welcome. They'll stay. But I get to choose who to work with. Y'all good? Y'all ready for lunch? Let's go. One of the...
uh, we look like a big old anthill out here, moving around. Hello? One of the, uh, I want to mention a couple of little things real quick while we're while we're settling in. We're gonna this little section we're gonna do uh, uh, four, five, six, and seven, and then uh, we'll do a little eight, nine, ten, eleven after that, and then we'll just talk about working with others. And you guys are in for, I mean, it's a, it'll be a long afternoon for some of you. But bless your heart. Um, y'all feel free. Listen, I guess y'all feel free to get up and get you something to drink, move around. If you got to go pee, get up and go. You're not gonna offend us, and, and that's what we're doing here. And it's uh, y'all just make yourself comfortable. It's right after lunch. If you need to sleep, rock on. How cool is that? And uh, just don't snore because we'll wake you up. You know, y'all can do that. I want to mention real quick to you if you, um, one of the, well, I heard a, a therapist one time, a counselor one time in a treatment center a long, long time ago. She said, one of the coolest things I ever heard is anybody say in treatment, she said, What did you hear me say? You know, because a lot of times I'll say something and what you hear and what I said are two completely different. You know, it's just, it's, it's, you, you, you're kind of hearing what we're saying filtered through your experience, and, and sometimes, you know, that's the way it works. That's why I love to do these kind of deals where we can slow down a little bit, and we can spend some time with you, rather than just come up and do an hour talk and then leave. Guys, we're not passing the cards out here. These are little AA cards we're passing out. We're not looking for business here. We're passing these cards out so that if we say something that spurs some a question from you, and if you're like shy like me and you don't want to ask here, then email us, talk, let's visit with us. Just, we don't want to, we want to make sure that you don't misunderstand what we're trying to say here. I, I, I'll repeat something we talked about earlier. If what you're doing in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous or not, whatever fellowship that you're a part of, if what you're doing is working, if you're being an effective sponsor and you're you're digging your life, man, keep doing it. I mean, we're we're not t- telling you how you don't have. I mean, bop to you drop. My experience is I want to become a better sponsor. I want to become. As I get older, I want to become a more effective member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I can learn how to do that by thinking outside the box a little bit, maybe going back to the history and seeing how they used to do it, then then, then that's what I want to do. I mean, alcoholics, God, I, I just, I've said it from a thousand podiums. We we can be so dead gun closed-minded. There's not an alcoholic out there that walks in the door of an AA meeting over here in, in, in Montgomery. Some old-timer will be in his face in 10 seconds. I want you to be open-minded. You know, but after you've been sober about five years, you can just close your mind to anything. You know, it's just, good God, guys, I, I got to tell you, I was blown away uh, years sober when I started reading some old uh, articles by old members of Alcoholics Anonymous and how they used to do it. When I started reading some of the history of Alcoholics Anonymous back when we had great success rates, man, it changed uh, my life. I, I, the way I sponsor, the way I... The way I, 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 I treat my fellowship, I, I, you know, guys, I got a life to lead too. I can't just live in AA. That's not what anybody's expecting anybody to do. But um, uh, that's why we put those emails out there. And guys, if we say something that makes you goofy or, or you're wondering what's going on a little bit or you got a question, email us or call us and we, we can visit about that till the cows come home. We don't, we're not here to make anybody uncomfortable about this, but some of this stuff is going to make you uncomfortable. And anytime I start pushing against something that you believe to be your truth, you follow? You're doing it this way, and I'm suggesting you do it this way. Now all of a sudden there's a battle here. It's like, why? He said, I love you to death. If that's working for you, just don't worry about it. Walk on. Have a good life. 
you, you follow? I know there's people out there that could be more effective. I want to, I want to, uh, if, if sitting in a room uh, talking about my day would make me feel as absolutely full as it does me sitting down with a little guy, helping him understand what a four step's about, I, I just shut up. I just sit down. Make sense? I, I, I want everybody to get on the same page. We, 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 we tweaked a couple of you with this, this, uh, this qualifying business. We got, we got some of you guys still, after Myers did a beautiful job talking about it, he repeated himself. I counted four times. We're not trying to be exclusionary. I just think it's a disservice to you as an individual if we let you sit in this room and be confused. Are you an alcoholic or not? Are you a drug addict or not? Are you both? Make sense? We, I've got to tell you guys, there's wonderful fellowships out there, and the idea that because I'm a recovered alcoholic, I can help you with your opiate addiction is, is ludicrous. I want to get you to somebody that's an opiate addict so they can help you with that. And that's part of my job. That's part of my job as a human being. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to write you off the list. But I'm not going to waste my time and try to present this facade that I can fix what's wrong with you when I can't. Y'all understand that? Remember I told you that story last night about me getting my ass whipped in that, in that Vietnam bar? By trying to tell people that I'd been to Vietnam when I hadn't? How disrespectful of me. And all of y'all say the same thing. Y'all laugh. I said, that was, that's pretty cheap. You know, that's pretty, yeah. And yet, and yet we'll allow somebody to come into these rooms and stay confused and not help them get comfortable. I just think that's a disservice. I can ask them a few questions and I can help you get, get connected. If you're an alcoholic, welcome. If you're a drug addict, welcome. I, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. We're going to stay focused on what we're talking about in an AA meeting. Make sense? We're going to talk about it when we talk about sponsorship and just willing to go to any length in that last hour. We're going to talk specifically about that. So we're not trying to be exclusionary. And if that's what you hear us say, I'm sorry. I, 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 I truly am. Um, listen up. I mean, I, I don't think we should have to say it anymore. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. You're welcome. In, in Alcoholics Anonymous, if you read the, some of the stuff that's out there, what, 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 one of the mistakes we've made uh, is uh, we've kind of compartmentalized this. If y'all go in, you know, y'all go to treatment, y'all do little step studies, and we're going to talk about this this week, and we're going to talk about that that week. So we have an idea that it's all separate. But the truth is, when Bill Wilson sat down, he was working these steps in groups. So step three through nine was supposed to be worked all at once. And some people that will question that. But if, again, if you read the stuff that, that's about it, he, Bill Wilson's his, his comments in the book tell us exactly what's going on. Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action after we do a third step. Action, action, and more action. We do a fourth step. We dump a fifth step. Six, seven. An hour after. An hour after. It drives me crazy when I listen to people and me. What step are you on? I'm six and seven. I'm, I'm working on my six. Buddy, buddy, that was two months ago. What? What? I don't, want to, I don't want to grind anybody here, but it's two paragraphs. How much is there to work on here? You know, you're not removing the character defects. God is. I'm just saying. It goes really quick. Y'all follow? That's the problem. We slow them up. There's two places that will lose you in the steps. As a newcomer, you're coming in. I'm working through the steps. Historically, there's two places we'll lose you. Between the third and fourth step, y'all agree? And between the uh, seventh step, 
slash eight step and ninth step, right? It's, it's just, you know, I'm working on my amends. I'm working on my amends. Yeah, you haven't made an amend in two weeks. You're not working on Jack. Y'all follow? You're not. You're not. You're sitting on your eight step list is what you're doing. So what the idea is, is that we can do this with some power. Third step talks about lack of power. That's the dilemma. Did y'all agree? Lack of power. See, I need some power. I need some power to stay sober, but I also need some power to do this business. And that's what happens. In a third step prayer, I'm going to ask God to help me. And then while that power is still there, while I'm still pretty motivated, instead of letting you sit on your butt forever, yeah, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to kind of stick a fork in you and, and kind of prod you along a little bit so so we can get some some relief. If I don't get you to a place of comfort pretty soon, you're going to you're going to twist like you wouldn't believe. And I've watched this in treatment centers. I've watched this in NAA until the cows come up. We do you a disservice when we let you sit on this process. Yeah? Here we go. I think Bill Wilson's instructions, we launched that on a course of vigorous action, is true. When I'm sitting down with a guy and I'm sponsoring him and we're working, we do a third step prayer, we get up and i got two things handy. i got one of them is a little date planner. i got a little notebook there too. I got a little date planner, and I'm going to open it up, and I'm saying, okay, we just did a third-step prayer, and your fourth step uh, is going to start now. I'm going to show you how to do it, and we're going to do your fifth step in one week, seven days. Well, I can't do seven days because i got to work. Okay, eight days. Hey, I'm a compromising buckaroo. I'm, I'm flexible. Come on, guys. Here's the deal. We've seen it a thousand times from experience. If I give you six months, you will take five months and 29 days. And then you will write like a sum gun to get this thing finished. Y'all follow? It's just, it's just, and I've under, that's, that's why I hear people all the time. Oh, she relapsed. We, we see so many people relapsing around their fourth step. That's because we let you sit in that mess forever. If you, if you, if you look at the original stuff, again, Ebby's taking this information. He's doing the steps with Bill Wilson in Towns Hospital. All of these guys, buddy, they had a couple of little notebook paper. They sat down, they helped them write the book, back to basics. That's exactly what the sponsor actually did the writing in the original days. There wasn't this big long, you know who came up with this long-winded four-step stuff? Treatment centers. Man, I got you for 30 days. We've got to give you something to keep you busy. I mean, for, for $40,000, we got to do something here, you know? I got, I've got a, I've got a, uh, I've got an 84-page four-step guide on my, on my desk at work. Come on, guys, can y'all, can y'all picture this little newcomer coming in? He's, he's just barely detox. He's just freaking out, and you drop this big, big wedge of crap on his desk. He's like, okay, now we're going to get started on this four-step. What? This is not therapy. This is an inventory. Quick and fast. I'm going to be thorough. I'm going to make sure of that. I, that's my job is to help you get see the truth. Guys, we make this way more complicated. Go into any meeting later in the week and say, I want to talk about the fourth step and listen to the groans. Whole room. Say, I'm working on a fourth step. Oh, man. Oh, man. See, that wasn't my experience. That was my experience for seven years in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. But once I sat down and actually did a fourth step, it was the most freeing thing I've ever done. Because I had a sponsor that wouldn't let me sit on it and feel sorry for myself and play the victim. Make sense? I'm going to get into it. Four-step business, guys. There's a couple of things that it accomplishes. Uh, it allows me to see some truth about myself. I mean, what are we trying to accomplish in this fourth step? I, I, I live in this delusional world. Half the time, I, I, what I perceive happened didn't even really happen. Any of y'all ever done that? You know, I know he hates me. Turns out he didn't think about you ever. You know, just, <laughs> but in your head, you've got this. You've got this thing. Yeah. Yeah. 
lot of people believe that this is just about confession. And I've said this from podiums, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Uh, if this is just about confession, guys, then, 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 then all the Catholics will be sober. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You know, there's a piece of confession here. You see, I want to share with you some experience I had. You're going to share back with me, and I'll realize I'm not the only bozo on this bus. You with us? Misery loves company. I, gosh, you did that too? Oh my gosh. There's going to be some, some feeling of, 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 of commonality between us because of that. Y'all follow? But that's not the purpose of the fourth step. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is it's a fact-finding mission. Bill Wilson wants us to get in there and poke around and try to figure out why things have gotten so goofy. Again, just what Myers was saying earlier. Stop blaming the alcohol and the dope. That exacerbated the problem. I guarantee you that. But you're going to be so disillusioned when you finish all the drinking and drugging and put that aside and you're still crazy. And, that, and, and, and Bill Wilson understood that. We talked about it earlier. This is kind of like a triage setting, what we're trying to do. We're trying to, we're trying to get, you, uh, get you past your past. Some of you guys, you get cranky about it because you held on to that. And then there'll be some of you that'll leave irritated with this piece I'm talking about. I want to say it. Victimized people get sober every day. I listen to some of your stories from the podium and I go, God dang, forget staying sober. How did you live? How did... Victims die drunk. You see the difference? There's a lot of people get hurt. If you stay in that place of, I'm hurt, you won't stay sober. Because every time somebody gets close to you, you'll throw that trump card down. You'll follow? This is why some people get a little cranky with it, irritable with it, because instead of looking at it like something you can help somebody with downstream, you're looking at it as, this is what separates you and makes you different. What's the one thing that keeps that kills more alcoholics than anything else? is terminal uniqueness. You don't understand, my case is different. Yeah, a lot of nodding heads out there. I don't know what it's like wearing a black eye patch all your life. <laughs> Come on, guys. I, you know, we do it sometimes because it works. I can, I guarantee you, I can use victim stuff and and control you. You with us? Let me, let me, let me. We got a spectrum down here. Let's say these little guys over here are are, are all full of themselves. And they're just, they're just. Y'all see them, they come into meetings, I don't need God, I don't need you, I, you know, I, blah, blah. they're full of themselves, you're with us? And these guys over here are just nothing but victims, it's like, you know, they're looking down at the ground, I don't, I don't know why I even bothered to come in here, I know I can't get sober, I'm, I'm, wow, well, if I, you think they're different, but they're not, this is, this is, this is an exploded ego, you're with us? This guy thinks he's bulletproof, this guy thinks he's the worthless piece of shit, now listen, I can deal with this guy all day long. Time will take care of this guy. You know what I'm saying? He'll eventually explode, you know, and he'll, 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 he'll get right size. That's what the steps will do, get him right size. The ones that I have trouble with and the ones I identify with the most, because that's me, is the victim. The minute it gets, all I got to do is throw it out there. All I got to do is throw it, and everybody will back off. They'll follow? And it's and it's and it works. I can manipulate the room with this this sadness, the victim stuff, and it's okay. But it's not very fun. Nobody wants to be around you, and it's a crappy way to live. See, guys, what I want to do is I want to get free of all of that nonsense. My sponsor used to say, "How free do you want to be? Do you just want to not drink today? We can. I, we, I guarantee you, we can fix that for you. Do you want to be free from the rest of this? See, I don't want my past affecting my future. 
I don't want to do that. And that's what the 12 steps do, guys. The 12 steps, those, those Tebow, Tebow articles I was talking about, Bill Wilson wrote, wrote a lot about the surrender. He talks about this ego getting right size with this business. Guys, I don't want to be better than you. Not today, not ever. I got to tell you, I'll tell you a real quick story. Amanda's driving up yesterday. She's going to let us off in the front. And Myra said, absolutely not. Park this bastard and let's, we're going to walk up like everybody else. Y'all follow? nicer than that. I that's exactly <laughs> And a lot of people are there. You know, they, they treat you like, like you're a big shot. You know, bring you coffee and all this kind of stuff. And I thank you so much for your hospitality. But you got to be careful with that nonsense. Pretty soon, you know, I'm expecting it. What about my hooker? I mean, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> what? Of course we're just laughing about that. But, I mean, that's, that's why so many circuit speakers relapse. They start buying their own PR. They start thinking they're back. Guys, I don't want to be better than you. But I don't want to be worse than you either. I want to just be straight. Look you in the eye curtain and say, my brother, until the day we die, my brother, right there. I'm not better than you. You may have more sobriety than me. I may have more than you. But that'd make me better. Make sense? By working the 12 steps completely, by, by looking at my inventory and seeing my truth and going right straight out and making amends and cleaning up my crap, I become a, a man among men. I just, I just become just like you and everybody else. That's what I'm trying to say, guys. It sounds like from up here, we're telling everybody what to do, and this is what we got to do, and AA's screwing up, and your groups mess up. and this, That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to share our experience. By doing this work, we'd have a whole bunch of other people out there, a hell of a lot more compassionate, understanding what's going on. I'm going to say this real quick because I may not have time later to do it. I was talking to a Jesuit priest one time at a, at a, at a old conference. He was the sweetest man you'd ever come across. He's long since passed away. And, and I'm one of these guys that believe in spiritual warfare. I have been alone in apartments by myself with the demons telling me to jump. You know, I, I just I just believe even in sobriety there is warfare. There's Good and evil. What goes around comes around. It's just, I, I believe that's there. And it's, and, and you're free to disagree. But I, I absolutely believe that. And I, and I asked him when he asked me, he said, Chris, do you believe that Satan or the dark side or whatever that evil part is, do you believe that once you're dead? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that dark wants to be dead on a doornail. He says, you're wrong. He says, that dark side wants you, here's the word, ineffectual. I still want to cry every time I think about it because it was an eye-opening, no pun intended, experience for me. It was eye-opening because I because that was the deal. I just thought it was a, it was a, it was life and death. You know, this this he wants he didn't want me dead. He wants me sitting in a meeting, too afraid to go up and introduce myself to the newcomer to to to, to be effective. He wants me to sit in a sick meeting and not stand up at a group conscience and say we can't keep doing what we're doing here. We're losing members by the thousands. And I believe that's it. I believe that's it. Our job today is not to stay sober. I, God, God's taking care of that. My job today is to stay spiritually awake. I got that? Okay. Spiritual awakeness is a freedom. It means that I'm not driven by fear 24-7. Fear around my money. Fear around my relationships. Fear around my health. That, I, that I, I've got some, 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 some peace around that. And this, it, this is the first part of it that comes to it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a, a leap of faith and I'm going to make a decision. In the third step, I'm going to ask God to be my father, right? This third step prayer obligates me to go back out and bear witness to God's power. What's going to happen is people do a third step prayer and they finish this work. Guess what happened? God starts to do exactly what that third step prayer says. It starts to remove your difficulties. Oh my God, I can't believe it. I got this cool job. 
no shit. Well, no kidding, you know? And that's what we're supposed to be going into meetings. People are always jamming. Well, you think meetings should just be pep rallies. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. Guys, I still periodically see a therapist. I got stuff I need to work through. I got a sponsor. I got friends in this room I can call on any any dime and, and, and visit and talk about stuff that's going on with me. I don't need to use a group as a therapy session. Not not now or ever. I'm gonna go ahead and say it real quick. Singleness of purpose means that we talk about what we're talking about here, the solution. That's what we're supposed to be talking about. Everybody thinks it's just talking about drugs. You with us? I don't want you little crackheads coming into my meetings talking about smoking crack or shooting heroin. But the next guy can talk about his grandkids until the cows come home. Okay, but the 18-year-old kid down here, what's the difference? It's still an outside issue. Y'all are free to disagree. But you're wrong. Okay, so... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I want to hear about your grandkids after the meet. No follow? Don't get mad. Here we do. I sit down with a guy and I show him how to do it. I do it in sections. We, we read it. We can do it together. Or we can do it at home. Like I give him a day to understand. I'm going to be there on the phone. Listen, when I set this guy up to do a four-step, it's going to be kind of hands-on. That's why sponsorship, I can only do one or two at a time. I sponsor a whole bunch of guys, but I only take a few through the work at the same time because it's pretty labor intensive. I'm going to have to do a fist step with his knucklehead. I'm going to, you know, with showing him, I'm going to be on the phone. And after that, we're going to pat him on the butt and get him on out. And I'm going to help him uh, do their amends. And and, uh, uh, then they're going to be sponsoring people. We're going to go kick some butt. So, but it's it's pretty labor intensive right here. After we do this, I'm going to give him the information and I'm going to show him how to do this inventory. There's three inventories that we got to do. There's a resentment inventory. There's a fear inventory and that old sex inventory, which is more craziness around that than you can shake a stick at. My resentment inventory is just real simple. I sit down and I get quiet and I, and I ask God, I says, God, show me the people, institutions, and principles that I'm pissed at. If I'm thinking about this guy and I'm feeling a little uncomfortable, I'm going to put him on this list. It didn't say put down every person you've ever hated in your life. Guys, some of you guys, are you're, you spend all your time writing. I'm working on my list. I'm working on my list. Well, how many names have you got? I've got close to 800 names on my list. What? What? Who are you, Damien? I, what? What? <laughs> Come on. You're putting people's down. You don't even remember their name. You haven't thought of them in 20 years. And you're putting them on this inventory. Why? I'm just saying, why? I say, God, show me the people I'm pissed at. Institutions or principles. Wafala? And I'm going to write that name down. I'm going to, I'm going to put it down. If it comes, and I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to put it down. And when the names stop, I'm going to move on to the second column. Make sense? I'm not this this idea that the person that's got the most names down is going to be the winner here. And as I, I got held up after in Atlanta, Georgia, I got held up by a guy one time that wanted to tell me I had 1,400 names on my inventory. I would have if he had asked me to hear his fist step, I would have committed suicide before I would have done that. Come on, selfish and self-centered is the root. There's not. I don't even know that oh, that many people. I I I, I don't know. I'm going to put it down. Who the person is? Second column. Why I'm cranky with them? What 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 I perceive the wrong was? I got to get real specific. I'm going to try to avoid always in these in these columns. I'm going to word avoid words like always and never. You'll follow. She was never there for me. That's a lie. Often she was there. Sometimes when I needed her, she wasn't there. That's the truth. If you lie in the second column, you're going to be lost in the fourth column. Gafala, this is a fact-finding mission, guys. 
That's what we're going to do. In this column, I'm going to show you real quick. If you would please turn to page 66, top of the page. Got it? To conclude that others were wrong was far as most of us ever got. The usual outcome was that people continued to wrong us and we stayed sore. Sometimes it was remorse and then we were sore ourselves. You get it? I cannot tell you how controversial this is. Put your name on this inventory. Guys, who's your, who's your, your worst enemy? Ah, uh, uh, come on, guys! Absolutely, I, I, I can't. I, I can't tell you how many people I've heard. You don't put your name on this inventory. You, listen, you, yes, you do. You beat yourself up like a, like the book is telling you. Sometimes it was remorse, then we were sore at ourselves. Who are you supposed to put on this list? People were sore at. Put it on the list. You don't have to put it first if you don't want to, but put it on the list. Make sense? There was a lady that let me live in her apartment, and I rang up a bunch of. This is back in the day. We had. Y'all remember party lines? <laughs> I remember John Travolta, and never, never mind. Yeah, I've aged myself. And this, but I, I ran up a bunch of phone calls on her party line and, and her, her bill, and she was the nicest lady in the world. I didn't put her on my inventory. Miss Laura was a wonderful, wonderful person. I was mad at myself for doing something so goofy. Y'all follow? I, mean, I, I, I was raised right from wrong. I, I knew better than that. I knew when I did it that, that, that I owed her the money. And I left town leaving her holding the bag on, the, on that phone bill. I, I'm not mad at her. I'm mad at me. Well, where are you going to deal with that? Where are you going to deal with the guilt and the shame that so many of us carry around nonstop? You don't deal with it, you're not going to stay sober. I'm just saying. You can go years of therapy with it, or you can sit down and do this piece right here, and, and, and you might get clear of it pretty quick. And just a thought. Put your name down there. Put whoever it is, the cause, why you're pissed. Work across there in, in, in the first one, and then down. You start working down because it's faster. Affects my the seven areas of, of, of my life: my self-esteem, my pride, my pocketbook. Y'all understand? It's in, in the book. We don't have to go there. There's areas that you, that, that are affected by that. We were talking to somebody about the theater of the lie. Uh, there's a guy in Denver that started doing it years ago in our lineage. It talks about an expanded third column of looking at what character has been has been affected by this. You know, some of us we've got thousand characters. You know. I got sober, and I'm a business owner in Louisville, Texas. It's a bankrupt business, your father. I owe everybody, but I own this business. I'm thinking I'm I'm presenting this picture that I'm Donald Trump, you know, and I'm not. Yeah, I think I'm Don Juan because I've dated lots of women. I dated lots of women because they would go out with me one time, and that was it. Your father, the characters that are affected. But if you went out with me twice, I mean, we were. Yeah, and I, we're going to move in together. That's for a fact. Anyway, I look at the look at the fourth column. Is the one again? The word is important. My mistakes. It didn't say my part. My mistakes. There's lots of areas that that I was that I was wrong in that I could have done differently. And I'm going to write that stuff down. The main ones are real simple. The, the, the illustrations are in the book that talks about it. where was I fearful? Where was I dishonest? And where was I selfish to the core? Anytime I'm judging you, I'm being selfish. The follow, and that, that's we all have to try to watch that because it's in a, in my group. It's you know, God, who dressed that guy? I mean, you know, really. And it's like Chris, you follow. You got to be careful with that nonsense. And I look at that in the fourth column, and I come back over, and I and I just I, I knock this baby out. It's just it's just pretty simple, cut and dry. 
most of those areas in the fourth column, that's that's uh, uh, that's what it's going to cover. My fearfulness, the dishonesty, uh, and uh, and my my damn judgmentalness. It's just it's, it catches most of that. And uh, we may have twenty. I would ra- I would guys. I'm going to tell you, it's not the instructions in the book. I would rather see you do the the top ten resentments that you're carrying around and get through this damn work than to sit here and sit on it for six months, steady putting names on your list. Again, we talked about triage. I gotta get you to a place so you stop hurting about this. Make sense? If every time you you you, you jump, every time the phone rings, every time a cop gets behind you, you're you're all freaked out. You owe everybody. You got you can't stay sober under that kind of pressure. You just can't. And I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna walk right straight through with you, and I'm gonna get you through. If I let you spend too much time on this, we're we're we're, we're I'm doing you a disservice. So so. The problem isn't our past, it's refusal to accept it as past. And that's what we're going to try to get to show you. And, uh, and, and hopefully we can do that. I'm going to finish the uh, resentment inventory, then we'll sit down and I'm going to do a little two-column fear inventory. I've seen five-column fear inventories, I've seen ten-column fear inventories, I've seen novelettes, you follow? The book says list the fear and why you think you got it. I'm coming straight out of the book. I don't know what, I don't know. You, you can add to it downstream. Again, I'm trying to keep this as simple as possible for the little newcomer that's coming in, just trying to remember to zip his pants up after he pees. You know, and now now we're going to try to make this too complicated. He's going to run. It's just it's just simple. What, what what are you fearful of? I was one of those guys that wasn't fearful of anything. I ain't scared of nothing. Huh. Mark used to ask me, he says, Chris, uh, are you afraid of going broke? Well, yeah, everybody's afraid of that. Well, are you afraid of dying? Well, everybody's afraid of dying. Are you afraid of getting AIDS? Back in the 80s. Well, yeah, yeah, but everybody, I mean, yeah. Are you afraid of women? I think that's a cheap shot. I suppose, I suppose. He said, Chris, why don't you just make a little list of things you're not afraid of? It'll be shorter. <laughs> little bunny rabbits? That's me, I, you know. <laughs> Bill Wilson did a great one of the, my favorite lines in the book. Is talks about and when he talks about on the fear inventory. He talks specifically about. He says it was an evil and corroding thread. Our fabric of our existence was shot through with it. Can y'all imagine how much of our days is spent around that word fear? There's a bunch of you in here right now that won't go get that cool job you wanted because you're afraid of what somebody's going to say. You won't go back to school. You won't paint the picture. Y'all follow? You won't ask for the divorce. You won't ask to get married because you're walking in fear. I'm not making fun. I'm not taking a shot. I'm saying that's not living. And there's a bunch of people that think it's just okay enough because I'm not drinking today. Everything's going to be all right. But you're not living life. You're not doing what God intended you to do. Fear inventory changed my life. Sex inventory. I sit down. There's nine areas to look at around the sex inventory. Folks, I got to tell you, the sex inventory is as simple as some specific questions. Where did I justifiably arouse jealousy, suspicion, and bitterness? What should I have done instead? You with us? Where was I wrong in this relationship? What was my piece of this thing that I could have changed up a little bit? If I'm doing a proper inventory, sex inventory, I could sit down with you as a girl, as a woman, and do a fist step, and I have a problem in the world. Y'all understand? Everybody thinks this is about talking about sex. If you're if you're making this laundry list of your sex capades and you're getting in a detailed dis- description of what happened, I'm going to shut you down in a heartbeat. We're not going to continue with this. Because the big book didn't say, how did you have sex? 
And that's what everybody wants to talk about. Everybody wants to, oh good, let's talk about them women now. You think, you think the hard part's over because we got this. And now you're going to look, look at me with a smile on your face and talk about how you treated God's kids. I've, I've had more than one of my little buckaroos that I stopped right dead in the tracks and I got one of the little girls that my wife sponsors and I said, you're going to do the sex inventory with her. That'll shut them up. Y'all follow? All I'm just trying to say is if you answer the question specifically what the big book is saying, there's, there's, nobody's going to blush. I'm going to look down at the table because I'm absolutely ashamed of how I treated God's kids. Absolutely ashamed. To let somebody do it different, uh, it, I think it does them a disservice. They start thinking they're a stud. You know, it's, 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 it's not. I can't continue to harm other people. I'm going to mention something we were talking about last night. We, we were talking about predators in our meetings and stuff. And I'm a big fan of, 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 of taking them out in the parking lot and beating them up. Because that's what we do in Texas. That's, that's the way it went. Just kidding. But i got to tell you, I'm not kidding. I'm a big fan of dating in recovery. I know some of you guys are not. But I don't have a problem in the world with you dating. With respect and dignity and honesty, man, come on. I, I, I married a girl in, in recovery. And i got to tell you, it's the coolest to sit in a meeting with my wife. And we don't sit apart from each other because we work different programs. I get so tired of that, I can feel. We, we, we don't do that. I just don't. I sit, we sit right there next to each other and we laugh our butts off. You know, and I'm, I'm watching my guys and they're watching her girls. You know, you know, we're just, it's like, it's like crowd control. You know, it's, it's, it's the best. We get to watch each other grow spiritually together, and it's 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 an absolute delight. I believe in dating in recovery, but the book says if you continue to harm other people by your behavior, you're sure to drink again, and that's why I'm telling you we're not going to be the arbiters of anybody's sex life. This is one of the reasons I, I, I'm not a big fan of telling people they can't date in recovery. That's one more thing that makes us sound like a cult. You with us? As your sponsor, I'm not going to tell you it's none of my business who you date. It is my business if you're if you're harming that person. Make sense, guys? I could share with you at that some, some some experience that I've had. So I'm sitting down there with a resentment inventory and a fear inventory, my little sex inventory, and I tell somebody what I'm going to do, like my wife and the, the people around me, and I'm going to get with my sponsor, and we're going to sit down real quick, and, uh, and we're going to sit down, and we're going to dump this little fist step, and that's what the book says. We're just we're, I'm not going to sit on it for weeks. I'm going to I'm going to get this stuff so I can get some clarity, so I can start making the amends and get on get some freedom around this. Y'all are all good, right? It's just real simple. Again, this idea of sitting down and doing a 10-hour fist step, I will never do. Ever. And I know some of y'all, I had a wonderful experience. We did a two-day fist step. Shame on that person for letting you do that. <laughs> you know. Again, selfish and self-centeredness is the root of the problem. And I'm going to let you talk for two days? Y'all follow? Guys, this is what a good, a good responsible sponsor is going to be doing while you're doing this, Okay. While you're doing a fist step, I'm sitting down there with you like this. Only words coming out of my mouth. If I got nothing to share, is it going to be next, next, next? Keep. I'm going to. I want you to see your truth. But once you see your truth, only time we're going to stop is if you say, "I can't see my piece of this. I, I don't. I don't know where I was wrong here." And we're going to stop, and I'm going to help you until you get that clarity around that. Then I'm going to say, "Next, let's go. Next." I don't need to hear all the details. Y'all follow? Y'all get caught up. Yeah. I'm mad at James. He was my cousin. And, well, you know, he wasn't actually my cousin. You see, my my wife had married this guy, and we just called him a cousin. And when they're like, I, I'm like, I'm around looking around for something dull to kill myself with. <laughs> I don't need to hear all the details. Yo, 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 
mad. James stole my money, affected this. My piece, I left it out in front of a known cocaine addict. Next. Gapala? It's an inventory. We're, we're going quick. I always have a little piece of note. Hand me that little yellow notebook right there. I always, this is my, this is my fourth, my fifth step stuff right here. And I, I got one of these and I got one little page right here and it says, it says six step on it. And I got another little page where I draw a column and I do eight step. So while you're doing your fifth step with me, I'm writing character defects because you're going to need those in an hour. And eight step list. Anytime you're mentioning somebody over here, perhaps you owe these people an amends. I don't know for a fact, but you might. And I'm going to write that down so we can have something to start our eight-step list with when we get to that. Y'all follow? It also gives me something to do to stay awake. <laughs> While you go on and on and on. What we want to do is make sure that you're doing a fifth step, one that you've set, set a, an appointment up to do it, that you're doing it with somebody that's not affected. If I'm going to sit down and do a fifth step with you and my name is on that list, and you mention me on that list, I'm going to eat you. The follow? Don't do that. That's ridiculous. Disrespectful. Don't do that. It's like it. I got sober with a guy one time that did a fist step with his wife. He, he wanted to bond with her. Remember, remember Fish Jim? Yeah. He, he, he she broke his arm. <laughs> and and should have. Oh my God, how stupid could you be? Y'all understand this? I don't want to cause more harm. And she didn't need to hear all that crap. If I'm your sponsor and you've got a problem with me, do a fist step with somebody else. Or do that piece with somebody else. You don't have to, you know, it's just, it's just nuts. Quit. It's a fact-finding mission. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to find the truth, and that's all. We're not interested in all the stupid details. Y'all, y'all are all clear on that, right? It's, it's, it's just not that big of a deal. Average fifth step guys for me, uh, first time through, two hours, two and a half hours maybe, never longer, ever. If they've done it the way it's supposed to be done, guys, we're, we're hitting all the high spots, buddy. We're, we're, we're mowing through this. And uh, again, uh, we've gotten a little off. Myers will be talking about it later. We start talking about sponsorship. The first time when some guy asked me to sponsor him, the first thing I'm thinking about, God, I'm going to have to sit for an eight-hour fist step with this moron. You know, do I really have time? And this is the problem is if you'll give him the instructions and show him how to do it, it won't be eight hours. It's just not necessary. I wish y'all could stand up here from my perspective and watch you guys look at other people at the table. Oh, my God. 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 I, I, guys, if you want to sit there and listen to this crap until the cows come home, go right ahead. You're not a counselor, you're not a therapist, you're not a priest. You're a recovered member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and you're there to help them see their truth. And by letting them sit... You know what happens when I talk about one of my resentments longer than about 30 seconds? I'm rationalizing and justifying why I have every right to hate this son of a bitch. Isn't that the truth? I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you why I'm going to continue to be a victim after this is all said and done. The people that are getting sweaty in here are the people that sat down and did 15, 10-hour fist steps, 15-hour fist steps. They sat down and they did the whole theatrics and blankets and candles and tears. And It is not... Y'all remember, y'all remember Clean and Sober? Remember that movie, Clean and Sober, with what's his name? 
Michael Keaton when they came out to do it, and I was sober at the time, and we were all in there. You remember when he got? They, they went to the to the to the malt shop, and they sat down and, and ate banana splits, and he did his fist step. He had a couple little pieces of paper like this, and, and this was this his fist step, and he was going to his four step, and he was going to read off on it. And I remember going to the meetings the next day, and everybody was laughing about that. Can you imagine sitting down and doing that? That's exactly the way it was supposed to be done. I didn't know that at the time. I thought, yeah, that's fucking stupid. I mean, oh my gosh. Dr. Bob's sponsored in his 15 years of life, Dr. Bob sponsored over 5,000 men. 5,000 people in 15 years, guys. He didn't do that sitting down with a 10-hour fist up. He didn't. You, just, you read his information. You read his archival stuff. There's none of that in there. He would sit down there and have a lifelong conversation. They'd get this stuff out. He would see some truth. Oh, my gosh, I see why I've done that. Y'all, y'all, y'all follow? He said, I'm going to say this again. I'll move on. This... This guy hurt me like a big dog over here. And, and I suited up, showed up over here, maybe a little piece over here. If I could see that I made a little mistake in this deal, I can get free of the whole damn resentment. If I can't see, that's when I'll remain a victim. Does that make sense? Guys, there's stuff that happened to y'all that y'all didn't cause, that you didn't play any part of. But the fact that you've carried it for 20 years is your mistake. If you can see that, you can get free of the whole resentment. I'll say it again, how free do you want to be? I don't want to spend another day grinding my teeth about something that happened to me 20 years ago. And I'm not going to. I can get free of that. Because you know what the cool part is? I'll move on. If you can get free of it, you can help so many people do the same thing. And that's what I want. Good God, that's what I want. Six and seven, guys, is a point of contention with some folks because they want to. They, I've, I've been to workshops where they spent all weekend long talking about those two steps. I realize Bill Wilson in the 12 and 12 says it's the step that separates the men from the boys. Walk on. I, I, I'm cool with that. It's two paragraphs in the book. What is the character defect? And you're going to go to God. And you're going to ask God to remove that character defect. Make sense? My, one of my biggest uh, character defects when I got sober was um, uh, my shyness. I do well up here, but in one-on-one, if any of you guys have tried to have a conversation with me, y'all see it. I'm just, I'm, I'm a, kind of a little social misfit. I'm, I'm a little difficult to talk to. And it's not because I'm arrogant or di- I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just shy. I just, I just, but I think God understood and I certainly understood that I couldn't be effective working with people if I couldn't talk to you. And that was one of those character defects that God was allowed me to move. My cussing from the podium. Guys, I, I gotta tell you, I, I don't think we have to be so prim and proper that we don't, I mean, there's no cussing in AA. Yes, there is. There is. <laughs> but, but if my constant using the F-bomb from the podium is separating you from hearing what I'm saying, I'm wrong. And I, and I need to ask God to, to, to help me with that. And, and he's, he's still not quite there yet, but we're working on it. We're, we're absolutely working on it. You want to add something to this? I'm, I'm, I'm good. You want me to leave this book? No, I got just, just, just real quick. I, I, uh, uh, this, this idea of this inventory, um, uh, how, how many of you guys have built up different personas when you, were, when you were in the middle of your addiction? 
you guys ever take on somebody else's persona? I mean, you just like it. But the weird part about it is, is that for some of us, I mean, like I'd go to a doctor uh, to a to a, uh, a party and I'd tell everybody I was a physician until I realized that 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 maybe that was a wrong deal to say because they started asking me questions about, you know, I got this thing over here that's hurting. Would you take it? And then I realized, and so I'd switch to, well, maybe I, maybe I could be an attorney tonight and this kind of stuff. But it's sometimes we don't do it intentionally. It just we just sort of portray this kind of deal. I'm a bookbinder by trade. Bookbinders don't get laid. That's cosmic rule book stuff. Nobody, nobody wants to go to bed with a bookbinder, okay? But but if I was something bigger, better, better, if I was something else like this, then then maybe maybe I maybe I would maybe I would get lucky. So so the, the this idea. The, so why is it a problem? The problem becomes is that we don't really know who we are authentically. We don't know who we are. And part of this inventory, part of the part that I found fascinating with is that for maybe the very first time in your existence, your pathetic existence, I mean, some of us have some crazy-ass lives like that, that we begin to see who we really, really are. And once I see who I really am without all the all the, the, the goofy stuff propped up like that, I want to tell you a real quick story. It takes two seconds like that, but... Um, uh, right before I met my my wife, now um, this is 33 years ago. I, I was I, I was playing the game. I was in the middle of my addiction, and um, and I was playing this game. And I wanted everybody to think I was Man Mountain Mike. I was a man of the outdoors kind of thing like this. And so the, I go I go out and I bought me a, a 77 Toyota Land Cruiser, those those square ones like this that 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 men that real men drive. And I bought this thing. And and guys, I, I, there's pieces of me that never wants to tell this story, but I want you to understand how weird. Some of this gets like that. I go, I go to a mountain climbing place in 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 Houston that sells mountain climbing gear, and I bought this this real expensive pair of mountain climbing boots. They're made for crampons for climbing on ice. They're real stiff. They're, you can't hardly walk on level ground with them like this. But I bought them because they look badass like that. And so, and then I get me some mountain climbing decals, and I put them on the deal like this. I buy me. I bought me some mountain climbing ropes, you know, real expensive, real pretty climbing ropes. And this guy says, well, here, let me show you a couple of things while you're here. Like, this. And he starts to undo it. I go, no, 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 don't, don't, un- don't undo it. I, 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 I know all about those knots. I didn't know anything about those knots. I didn't want him to undo it because I couldn't get them back like they were. I wanted him to look like that brand new and I and I made these little hooks in the back of my Land Cruiser and I hooked them on there like this and I'd drive down the road and those ropes would be like swinging back and forth like this and I'm just walking out to the store with these big stiff boots on like this trying to like that <laughs> listen <laughs> I, I gotta be I've never been on a mountain in my life to, the thought of being on a mountain makes me sweaty. I don't even, I don't even like being in the mountains like that. I like at a, at a distance. I like seeing them with all their grandeur. But the closer I get to them, the more panicky I get. You can ask Chris, man. I'm telling you, the conferences up in the mountains. I finally just had to tell them the truth. I, I stay claustrophobic the whole weekend. I can't see the horizon. It drives me crazy. But, but guys, at the time, everything was in that persona. Everything I wanted you to think because mountain climbers get laid. I'm just saying. And, and so the, 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 
how weird is that? And then as I began to do this inventory, as I began to peel away all these pieces, I began to look and see who I really was. And guys, sometimes we don't like who we see, but it doesn't matter. Stick with me. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that for some of us, we get to see who we really are for the very first time in our whole existence. And that is huge. That is huge. Because no more am I playing games. No more am I the Billy Badass that has to protect a persona. Uh, uh, I don't have to. I, whether you respect me or not, I don't care. Whether you, no, you can't disrespect me. Yeah, you can. I, I could care less of you. It means nothing to me, you see, because I'm real clear who I am today, you see. And it's huge. It's real important. And this inventory will help you do that. One more real, real quick thing, and we'll go take a break. Um, some of you in my conversations were just like me. Um, that you came into AA and you did it at inventory when you first got to AA and you've never done another one. Some of you guys have been 15 years in the gig and you still haven't gone back and looked at any more inventory. You still haven't done any of this other kind of stuff. I want to make a suggestion. This is just a, just a, just a, this is just a suggestion, okay? The, the, it, if you have some people around you, um, see, we, we have something in our fellowship called a death pack. And, and it, the death pact looks like this. I love Chris and Chris loves me. And, and our, our unspoken death pact is, I won't call you on your crap and you don't call me on my crap. We don't verbalize it, but we have a lot of people in our room that will do this. I'm acting a fool in the meeting and, and my brothers that love me just look the other way because they're not going to call me on my crap. They don't want to, and, and we do this same kind of thing. And what happens is, is that we can start getting really, really sick we would love to have people. The idea that I have people that will love me enough to tell me the truth is great on a, on one plane. But in reality, I feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable when you tell me that I'm acting like an idiot in the meeting. When you act, when you tell me that I'm acting less than. Well, well guys, let me just tell you. Uh, I, I'll just say just from my own perspective. I'm 15 years into the deal removed from my last inventory and there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on. I'm not going to get into the story, but Chris finally called me on my crap and I mean, I mean it sounds like this. Chris is looking at me one day in, in this airport and he's going, Myers, you're, you're driving me crazy. Let me, is there anybody you don't hate? Is there anybody you don't judge? Is there anybody that, I mean, you're killing me here. Uh, and I'm and I'm mad at him, and I'm I'm angry like this. And he said, "How long has it been since you did some inventory?" I said, "I did a great inventory 15 years ago. Thank you." <laughs> he goes, "Okay, maybe you ought to." Oh, never mind. I knew where he was going with it like this. I said, I said, you got a piece of paper, and I did a little piece of inventory like this. I've, I've come to call them envelope inventories because he just because he just flipped the envelope over on its backside, and I wrote that inventory out on the back of that deal. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out, I'm going to take three days to write this stuff out like this. I'm talking 25 or 30 minutes of just getting this stuff up and out and on a piece of paper in black and white so that I can begin again to see what is it that's rekindled itself? What is it that's blossoming in my life that, that, that looks ugly? What part of my ego is covering up ugliness that needs to be exposed again? Why? You ever wonder how it is that you can feel like a spiritual giant one day and then, and then later on you just kind of going like, oh, man, I just... I ain't digging them. I'm not digging God. I'm not digging my job anymore. I'm not digging it. I mean, I'm just kind of like, like cut off. At the core, um, there are things that, 
physical things that, that, that will cut us off from the sunlight of the Spirit. And sometimes the only way you can see it is just simply write another piece of inventory and have somebody that can help you see which pieces of self have begun to affect what instincts are being threatened again that I feel like I need to protect. And that's where it gets, that, where it gets crazy. And I can tell you, um, uh, since, since I was reintroduced to this idea, now some of us came up through lineages where we were taught that one inventory is all you're ever going to do and that's the way the, the deal is. And I, I get that. I'm just not sure that my experience lines up with it because I felt such amazing relief when I finally went back through and did another one. And then a year later I did another one. And then I started doing multiple business with the guys that I sponsor. We'd start swapping them back and forth like this. And guys, none of them were long. None of them took more than 20 or 30 minutes to do like this. But the response was always exactly the same. I always felt transformed again. Always, always back to a place where I was comfortable in my own skin again and feeling like I was so amazingly um, um, grateful to be in these rooms. Guys, let me tell you something. Your spiritual condition is directly connected to your ability to show your gratitude for being in these rooms. And if you're getting sick again in this thing and trying to prop it up and cover it up like this, one of the very first things that goes south is your gratitude. And you'll start, you'll just start forgetting all that kind of stuff. And pretty soon there is no gratitude. And without that gratitude, um, uh, you will simply discount your position in AA and, and what we do here. And y'all get that. I, I think some of we, I, I think it would be cool if we could all be a little bit more protective about that, about our own gratitude in this deal. Am I as grateful today as I was? The same thing around the idea of willingness. Guys, come on. I understand that when you were, when you came here, you were willing. But let me ask you the question. Again, not to be provocative, but I gotta ask the question. How willing are you today? Is there still willingness to do what we do? Is there? And there's no guarantee that there is. This is the frustrating part about this thing is, is that day by day you can get to a place to where you distance yourself from the God of your understanding. You distance yourself from work and people around you like this until you're just simply moving through the motions of doing AA. You're going to the meetings. You're doing this other kind of stuff. You're just playing these games like this. But you've gone asleep again. You're just simply not awake to the stuff that's there. And that's, that's, um, that's problematic. That, it, it, it leads to a whole bunch of other stuff. Because eventually you'll get to a place to where you're so asleep that you just say, you know, this is stuff we were talking about last night. A meeting or story tours. A meeting or... I think I'll just watch story tours tonight. You see? And, and we get that. Last little piece on this. This, this idea on this, uh, um, this sixth and seventh step... There's a line in the big book where it talks about that, that, that when it's describing in those, th- those two paragraphs when it says that we look at what was objectionable. I want to I want to spend just two seconds talking about that word like that. Let me let me ask you a question. If what you see is not objectionable, how much motivation do you think that there'll be to try to change it? You understand what I'm saying? And we see this all the time. Let me give you one of the greatest examples that I can give you. Again, I'm not trying to stir anybody up, but but I'm amazed within the realm of the men that I sponsor how many people will sober up, walk a spiritual path, and they'll still be banging the porn every night. It's it's not objectionable to them in that kind of situation. And yet, on a spiritual path, how many of you guys have felt, how many of you guys have, spe- have spent, spent hours looking at crazy crap on the computer and got up afterwards and looking at the thing going, I, I've never felt so close to God as I feel right now. It doesn't happen. It doesn't, it doesn't happen. And it, but at some point in time, a lot of these folks will look at this thing and say, I think this is objectionable. I think this has gotten to a place to where it's simply not where it's supposed to be. And, and being able to identify the character defects like this, it's like if I say, uh, um, so are, are, um, 
Are you prideful? No way. Hmm. Well, let me ask you, let me just sort of rephrase it like this. If, if you're pulling into a gas station and somebody pulls in front of you and gets the pump that you were headed for, how do you react? Well, I, I take an axe handle and I walk out and I, we just have a chat. That's pride. That, that's pride. And so when you look at it graphically at the deal like this, uh, pride is just simply how other people perceive us. And so do I, do I make decisions based on how I want other people to see me? You see, is my pride threatened? And, and guys, th- this is, this is crazy. Because once we get through a piece of inventory like this and we look at this thing, what, what we'll begin to see is, is that, um, uh, at the end of the day, I'm also, um, prideful. I'm also arrogant. I, I'm also uh, still making an amazing amount of decisions based on fear. Um, um, and you just go to add to the list. Am I slothful? Am I, am I just, wh- why? Why? All we want is the truth. Because the truth is always something we can deal with. It's the, it's the goofiness that we can. You see? So, you, you, you see that. Um, um, I just think that, uh, this, this idea that we would do the work when we first got here and then simply not. This is the reason why I love the idea that if you're active in sponsorship, you will continue to work and rework the steps and you will stay fresher and fresher and fresher. You want me to, you want me to point out the, the, the saddest, uh, uh, guy in the room is usually the man who sobers up, comes, enjoys the fellowship, stays, and slowly begins to get sick. They're not sponsoring anybody. They're not active in the trenches. They're not carrying the message. They're just going to a bunch of meetings and, and going through those kind of motions like this. In theory, this, what this guy's done is he's crawled back up on a fence and he's just kind of swinging his legs over like that. He's not down in there with us anymore, a part of what we do. But guys, if you, if you, if you, if you can get this guy to hurt enough, eventually he'll say, what do I need to do? And most of the time what he'll do is just simply go back through. One of the most profound experiences that I've ever had in AA is this, it, it is a constant joy of mine to find the old dude sitting in the room that has gotten, gotten really lukewarm, that's gotten really flat. I'm not judging it. I lived in that. for that's, that's hell on earth. And I've lived there. And to be able to go back through, take him through a 30-minute inventory, watch him simply reinvent himself right there in front of me, it's the coolest thing in the in in the in the uh, in the world. Uh, one example like that: there was a there was a guy I knew in in uh, Lake Dallas that I sponsored for a long time that had moved out to uh, Lubbock, and um, he called me and he said, "Hey man, it's just nothing but pushback out here. Everybody seems to be in love with 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 meeting, but nobody wants to do step work." And I said, "Buddy, just stay the course, tell the truth, and do the very best you can." Well, fast forward ten years. Um, uh, I was talking to the, at a at a conference out there the other day, and it's like a sea of old guys excited like they're 16 years old. I'm talking; these guys are amazing. And what happened? This one guy got out there and started sharing a consistent message, and the old guys were looking at him, going, "Hey, here's a guy that's happy in the room. Let's go do the deal." Don't think for a second I'm thinking that everybody that's old here is unhappy. I'm not doing that. Some of you guys are doing what we do, but I am blown away how many men that I see that have just gotten lukewarm because they stopped doing this stuff. Somebody told me one time, and I thought it was one of the funniest things that I ever heard, we're the only group of people on God's green earth that took what worked and then stopped doing it. It sounds insane, but it's the truth, isn't it? It's crazy like that. It takes some courage to look at it. Whether it be inventory, whether it be six and seven, stuff like it, it takes some courage to do this kind of stuff. If you lack the courage, it's, that's okay. The truth that you lack the courage is enough to get started on. It's pretty cool. Call one of us, just grab somebody, and let's go back through this stuff and see what happens. 
Let's go take a little fast uh, 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 smoke breaker, and, and then we'll come back here in a minute and get on with this. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to... We're going to move a little bit quicker through a bunch of this. We got we got a bunch of stuff that we want to talk about. This stuff at, tw- at, at step twelve at the end of this, we just want to spend a little bit of time. The 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 primary reason that we came was to talk about this stuff that we're getting ready to talk about. One, we always want to just talk about the stuff we talked about first thing this morning. But this idea of twelve step stuff that gets kind of spread out, and, and there's no area of our book that gets more goofy than than that area right there. We just kind of get sort of strange with it, and so we want to we want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. And and so we're we're not going to rush through this other stuff. Um, but but I want to look at this one more time. I want to look at this thing through the eyes of sponsorship through the eyes of, of um, uh, what it looks like to get guys through the rest of this deal. Now, I, I'll say uh, for a whole lot of us, um, um, once we begin to see and uncover these character defects and we begin to see this stuff, um, God begins to deal with us. Some of this stuff goes away overnight, seems like. Some of this stuff doesn't go over, overnight. We, we have to de- keep, keep kind, of, kind of dealing with it. Sometimes there are defects that God, for some reason or other, seems to think that we need to keep. Um, uh, and it's an interesting thing. At the right time, they seem to go away, and, it, and it, all, it all kind of works out. Our job is simply to recognize them and then ask God to remove them and then get on down the road and, and do what the deal was. So we get past six and seven, and then we're faced with this little block of stuff, eight and nine, uh, where, where this amends process is, and then 10 and 11. And we want to do this in one little piece uh, because uh, I want to separate everything else on this, this 12-step stuff in a minute when we come back from uh, from break. So if you stay this long, you got it whooped, man. If you're not if you're not butt dead by now, um, you're you're going to be in, in in great shape. We're we're uh, um, I don't know of anything that seems to bring up more. Uh, well, let me put it this way. How many of you remember going to an AA club and seeing the steps on the wall? Maybe you didn't have a book yet, even like this, and, and you were just reading the steps off the wall, and you went, you'd, like, you'd go like, okay, I could do that, I could do that, I could do that. And you, you get down around this inventory thing, and you start pushing back a little bit, and you get around this amends thing, and you go, oh, not no, but hell no, I'm not going to. And it just gets real weird like this, this idea, because we're coming from a place of ignorance on a lot of this stuff we just simply don't know and understand, um, that there's there's a factor in the middle of this that most of us just dismiss and that's God in the middle of this thing. We've spent a bunch of time in the steps getting to a place to where we're getting closer and closer to God's will, to a relationship that deepens as we go through this kind of stuff. And this is the stuff that sometimes we don't we don't understand. Let, so let me ask you this, just for the example, what do you think would happen if, if, if we had step one and then we just skipped step two, the rest of it, we just flopped it around and we went straight to eight and nine? I mean, can you imagine what a disaster that would be? Can you imagine what a train wreck that total thing would be? Yeah, because we're still coming from a place where self controls this deal. And frankly, um, frankly, from that perspective, I would never felt I would never feel like I owed you an amends anyway, because my head is already rearranging the story, minimizing it or maximizing it to a point that you deserved everything that you got. And, um, um, you know, that's just the way life rolls. That, that's the way it is. And, and I'm going to say this, to some extent, even with the steps worked in order, we'll still play that game. Uh, uh, how many of us have known, maybe in your own experience, or how many of us have come across people who did an active uh, 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 step three, an active inventory, and then after the inventory they did six and seven, and then they did nothing but just sit and sit and sit. 
We, we, we talk a lot of times like it. In AA land, there's a whole bunch of, of, of thoughts around this. A lot of sponsors will tend to just let you go at that stage of the game. They just simply back off. It's kind of a hands-off situation. We'll kind of steer clear and then let you go do your deal. Okay, now you're ready to go out and make those amends. The problem is there's always a load of fear around it. B, you're still convalescing. And C, there's still this, 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 this ego that's in there a lot of times that's trying to rearrange this story so I don't really have to do anything. I don't, how, I don't care how egregious the situation is. Left in your own devices, give you enough time, and you will talk yourself out of making every inventory that's there, every amends that you can make. Is that, is that not been most of our experience like this? We'll just simply recast it enough times um, until... Or another one of my all-time favorites is if you just share the crap long enough in AA, somebody will finally validate it and say, you know, I don't think you owe anybody an amends for that. You see? But, and, it, and it happens. I'm not being mean. I just like, but it, but it happens like that. It just, 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 I, and, and sometimes it's an, it's an extreme. I killed somebody, and then if I just share it enough in enough meetings, like it eventually goes, you know, I just, I just maybe the guy deserved to be killed. I don't know. I just like, maybe you don't need to make that amends at all. Maybe that would harm you if you made that amends. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so, so here's the deal like that. It takes, it takes true courage, but most of the courage is not going to come, uh, uh, from you just being courageous. Most of the courage is going to come based on what you're doing in the disciplines of 10, 11, and 12 and that continued work around this stuff. And the power there, it'll be what you need to go ahead and try to make these amends. Um, which is, which I always think is, is simply fascinating. So let's look at, let's look at this idea. Uh, in the beginning, this this eight step thing. I mean, the, this eight step stuff was was pretty uh, innocuous. I mean, there's just not much to it. We made a list and became willing to make amends to them all. Like that. we made a list. It didn't say it didn't say we made a list and then we laid awake night after night after night trying to figure out how we were going to make the amends. It didn't say that because left on your. I mean, that's a nightmarish place to be. I'm gonna I'm gonna relive all of this situation like this. It didn't say that. How hard would it be just to make an, uh, the list? Your list starts when you do the inventory. You'll have stuff on there like this. And, and so let me ask you: How many? Uh, is it possible that there would be names on your eight-step list that you didn't even cover in your uh, 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 inventory? Sure. Sure, because there's people that I didn't resent, that, that I had no no truck with, that 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 I I'll, but that I feel like I owed an amends to, that I slighted. Let me give you a great example that happens all the time. Uh, it's called grandparents. Most of us don't resent our grandparents, and yet how many of us treat our grandparents like they're disposable? So a lot of us, I mean, just we're just sort of MIA. We're not in their lives. We're not involved with them. We're not. We're not. This is not everybody, but this happens a lot. But it's the example that I want to throw out there: how it is that we could discover people that we owe an amends to that didn't end up on our inventory, and so we might have to go back and look at other 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 sources. Look at yearbooks. Look at look at uh, uh, just people that we've known in the past, friends that we. Um, how many times in the middle of your addiction did you let a friendship just kind of die on the vine? You don't resent them. You don't hate them. You don't, you know, you just forgot that they even existed like that because you were too busy doing what we do in the middle of our addictions. And I get that like that. But, but is it perhaps that we owe some of these guys an amends? I, I think, I think it's fair because I think the question gets asked often enough is how do you tell who needs to, you need to make an amends to? How do you tell that like that? And so, um, there's some absurdities out there around this thing. You, you owe an amends to, I heard a guy say one time, if you knew him, you owe him an amends. Well, I, I mean, 
I understand why I understand why they say that. I just don't quite agree with that because it, it, there, there's. I just don't agree with it. I just think that there's there there are folks that we didn't slide out there. Let, let's put this in perspective like that. If for the sake of this example like that, back there where Amanda's standing right there, if we for a moment imagined everybody that we knew one at a time walking through that deal, walking through the deal, if my initial reaction is to look down and hope that they don't see me, pretend we're in a restaurant. If I'm eating and they walk in, do I eat faster so I can get out of there like this? I'm trying to go straight to, I'm trying to take the intellect out of it and just look at the emotion involved around the deal like this. If I found myself eating quicker so that I could, I could get out of the room faster with, without them seeing me like this, then I would, they would be suspect and I would write their name down for an inclusion on a list. In the end, you may discount it and say, no, I don't really need to do that, but I would certainly start there. And that's pretty easy to do, isn't it? That, that's pretty easy to do. And then you can then you can see some of you guys made amends, but you made such a mistake, you made such a a, 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 a disaster out of the original amends that some of these things you've marked off the list. I've, I made an amends to him ten years ago. Oh, really? Well, how come it is you get jumpy every time I mention his name? How come you're still not going over there to eat dinner with him at Thanksgiving? How come you're still avoiding these people? Could it be that the amends didn't take, that it really, really, really didn't get, get taken care of? Because remember guys, this is all about freedom. This is about being done with, uh, all of that kind of stuff. How many of you, how many of you were in situations where your world got really, really small towards the end when you finally came into the rooms? How many of you had, uh, I mean, my, my whole existence was a bedroom, a garage where I drank myself silly every day and work because I had to keep an income stream coming in like this and I would do that. But I couldn't go to most of the town I had alienated. I can't go to that cleaners because I was pissed at him. I can't go to that grocery store because I made an ass out of myself in there. I can't go to the school anymore because I made a fool of myself at PTA. I made, and, and our world just goes click, 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 and it gets down to like I just got a little bitty microcosm of what's really there. And guys, that is what we're trying to get clear of. We're trying to get this freedom to know that we can actually be out there again uh, and be free to go anywhere in the whole wide world. If you're rearranging your day to avoid seeing people, why? Why? These are these are bona fide questions I think that need to be need to be asked. And unfortunately, they need to be asked for some of us that have been in the rooms for a long periods of time. Because sometimes we'll develop a big old case of bowed up, you know, stoic arrogance that just says, you know, screw them. I'm not. I, I don't owe them shit. Rock on. You can listen, guys. You can always, always adopt that attitude if you want to. You can. But in the end, who pays the price? You see, there is no freedom in that in that deal. You, we're either going to be free or, but I don't know. That that may not be fair. You don't necessarily have to. But um, uh, but I, I think the the way the book sets up from a sponsorship standpoint, the way the book sets up in in this piece is starting on page seventy six and moving seventy seven, seventy eight. The 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 bill will separate this thing in paragraphs depending on what it is that they're going to do. They talk about uh, uh, re- relationships. They talk about legal stuff. They talk about money. They talk about um, all of these different areas, and, and he's covering a whole ton of this stuff. They're, they're, they're covering um, a bunch of this. This is about balancing things. This is about trying to do... The, the step said specifically in 9 that we make direct amends. That's dollar for dollar, face to face. So, I mean, let's just get clear on some ground rules. When I'm working with somebody and we go through this stuff and he looks at a list, I say, let me bring the list to me. Do not. Underlines. 
Do not make any of these men's without letting me see this list first. Guys, I, that's not arrogance on my part. That's prudence. Because I've seen too many situations where a guy said, you know what, I went out and made half my amends yesterday. And then we go back and look at what he did and I recognize, buddy, you didn't make amends. All you did was stir up a freaking hornet's nest because you still had, you still, I mean, how many of you have ever made an amends and then in the, part, in the, in the middle of the amends started to say something to justify your bad behavior and pretty soon you're right back in the same kind of deal. He's sitting there looking at you going like this. Although he's not saying anything, he's looking at you going, see, nothing's changed. You're still an arrogant little pissant. Yes, yes. Let me see the dead gum list, and we're going to look at it. I'm going to help you divide it up. Um, did anybody have a list that wasn't a bit overwhelming? I mean, most of us will look at this and go, "Holy cow! Did I really harm that many people?" Yeah, yeah. But it, listen, it doesn't have to be that 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 dawning. Like, a, let's look at the list and see, and we'll divide the money out here. You got no job, and you're living in a halfway house under somebody else's money, and and you you got no money. How effective are you going to be at paying the, the, the financial amends? You're not. So let's let's move all of those over here like this. We're, we're, I'm just trying to get the thing organized like this. Half my amends were in in Europe, and I live in the United States. How do I go back and make those amends right now? Right now you don't. You don't even have a job. You can't get to Europe. Well, I could call them. No, you can't. Direct amends means face-to-face, dollar-for-dollar. That's I, In following the truth thing of the, of the deal, what... God knows if Bill had realized what the Internet was going to do. I cannot tell you. Listen, can we be really clear about something like this? It is not okay to make an amends on Facebook. And and yet there's not a week goes by that I don't listen to somebody telling me about an experience and how cool it was that they could do it. Can you use the can you use the internet or social media to find where somebody is? Absolutely, it's one of the greatest, one of the big reasons why I stay on Facebook and social media is because I can get a hold of people and it's the it's super like this. Um, have you ever sent a text message to somebody and had it re, read wrong, where, where people would look at it like this, or you would look at it later and go, "Shit, I didn't." Dang, I didn't mean to say that, you know, like this. But we we do that stuff. You cannot make an amends like that. What is that scream? I, I want to make the amends. I'd like to get this thing square with you and me, but I didn't care enough to actually come see you in person. I'm just going to send you the most shallow, incomplete way to approach another human being on a text message or on, a, on an email. Quit it. Quit it. Quit it. Quit it. Quit it. It's too hard to misread somebody's intent. It's too hard to misread the emotion. And I think in some ways, I, I, I think God's all-powerful, and I think that, that, that He could be in the middle of this thing, but in the bigger picture, I think that there's nothing cooler than you, the God of your understanding, and the man that you harm in one spot talking about this deal, giving Him a chance to also heal as a direct result of, of doing it. Y'all cool? Y'all, what, I'm, what I'm saying on this deal? Um, uh, just just a, a nuts and bolts deal when I'm working with men. I, I go, um, they do six and seven. I ask them, I said, okay, you've got, in the next time that we meet, which will be in another four or five days at the, late, at the latest, bring me an eight-step list and let's look at it and see if there's anything we need to add to it. I'll help you organize it and then you're on. You're, let's, let's rock and roll. And what I ask them to do is pick three amends that they can make right now. Three amends that they're in a position to make. And then we go do that kind of stuff. A, a, a successful amends will spawn another successful amends in terms of just the momentum of doing it. Once I realize what an amazing experience it was to 
get that piece of crap cleaned up finally, then I'll be motivated to do it like this. If I make this here and six months later I try to do it again, I've got to regenerate all of that. I've got to remember how cool it was again. And some of us will never be able to, with sufficient force, bring up that coolness again. And so once you start, it's kind of like getting on a a slope and usually start running downhill. And if you'll just keep going... What you'll find is, is that pretty soon you've got a men's plan and you've got everything done, and pretty soon you, you'll be just you'll be just blown away. Um, regardless of what the deal was, if it's financial amends, we're going to work out. The book says we work out the best deal we can. Guys, I got a, a guy that I've sponsored for for ten years or so like this that owed two hundred eighty six thousand dollars in uh, 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 so real estate deals that went south. He and he he had got a bunch of investors involved in the deal like this, and he felt like he owed them the money on this deal. Two hundred and eighty six thousand. I also got a guy that owes six hundred dollars that he's owed it for five years and he can't seem to figure out a way to get rid of his money. I just don't. I just have a hard time spending my money. I'm gonna listen, you arrogant little pissant. That's not your money. They don't want your money. They want their money. It's not your money. And then we, and then, so let me ask you this question. This guy's an attorney. The guy in the real estate deal is an attorney, and he's got, he makes a pretty good whip. And, and so he was able to, to, over a period of time, he sold some real estate. He did some other stuff. He put this thing together like this. About five years ago, um, he paid the last investor off of this $286,000 uh, uh, debt. How tall do you think he was when he walked back into that room? How cool do you think it would be to finally be done with a nut like that? Wow. Wow. An amazing deal. And, and, and the weird part about this stuff is sometimes we discount the idea that God's hand is in the middle of this, this kind of, because some of you guys are pretty transparent with your experiences and it's what I love about you the most. Um, how, how often have we seen situations where you didn't see how you were going to do something, how you were going to pay any debt, and then all of a sudden money just started turning up? The willingness to do it was enough to get the ball rolling and pretty soon money was coming in, an IRS thing that you didn't know you were going to get or a raise. or, or what, It comes in a thousand different forms, but all of a sudden you're sitting there holding a check going, I could just endorse this over and send it to those people and be done with that deal. Ah, and it happens over and over and over again. I'll tell you a quick story like that and then we'll, we'll, we'll move. Um, I... I um, I want to give you the Reader's Digest condensed version of this, but it, but it, um, th- there was a there was a guy that I had met at a treatment center. It was a long term ninety day deal in Texas. Um, um, sometimes they kept them a little longer than that, but they had a um, uh, there was a kid that got there that when I met him the first night that I met him, I thought, you know, I don't think that, I don't think I've ever met a man that I want to be in the room with less than that man right there. He just got out of prison. He was an Aryan Brotherhood guy, and he and he had. Tattoos all over him, and he was just—he was just—and he hated everybody. I mean, if you were black, gay, had a beard, if it it didn't make any difference. If you simply were different than this guy, he hated you with this visceral kind of "I'll kill you if I catch you in a room by yourself" kind of guy. It was horrible to be in the room with him because, well, well, guess who ends up sponsoring him? (laughs) Me. And so we, we work through this work, and this guy has this experience that's pretty profound like this, and, and we, we look at his amends. Jim was um, uh, uh, had been physically abused by his dad in, in a bunch of different ways, and um, 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 his dad, um, I used to think that he was making it up, and, and so he said, you think I'm making this story up about my dad? And his dad used to beat him with a belt, one of those great big old Texas Western belt buckles like this. He used to beat him senseless with this belt, and he was just bleeding, and then he would hold him into a bath of salt water until the little kid just passed out. 
And this is a little kid that he's doing this stuff to. Like a, this guy was, I mean, carved out of the hinges of hell. He was so evil. And and the, and the thing that comes into this deal like this is that he's going to have to figure out a way to make an amends to this guy. And I'm thinking, man, how? Do, so how? Where do you go with this? You see, um, uh, did his dad deserve to die? In my book, he did. Uh, but that's just me being judgmental about the deal. But the, but we we get close to the end of this guy's stay there, and he's he's trying to deal with this stuff. And he said, listen, he he's in Lubbock, and I'm in Dallas. And he said, I said, I tell you what you do. You, when you get clear, you come get me Saturday, and we'll drive to Lubbock. It's a five hour drive from Dallas. I said, we'll we'll drive out there. I'll go with you. We'll make the amends, and and I'll sit with you, and you you go make the amends, and then I'll drive you back, and it'll be okay. And I thought we'll have time to kind of get right and this kind of stuff. Saturday morning rolls around and I don't get any telephone call from him. And long about 10 o'clock, I, I, I called him and I said, hey, I thought we were going to go to Lubbock today. And he said, oh, I'm already in Lubbock. And I went, oh, that's not the plan. I mean, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I, I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll deal with this. I'll call you back after a while. And I went, oh, no, Jim, Jim, Jim. And he hangs up on me. And I think, oh, this is crazy. Because I, I just don't, I got the feeling that this is just not going to work out really well. And so he, um, uh, about... Four hours later, he calls me, and we talk for a little bit. I said, you okay? And he said, yeah, I did. I'm, I'm okay like this, and I'll see you when I get back in town. And he hangs up the phone. About an hour later, I get another call from him, and I go, where are you? And he said, well, I'm on the road back. He said, but I, I kind of told you a story, and I need to come clean with it. And I said, what's the story? And he said, well, the reality of this thing was is that I went out there to kill him. I just decided to deal with it my way, and I, and I was gonna because I didn't really believe um, that this was gonna work, and so um, I knew that this guy had 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 uh, perpetrated a lot of things on me that I had been a victim in some of this kind of stuff. Um, but I had also um, um, I don't know I was just gonna I, when I when I met him I had a gun in my in my waistband of my shirt in my back, and I was just gonna shoot him on his front step and leave. And I went, no wonder you didn't take me. And I, I get, I'd, have, I'd have sure messed up that plan. And, and he, he, he said, I saw, so what happened? And he said, Myers, he said, I'm not even sure I can talk about it over the telephone. I said, well, why don't you come see me when you get back in Dallas? And so he did. He pulled in. We had a, a chat. And I said, well, so what happened? And he said, well, I got there. And I, I got out. And I checked my gun. And I had it in, my, in the, my, my pants. And I walked up to the door. And I knocked on the door. And I prayed about this thing for a second. And just as I hear the steps coming to the deal, I had this feeling inside that I was making this huge mistake. I just had this feeling that it was like loud and clear, don't do this. And so when the guy opened the door, what I had imagined my dad to look like, because I hadn't seen him in 10 or 11 years, part of this, he'd been in jail, and he, he said, well, I just hadn't seen him. And, and the man that came to the door was this old kind of humpled over guy that had gotten old on me, and, and he just didn't look. He looked at me for a second, and then he recognized who I was, and then he just reached out his hand, and he shook my hand, and we started talking for a little bit like this. And he said, I, I just felt compelled to tell him that I regretted the fact that I treated him as a bad dad and that I had discounted his, 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 uh, um, uh, his role in my life as my father and this kind of stuff. All he did, all he, guys, listen to me. All he was doing was owning his stuff. He just owned what he could own based on what he had seen. And in that particular moment, in that second, he was uh, he was free of the need to have this guy because what he always said was, if he'll apologize to me, I'll be okay. How many of us do that? We we all did the like, I just I just I'll be okay if they extend the olive branch. I'll I'll meet them halfway. 
Guys, this, this guy was too old, too sick, too, too messed up. He wasn't going to do that. But it didn't matter. Jim did what he was going to do like this. And he left. And when he got home, he told me, he said, Myers, she said, I don't, I don't think that, um, I don't think that we're ever going to be sitting down to Christmas dinner. But I got to tell you, I'm, I'm clear. I'm okay. Uh, uh, it happened. I'm past it. And I'm done. And I, and I said, I forgave him as I drove off. I just forgave him. Uh, he was dealing with his own demons and his own nightmares. And, and I just simply am okay. Now, now so, so stick with me because I'm, I'm really, that's not the point of the story. The point of the story, was he. I'm, I'm glad that he did all that. I'm glad he got where he got. Guys, here's the point of the story. That, that was on a Saturday. On the following Friday, he was coining out of this treatment place like this. And he's in a, he's in a room with, with probably 80% black guys and a couple of Latino guys. There were only two white guys in that program at the time when I was out there carrying the message like that. So he's in a room full of men that he has been diametrically opposed to the whole time that he was there like this. And so Jim is right here and we're doing the Lord's Prayer at the end of the deal. And Jim is right there and, and I'm two people down from him and we do the Lord's Prayer and then we drop hands and I hear this horrific kind of snuffle over there and I looked over there and Jim was on the floor and I look over there like this and he's just weeping on the floor. He's weeping on the floor and this, this great big old black guy came over and picked him up like this and another guy came over like this and set him up and he's holding on to him like this and those guys loved on that guy like this and I just, I'm trying to get you to see this picture here like this. We have an Aryan Brotherhood guy that hates everybody in the world and he's collapsed in this room full of gratitude, full of absolute love for these men that nurtured him through this deal like this. And let me tell you something right now. I've known Jim for a long time. I still know him to this day. And Jim would take a bullet for the men in that room. How do we get that kind of transformation? How do we get it? You don't will yourself into it. You don't just say, I'm not going to hate people anymore. Good luck if you can do that. Good luck. This was simply a transformation of who he was and what he was based on the fact that the only part that he had to play in it was that he was simply willing to do what it is that we did. Y'all get that, right? Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty amazing kind of stuff. I, I just, um, we could spend hours and hours, days and days talking about our experiences around this kind of stuff. We must always never get to a place to where we discount the power of God in the middle of our lives. Chris was talking about it last night. I would never, ever, ever um, uh, not recognize the trauma that's in this room right now. Some of you guys have had some amazing things done to you and at you, and I, I just, I just, God love you. Uh, but there is a way to get from point A to point B. There is a way to get to get clear of this thing. These, this process of this amends is going to go on while you're doing the rest of this kind of stuff. It's not going to be. There were years ago. There was a guy out there that was a, from from a, a speaker guy that was banging a pulpit talking about the fact that you had to have every amends done before you could do ten, eleven, and twelve. And and I just simply the book is clear that that's not the case. Uh, that sometimes it's going to take you guys a while to get into the presence of some of these people. Some of you guys are going to have to get a little healthier before you approach these people. It, it's just going to take some time. My job as your sponsor is to make sure that there's continually a, a, a burn underneath you to keep you wanting to be motivated to, to get out there and do this this other kind of stuff. Um, uh, this 11-step step, I'm going to tell you real quick, I can't tell you how often I, I completely diminish this idea. I think I, for years I thought it was just simply, um, I thought step 11 was something that was simply rhetorical statements that Bill did to kind of connect it up and make it look spiritual. I didn't really believe that you could, that you could, that you could follow a discipline 
and that you could have this sort of trans- transformative deal based on um, uh, on prayer and meditation. And it would it would take me years within the room to begin to take it seriously and to begin to realize that a prayer life is indeed something that's miraculous. That to the disciplines of being able to sit still. Uh, so I just want to ask a question, just just for a second. How many of you guys had your lives transformed by the idea of just being able to sit and meditate and be still with God in in, in the mornings? There are so many of us that it altered everything. It, it's one of these areas where you want some tangible results of what it is that you're doing. Simply step up and do do what what the book asks you to do. Simply uh, uh, do this. I, I can't. Uh, um, I had an experience with it that was quite embarrassing, and I'm not going to get into. To, I, I want to leave you guys some time to talk about some of this other stuff. But but I, I was finally embarrassed. I, I did some things that that embarrassed me uh, tremendously in the program, um, and it, it, it shone a great big light on the shallowness of my spiritual path and, and, and what I ended to do. There was no special reading. There was no special deal. What I had to simply do is recognize that if I would just simply hit my knees and do what they asked me to do, things would be transformed. Am I the only man in here that feels goofy getting on your knees? I'm, I'm just saying, I, it just it blows me away. I, I, I mean, I could stand up and pray in the shower as I, as I run through my day and God, please help me with that. I can do this. But there was something weird about just simply being still and getting on your knees and, and, and having a conversation with God. And the moment I got past that, the moment I did it, I was completely transformed, electrified. It had changed everything about, about what I do. I might miss a shower in the morning, which is never, but I would never, ever miss... Uh, prayer time. I would never ever miss a time to to be with my Creator for a second or two and and have a chat. And this is the this is huge, huge, huge stuff. Um, so a lot of times they talk about this stuff, these disciplines of 10, 11, and 12. Um, if you ever want to know if you're, if the guys that you sponsor are active in the work like that, pay attention to what they're doing around tradition uh, about step 10. Are these guys calling you when the shit hits the fan? Are they calling? Clifford asked me. I, Clifford had been sponsoring me for three years, and he asked me one time. We were having this just this two, one-on-one conversation. He said, "Myers, do you ever do anything stupid?" And I said, "Well, you know I do." And he said, "Do you ever? Did you ever disappoint Londa?" And I went, "Yeah, I do." Do you ever reckon you ever you ever get in a squabble with your kids? And I go, "Yeah." And he said, "You ever reckon that maybe those were opportune times to call me with a tenth step?" Now, now stick with me. So I want to be clear. I'm not even really sure that I knew what he was talking about. I'm not even sure. And I went back and I got my book out and I read it again like this and I went, holy crap. Holy crap. And let me tell you something. I became a, a convert. I became one of these guys that, that, that got obsessed with the idea. If I have a conflict with somebody like this, they give you some instructions there. And I have a, con- I have a, 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 a a deal where I'm just simply not going to do. Look at look at this deal. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. What did that sound like? Sounds like a little piece of inventory, doesn't it? When this stuff creeps back up again, they give you specific directions. We ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately. We make amends quickly if you've harmed anyone. And then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we could help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Could there be any better way to live your life than that? I mean, we talk about spiritual directions. If I have a conflict with somebody, I get like this. How many of you guys get get mad at somebody at work like this, and you'll say something that you immediately regret saying? I mean, I mean, guys, it would get to a place where I'd be on on the telephone in the bindery. I'd be on the telephone with a purveyor or somebody that didn't send somebody. I go, what? Are you, 
What do you, what do you mean you didn't send it? We are, are you, oh God, what an idiot. Clunk and I'd hang up the phone. And then, and then because I've been trained this way, I knew because of what it said right here, when these crop up, I got to deal with this kind of stuff. And so I just hold the phone for a minute. And I just relax a second. Most of the time, this is when my wife would walk back in and she said, you pissed somebody else off, didn't you? And I went, yeah, I did. Because I'm not going to let go of the phone because I don't want this to pass. I'm going to deal with this kind of stuff. And so I hit speed dial, called Clifford, and I said, Clifford, um, yeah, I fucked up again. I made a mistake. This is, I did it again. And he said, all right, you know what to do. Hang it up like this. Sit there for a minute. Say a prayer. And then I call the supplier back. That fast, I call him back. I go, whoa, 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 don't, don't hang up, don't, don't hang up. I did, don't do to me like I did to you, okay? I, did, I, I, listen, I deserve to be hung up on if you do, but I'm just telling you, you didn't deserve what I dished out. I got way too much on my plate. I said what I shouldn't have said. I certainly understand your situation. Please, can you forgive me for being an idiot? Absolutely, Myers. I just, man, we just packed your order like this, and we're going to pay the shipping out there to you to get it out there. To you see, and I just, it, but it's resolved. I got a, a supplier that I've had for years that I'm going to get to keep because I'm not pushing them away. I'm not demanding that they do certain things. You see, and this happens in every area of your life when you step in it, and you will. When you step in it, fix it, fix it right then. They gave you everything that you need. It's all cool. Chris, you want to share a couple things real quick? We'll do this. I keep looking at that donut. He ain't ate it yet. <laughs> a couple of couple of real quick little deals here. And uh, uh, any any current problems I'm having in my life, relationship, money, nine times out of ten, I can connect back to unresolved amends. Uh, we'll talk about it for just a second, and I won't beat it to death. It's because some of you, you know, you don't believe this kind of nonsense. This old deal about what goes around comes around, as far as I'm concerned, in my life is absolutely true. If I push at the universe over here, it's going to come back and kick me in the butt over here. And so you're over here taking care. It's exactly what Myers was talking about with this guy. I go make an amend with somebody that I hate, and all of a sudden, all the resentment and hate that I've got for these guys over here dissipate. It's like, you, you wouldn't think it's all connected, but it's so connected it's not even funny. I want so many people, guys I work with in the program, who are having financial difficulties. And when I get out and sit and visit with them, we find out that there's still a bunch of financial amends they haven't made. See? So we're going to go make these amends, and then we're going to get this other stuff taken care of. All of a sudden, the money starts coming in, and everybody just rolls their eyes, and oh yeah, it's like tithing, huh? Yeah. It is. You know, I don't know what to tell you there. There's some spiritual principles that we're dealing with. And again, it's to repeat something Meyer said. Is so many of us, we want to let everybody off the hook. This is, remember I told you earlier, there's two places that we stall out in the, in the steps. Around the fourth step is one of them, and around the amends process is the other. Because we feel great. We've done this work. We see some truth. The obsession to use is already lifted. We've made a couple of easy amends. We've told, told mom, you know, dad. We, we cleaned up some little wreckage. And then, and then we're sitting on all of this other nonsense. And it continues to affect us. I was talking to a guy in Canada not long ago, and he's talking about wanting to come to the United States. He's been sober about 10 years. I said, buddy, come on down. We'll hook you up down here. Come on down to Texas. He says, well, I can't come because I've got some stuff, you know, like, you know, some like legal stuff. And it's like, buddy, you've been sober 10 years and this stuff's still out there. All right. All right. I can't dump this back on his plate. I understand the deal, but I mean, it's who's around here holding him accountable? Again, I'm going to say it again. We're not going to beat it to death. How free do you want to be? 
See, if, if you're still jumping every time the phone rings, if you can't buy a new house or a car on a signature, if your credit's messed up, what, what is this? We're not doing you any service when we sit there and allow you to do it. It just takes some time to get it cleaned up. And, and then you don't have to do it by yourself. We're going to be right there to help you. We're going to walk you right straight through it. And it may take time. Guys, it took me years to get the IRS paid off. I can't tell you how good it was not to have those guys knocking on my door 24-7 looking for their little little dab of money. It took me years to get them paid off. But you got to start someplace. They, they let me pay $75 a month back. Till I got it, got it paid off. And guys, I got to tell you, it took me, it took me some time to do, but I got it, got it paid off. They'll work with you. You make your first approach, and, and I guarantee you they'll work with you. I've never called a credit card company. I've never called any of these guys working with the guys I sponsored who wouldn't be, who weren't willing to work for. Them. They'll, they'll bend over backwards to help. They just want something. They want their money. Make sense? Part of my job, if I'm sponsoring you like that, you walk in with a five dollar energy drink, and you owe every person in Texas. You know, I'm going to stop. I'm going to say, buddy, what, what up? It's not your money. That you're not going to be by. No, go with us. Well, I need a new pair of tennis shoes. Three hundred dollar tennis shoes. Yeah, you you can get those right after you finish paying your mom back. Make sense? Ah, some of you are not buying that. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna help you understand what that's about. I gotta tell you, there's a great quote out there. That says it's not making the mistake that kills me. It's defending it. That does the damage. You know what I'm saying? It's like we've all made mistakes. We all try to try to. It's just we gotta we gotta keep in there. We gotta keep keep doing what we can do. I, I got a soapbox here, real quick, a little four minute soapbox because I'm, what I'm starting to see is somebody's out there telling people to write read from scripts. I agree. That we, I, we use these little cards, these little index cards, to, and I, I'm gonna, my eight step list is I owe you know my ex wife this amend, and this is what I think I owe her, and you know so I'll have it down so I'll know kind of what I'm doing. I don't want to walk in and say, well, I owe you some amends, but I don't really know what it, you know, I don't know. And I'm gonna get a chance to talk to her, and then she's gonna tell me what I really owe her amends for. She's gonna clear that up. I've got experience for that. If any of y'all ever wanna wanna visit, but but but. But, and there's a line in the book that misleads a lot of people. If I'm going to go to Walmart and make amends for stealing something, I'm going to go tell this guy, just like the book says, listen, I'm in a program of recovery right now, and I'm trying to stay sober, and I'm not going to do it until I get these men's paid off. I stole some stuff from you, and I need to pay it back. You with us? Now they got a point of reference, and they understand what you're doing. If you come to one of your best friends or a family member and start reading from a script, they're going to throw you out the door. Y'all understand? So let me get this straight, Chris. You don't want to pay the $40 you owed me back because you know it was the right thing to do. You just one more time want to save your little butt from drinking again, and that's why you want to pay me the 40 bucks back. Why can't you just say, I'm wrong. I made a mistake. I treated you poorly. Not I'm sorry. They know that. We're all cool, cool on that, right? It's just it, there's, the, the devil's in the detail. If we will just verbalize this to them and let them know, then, like Myers said, some of these guys might come back and make amends to us too for some of the crazy stuff, and some of they might not. The thing I want to mention is, is you got to do with this is just understand the the, the 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 spirit of the law rather than the letter. It's like don't come at me and make amends to me with a script because I'll, I'll send you packing if that's the case. And again, to do more harm to make the amend is 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 
it comes to this point of you and me uh, have been known each other forever, and I think we're pretty good friends, but you've had some bad thoughts about me. And here's what people do. They take the step out of context out of the book, and they say, well, I'm going to go make amends to Chris for having bad thoughts. Now, I don't know anything about you having bad thoughts about me. You with us? Now, you're going to come down, and you know, Chris, I just when I first met you, I hated your guts. Okay, well, you've hurt my feelings now. I mean, we're all laughing, but you all understand. Now, I mean, before, I didn't have a problem in the world. I knew we weren't very close, but I didn't have a, a bone to pick with you. I'm, I'm, I thought we were friends. Now you tell me that we're not because you've hated me, and now you want me to hug you. Eat me. It ain't going to happen. It ain't gonna, I'm done. I didn't have a problem with you before, but now I got a problem. Y'all follow? I mean, we got these little, we got these little, little uh, men junkies out there. I'm having kind of a down day. I think I'm going to go just make up some amends and just go make some, so I'll feel better about my, quit stirring it up. Sometimes you might, y'all follow? Sometimes you might, book's pretty clear. Don't harm other people by making your load lighter. It's just it's this simple, simple to do. Be persistent in this, guys. I got to tell you, there's a lot of uh, folks. Uh, it took me 13 years to finally make amends to my ex-wife. I tried to make my first approach. She said, "Thank you, but no, thank you." <laughs> and downstream, I was able to actually finally get a chance to make amends. So don't don't ever give up on one. Give it a shot if you if you if you need to. Every one of them is a little bit different. I agree with what Meyer said. Absolutely, uh, uh, make sure that you talk to somebody about it before you get into it. Yeah. Ten-step stuff, it's the same as just he was talking about. You will not believe how it will change your life when you start cleaning this stuff up. And uh, Myers and I, uh, uh, a couple of months ago, at a business meeting in, in uh, on the island down in Padre Island where I work, and, and we're running late. We're running late because he was supposed to tell me where to turn. And we ended up in Mexico. And we ended up literally in Mexico. <laughs> I think I'm kidding. We were really late for this meeting. Anyway, I'm, I'm back on the island. We're hurrying up. We got to change to go to this meeting. And I passed this guy on the left hand side and scared him to death. I passed him. It was an area. Y'all follow? He was going slow. He didn't have his signal on. I passed him. All right. Anyway, I scared him to death and I flipped him off. That's another thing. And I'm and I'm and I drove on onto the house. I'm. Uh, did I mention that I'm 26 years sober? Did I mention that? He follows me into the parking lot, you know, and I, here I am, old 60-year-old guy. I'm fixing to get my butt whipped. This this young guy, he's got tattoos and ear, you know, extensions and all this nonsense. And, and it's like, bless, I don't know what you call him, you know, the little holes. He gets out, and, but he's, I scared him to death. He was fixing to make a turn. He had kids in the car. He wasn't paying, to, and, and, I, and, I, and I passed him on the deal. And so I'm sitting there trying to justify with him that he was wrong because he didn't signal. Come on, guys. I passed him. I scared him to death. I flipped him off on the way out. You'll follow you know alright he said some stuff I said some stuff he got in the car he, mad I hope you die you pirate okay that's fine <laughs> yeah you know I said something about hooking on them ear. I said something anyway and he left he let, but see, here's the deal. I, he, he's on the island because I've seen him. He, he lives down there, and I'll eventually see him. And I'm going to tell you, I've spent a bunch of time driving back by that restaurant where he is because sooner or later, I'm going to catch him. Y'all understand? I sat right there for five seconds after we did that. I said, man, I was wrong to do that. I was, wasn't, I wasn't, just, while I'm justifying it, I'm crazy. My blood pressure's high. I'm pissed. I'm trying, I'm trying wolf packing. I'm looking for, for him to validate. You know, you should have kicked his ass. That's what I would have done. He, and he just looked at me like, man, what was that about? Y'all follow? 
Anyway, I'll see him on the island. I'll keep you guys posted. Because when I see him, whatever I'm doing, I'm going to stop. He's got one of those cars. You can't miss it. I'll see him at that restaurant. With the kids or without the kids, I'll go back to him and make amends for acting like an idiot. Just knowing that I'm going to do it, I'm free. Y'all follow? That, I don't want to be a prisoner of my emotions, of all this fear and all this craziness. I just, I just absolutely don't. Uh, prayer and meditation is absolutely important, guys. I'm not going to get in there and kill it because I really want to spend some time on, on this working with others. I, years ago, got a guy, uh, we've got a friend of ours named Paul Martin uh, who passed away years ago. Some of y'all knew him. Uh, wonderful old guy up in Chicago. He died with 64 years of sobriety. He wrote extensively for the grapevine back in the day when they published some great stuff. It, it, there's a bunch of articles that he wrote a bunch of articles that he wrote, and uh, I had a friend of mine in Connecticut that got me got them all on a, on a, on an attachment so that I could send them to you guys. But if y'all get a chance, y'all email me, and I will send you all those Paul Martin articles because a lot of those articles he talks about what we're talking about today about working the steps quick. But he talks about one of these deals about the about the the the, the, the prayer and meditation piece being so important to what he did. He, he would meditate 45 minutes in the morning, 45 minutes in the evening. And he said if there's one step that changed his life. It was the meditation. And, and, and we, I mean, it's like the forgotten step. You know, every, have most of the people in AA, they, they give it lip service. But, but if you read some of these articles, it can get really clear about the advantages of doing that. And, of course, there's a lot of scientific evidence that shows that that's what we're supposed to be doing anyway. But, but email me, and I'll be glad to send them to you. Y'all cool? we got about five minutes left in this session. Any questions on, on 8, 9, 10, 11? You guys are, you guys are just shell-shocked. I know. Any? I tell you what we're going to do because we can finish a little early. We'll take a quick break, come back, and we're going to do step 12 stuff because that's where we want to be. Okay? All right. Thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it so much. Um, I, I, um, I don't think there's anybody that will ever appreciate sitting in a room like that. The older I get, the less rear end I have. And the less rear end I have, the more I don't want to sit. And it's just like, this is like a couple of hours. Somebody in, in Europe, they used to have this deal where, where, and it still is to a large extent, they want you to do these workshops that start Friday afternoon, go Friday and then all day Saturday and most of the day on Sunday. And it's just, it's just, guys, I, I just, we could light ourselves on fire up here. And after a while, you'd barely look up. I just emotionally, it just emotionally, you just get to a place where you just you just get into this kind of part of it sensory overload. Part of it's just the physical part of sitting. It's like flying transatlantic like that. I mean, you, with every distraction you can throw at yourself, it's still a beaten to get off the plane. It's still a beaten to, to know that you had to sit still for that length of time. And so, it, for for folks that stay, I'm always amazingly honored. Uh, I'm grateful to a committee that 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 listened to that sound reasoning early on and and. Uh, uh, we're all in for the idea of us getting done at a reasonable hour. We got one more hour here like that, and we're gonna. We're, I'm gonna do 30 fast minutes, and Chris is gonna do 30 fast minutes, and we're gonna talk about some of the stuff that we really came to talk about. The stuff that I wanted to talk about from the moment that this podium set up here uh, was this idea of, of 12-step work. Guys, listen. If 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 there is a if there is a secret in AA, it's 12-step work. And yet we, we find ourselves in this, in this crazy deal where somewhere along the line we painted this idea that 12-step that work is subjective. Um, that it's, that it's, uh, that some of you can do it, some of you can't do it, it's available to some people, it's not available. And, and, and Bill never made the distinction. There was never, in, in 1988 when I sobered up, uh, about 
Three months after I sobered up, there was a guy from a big OAA group in Dallas that came to my original home group, and he did a talk. And in this talk, one of the things that he said was, he said, you know, in my experience, there are good 12-steppers and there are bad 12-steppers, and if you're not really good at what it is that you do, you probably just need to leave that to somebody else. Well, so, so let me tell you, I know it sounds weird now, but at the moment, I could have kissed that guy on the mouth. I mean, I'm just like, I can't, I, I'm trying, I just... Because he took away every piece of responsibility to carry them to the carry the message. Because I'm 100% convinced that I will never ever meet the grade. I will never ever be okay to do this. And I think from 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 your reactions, from some of your reactions like this, I think some of you felt the exact same way. My head says, left on my own devices. I'm too slow. I'm too busy. I'm too poor. I'm too. I, I just fill in the blank. It doesn't make any difference like that. My head always has a reason why I can't sponsor you, why I can't help you. I think that's where some of this temporary sponsor thing came up like this. I don't want to really commit to shepherding you through this work, so I'll just be your temporary sponsor so it can look like I'm doing something, but I don't really have any responsibility. And it's weird how that stuff works out. I I haven't found it either in the book either like that. Bill Wilson thought it was so important that he wrote a whole chapter about it, working with others, chapter seven. And, and I, it's, and it's an amazing deal. And, and for, for so many of us, we just simply turn the other direction and we just trivialize the whole idea, um, and, and we'll, we'll soft sell it, um, early AA. I've got articles, uh, of them talking about men three weeks sober already pushed into service as sponsors. Three weeks sober. And they're already sponsoring people. And yet I told you there's old guys that I was talking about the other day and I love those old men, but I'm blown away by how many of them have been in the rooms for 20 years and have never sponsored anybody, have never done this. I'm not coming at that as a, from a judgmental standpoint, guys, because I can see how it could happen. I can understand how that might come about. Um, but uh, it's never too late. I'm, I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's never too late. It's, it's like um, trying to explain it, guys, is sometimes problematic because I can't bring with sufficient force. I can't explain what it's like. It's like trying to... Uh, it's like trying to explain what sex is like. Did you, so do you, can you guys remember a time like this when you were talking about it with somebody and they were giving you a description of what sex was like like this and you go, okay, I got that, I got that. Really? Really? Okay, I got that like this. And you get a kind of a head around it like this. And then somebody finally takes pity on you or however the deal is. And you end up having sex. And then all of a sudden you go, oh, God, they didn't, they didn't even scratch the surface. I mean, it's just like, it's like, wow, huh. And then they brought that collie dog in and then it was like, no, 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 no. And I just like, sorry, I didn't, I was just kidding that. The, descri- the, the descriptions, guys, the, it just, you can't do that. And it, a lot of this has to do with, it's the same kind of thing. How do you describe an experience uh, that is so profound? How do you put words on that kind of stuff if you've never experienced it like this? And yet we have rooms full of men and women who are still sitting on the fence, still sitting up there, all swinging their legs over like this, not wanting to get involved, not wanting to jump down in for whatever reason. I mean, whatever reason. But what we ought to do sometimes is just look at some of the reasons and see if they're really bona fide. See if they're see if they're if they're really as profound as we as we think they are. My big deal was I'm too stupid to do twelve step work. I'm just not bright enough to do it. I'm gonna I'm really honest with you. It's my attempt at humility. I'm just not. I'm just too slow to be a good sponsor. Really. 
Really? And then you do it and you recognize, man, I, I mean, I mean, that's the reason why Bill wrote it all down. I don't even have to be smart. I just have to be able to read a little bit. I just have to be able to figure out and put the stuff together again and then follow simple directions and I can be just as effective as somebody over there or somebody over there. I can, you know, it was, it was crazy once I realized this. So, so stick with me for a second. I, I got, I was in this situation where I was doing a lot of things, uh, uh, but I'm not doing 12-step work. And I'm, I'm going to meetings, and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to, to, to dance around the idea of sponsorship, but I'm not really doing much of anything. And then the story that I relayed last night, Clifford made me do some stuff. My life was transformed as a direct result of that, and, and I became the McDonald's of sponsorship. I mean, it was like, I was like, it, was a, it blew me away how many men God began to bring into my life, and I began to shepherd these guys through there. Now listen, if you're sponsoring one man, you have this view of sponsorship. If you're all of a sudden sponsoring five or six guys at a time, you have this view of it. It's a different view of it like this. And all of a sudden, you simply do not have time to play games with this stuff. And so you tend to very wisely sift this down to its basic stuff so that you're giving exactly what it is that you need to give without all the goofy stuff like this. I don't need to, I don't need to spend all this time with you. I don't need to... Uh, how, how many of you guys have kids? Like, like like little. Remember when guys are little, where kids are real little. You got a two-year-old in the room, standing right here. Where where I'm anywhere that kid is. You understand? If that kid goes this way, I go this way. If he goes this way, I go this way. And that's just the way it is until he gets a little bit older like this. And pretty soon as they get more mature and as they begin to grow, you can find yourself in a situation where by the time that kid gets to junior high, you should be able to do this. I'm still jumpy. I'm still a little bit, you know, I'm paying attention. I'm watching what's going on. By the time that that kid gets to high school, you better be able to do this. And just and just watch what happens like this. There, it, does it mean that there's not still crazy stuff might happen? Yeah, crazy stuff might happen, but I'm, I'll be there to shore the thing up. But I don't have to shepherd them like that. The older they are in this thing and the more mature they are around the steps, the less I have to be there to micromanage stuff. I can just simply back off a little bit. So the quicker I work guys through the work, the quicker I can let go of them and let them get out there, experience what it's like to have their own experience with the work, their own experience with sponsorship like this, and then see... Those people say, Myers, I don't know, how do you sponsor hundreds of men? You sponsor them and then you back off. You sponsor them and you back off. It's, it's fairly intense and then it's not so intense. And then you just sit, simply say, I, if I thought that I had to raise every man that I sponsor, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I understand why it would be problematic. i got to start making decisions about who he can date, who he can't date, what he does. What, quit! The, 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 the book never puts you in the middle of that picture. Who's in the middle of the picture? God, God, he calls me about a relationship. Be on going on. I don't know. Did you pray about this yet? You didn't. Well, Hoss, that's where I'd start. Why don't Why don't we get God in the middle of this thing and see kind of what happens? You see, and 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 there there we see. Um, I want to, I want to tell you two fast stories, and I and I um I I have two two paths that I wanted to take on this, and I think I want to tell you these stories because they illustrate two distinct things about sponsorship that I think that are important. One, um, um, there was a, a, a guy that I sponsored named uh, Matt, and he's a he's a ferocious guy in the trenches, and he was doing uh, night watch in Dallas. Uh, if you call the Dallas-Fort Worth area anytime after 5 o'clock in the afternoon or between 8 o'clock in the morning, one of our members from our group will answer the telephone. And we've been doing this for years and years and years. And so he calls me like at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I said, Matt, you better be bleeding to call me at three o'clock in the morning. And and he said he said well I he, I got a problem. And he said I'm talking to a lady here locally whose dad's in California. 
trying to get sober, and he's not he's not being very successful. And I said, well, what do you think we ought to do? And he said, well, my gut tells me we ought to try to get him here and see if we can sober him up. And I said, done. I'm all in. Let's see what we can do. So she, he talks to her, and she talks to him, and within 24 hours, he's on a bus heading for Dallas. Now listen, this guy, it took three days to get from California to Dallas, Texas, with this guy detoxing. I, I'm not sure who I feel sorry for more, him or the people that were sitting around him. Because he's the real deal, and it must have been ugly to be on that on that bus. But he, he gets to Dallas. When he, he gets in on a Tuesday night, we got a meeting Tuesday night, and he's too sick to go. So we put him up in a hotel. One of our guys sat with him that night like this. And then Thursday night, he comes to the meeting, and he sits there, and he's literally detoxing still. He's shaking so bad, he just sits there, and we're just kind of holding on to him. And, and, and really, uh, he's past the worst of it, but he's still a mess. And so then he leaves. Saturday night, he comes back to the meeting. And when he walks in, he's okay. And he's caught, he, he, we're talking like this. I asked him how he's doing, and he said he's fine like this. And we just kind of visited him about some stuff like this. And about that time, I said, "Well, we're going to have to get you as busy as we can, as quick as we can." And he said, "Well, I'm, you know, I'm a beginner. I need, I probably need this, you know." And I'm going, "Buddy, I'm gonna, I'll tell you, I, I'll give you one week to be a beginner. I'll give you one week to be a newcomer. Past that, there's somebody else newer than you, and you need to be taking care of them." This, this idea that you're going to sit in meetings for six months and be a newcomer is a, is a, it, I mean, you, you talk about getting hurt. You talk about a prescription that will, that will harm you. That's it in a lot of cases. Don't, don't do that. Come on. We'll love on you a little bit and then be done with it. Let's get busy trying to help somebody else. And so, so, um, so this guy's name is Glenn and Glenn was standing there, uh, talking to me and I'm looking at the door and about the time I looked up like this, there's this guy that walks in like this and he walks in and it's, you know where somebody's been, I mean, this guy is, des- is destroyed by, by whatever it was. He was drunk, booze or dope and he was kind of leaning forward and then he was leaning back and then like this, like this. And you could almost smell him from where we were like this. I mean, his hair looks like a, it was combed by a gerbil and it was just like, like, it's, it's all sticking out like this and he's just like his clothes are all, all tore up and, and he, and he starts walking this way. And I said, Hey, Glenn, do me a favor. Would you walk over there and greet that guy? And he said, No. And I said, Glenn, I didn't ask you to sponsor him. I just want you to go over and greet him. And he said, what do you mean greet? And I said, Glenn, are you just walk over there, say, welcome to Primary Purpose Group Dallas. Let me show you where the coffee is and show him where the bathroom is, okay? Because it looks like he could use it. Like, and he goes, oh, oh, I, I don't. And so I said, Glenn, you want to stay sober? And he goes, yes, sir. And I said, just go do it, please. And he said, okay. And he takes two steps away from me, and then he looks back like this, and he's going like this, and he's looking at me, and he's wringing his hand, and he's going like, do do anything, but don't ask me to do this. And I just looked at him like this, and I went, get, like that. And he starts walking over there. So now they're out of earshot. I can't hear anything that's going on. I'm just watching them like that. They're about where Amanda is in that big room. And I'm standing here like this. And I'm looking over there, and I watch Glenn reach up and put his hand on the guy's shoulder, and they start walking back this way, and I can hear Glenn's talking to him. And then he gets back over here, and he points to the coffee, and he points to where the bathroom is like this, and he sits there, and the guy said thank you like this. And then Glenn just kind of looked at him like this, and Glenn stood still and watched this guy just walk off a little bit. And then all of a sudden he goes like this, and he turns around, and listen, this is what Glenn does. Glenn turns around like this and goes, <sighs> like this, and I he walks back over here, and I said, "Hey, Glenn, what did what'd you tell him?" And he said, 
I just told him how we do things around here. And he's like, <laughs> I said, wow. Really? He said, yeah, yeah. And I, uh, <laughs> Guys, we had 10, minute, 10 minutes of that meeting filled up. There were 200 people there that night. And they were there, we're, we're sitting there watching uh, uh, Glenn sit there. And Glenn's sitting about two and a half inches taller than he was earlier like this. And I'm telling you, for 15 minutes before that meeting started, Glenn owned Primary Purpose Group Dallas. <laughs> amazing deal like this and we would watch him get involved and watch him come set up chairs and watch him do the rest of the stuff like this and we would watch him walk free and clear of a disease that was destined to kick his rear end and I got a chance to give him his one year chip and I got a chance to see his daughter that made the call that night and all we did was sit and lean into each other and cry that's all I could do because it was just such an amazing deal um she got her dad back and uh we got a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous that knows firsthand what it's like to get in the trenches and do something for somebody else. You see? One other quick story, and, and, it, and it's related, but it's not related. It's not related in the same kind of way, and some of you will go, I don't understand the connection on this kind of stuff. Um, um, there, was, there was a gal in our group that was uh, um, had been a member of our group for a long period of time. She had a history that was, to this day, the worst history as a child I've ever seen in my whole life. She was ritually abused. It was horrible times ten. I can't even imagine somebody ro- growing through this stuff. Um, she came in. She got sober. She did real well. And then at some point in time in there, uh, she got really busy doing something. Uh, she was trying to adopt a baby. And, and, she, um, and I, I just... She got real obsessed with the job. She had to do the job so that she could get the wherewithal to do this 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 uh, uh, adoption thing, and um, um, and so she just kind of starts drifting a little bit. And she eventually she would start going to a meeting over closer to where she lived, and it was a thing of convenience. It, I, I, we were glad to see her just get. She stayed over there for a little while, and then it got to a place after about about four months where she just stopped going to anything at all. She just wasn't doing much of anything. Um, but but her date to get this baby was drawing closer and closer and closer and we knew that it was coming up like this. And so uh, one evening about 5 o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon I'm getting ready to go to Homer Bound and do a deal out there and I, and I get a call from a friend of hers, a mutual friend and she said, hey, can you come over and see her? Um, uh, she's in some trouble. And I said, what do you mean trouble? And she said, well just can you come over and see her? And uh, she's been asking for you, and I went, yeah, I will. And so I'll go over there, and I and I see her, and I'm gonna call her, I'm gonna call her Ann. That's not her name. And I just, I, so I walk in, and I said, where's Ann? And the, the the living room's full of people that I don't know. The parking lot outside, I mean, the the streets full of cars. And so I, I walk in, and I said, where is she? And she's in the bedroom. And I walk in this bedroom, and it's all dark on the inside like this. And Ann's sitting in the bed, and she's got her a nightgown on, and she's holding it right here at her collar like this. And she's just, I mean, it's just like. You could, the room smells like somebody that had been in a room for days. Uh, uh, and I, I just went, ah, Lee. And I, so I said, yeah, you guys give me a second. And I, and I walk over and I talk and I said, I said, kiddo, what's going on? And, and she said, I, I just, uh, Ann had had a psychotic break. Uh, and she'd come apart at the seams and, um, she was des- desperate. And I said, and we don't have her in a hospital. Why? And there's a bunch of ladies in the room like this and they're all already mad at me because I'm just a little abrasive. And so, um, I was I, I was fairly abrasive. I, I was because because here was my buddy in, the, in this in this bed and I and she was dying and I thought uh, come on you she should be in a hospital 
And so I said, they said, well, good luck if you can get her to go. And so I leaned into her and I said, you really do need to be in the hospital, right? And she goes, I know. She said, but I can't go. And I said, why? And she said, Myers, if I go to the hospital, there'll be a record of my mental condition. And you think for a second they're going to give me a baby if I'm a fruitcake. And I just went, God, sweet pea, I don't know what to do, man. I mean, she, she's, she is simply in and out of reality. She's just, she's just listless, um, um, real weak. And I just said, buddy, you, you've got to do something. And she said, I don't know what to do. And she just busted down and started crying. And I was just devastated by the drama of what was going on because you just see this stuff and you just, when it unfolds in front of you like this and you see mental illness at its ugliest, you just kind of go like, what, what, what can I do? I just, and I remember backing up from the bed like this and I'm just thinking, I just don't know. I don't know what to do. And I said, I got to get out of here for just a minute. And I walked out in her backyard. And it was real still back there. And I just had a few few words. And I was talking to God about this thing. I said, buddy, I'm, I'm stumped. I don't, I don't know what to do. And then, I, then this thought comes to me. And I thought, uh-uh. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. And I'm just going to go, I, I just don't know what to do. And then I, the same thought came again. And I went, ah. And so I go back into this room. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. I just made a couple of calls, and I need you girls to get her dressed because uh, she. I'm going to take her with me. And they said, you got her talked into going to the hospital? And I said, no, I, got, I haven't talked to her at all yet, but I'm going to talk her into going and do some 12-step work. And these girls, these ladies in this room, and they were kind. These were swell ladies. These were members of her new home group, and they were not cut out of the same stuff. They don't. They weren't real keen on the idea of doing anything outside of AA land like this. I, I've since talked to some of them, and there's still a, a problem between us. They still think that I that I was heavy-handed in the situation. Um, and, but they were madder than hell. They were calling their husbands. You come get this man out of here. They're, I mean, it was ugly. You can imagine. It got real chaotic for a second, and I finally just said, listen, I'm, 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 I'm battered in all of you. I'm going to do this. You don't have any other options. She'll die here. She'll slip off into some weird-ass coma, and we'll lose her forever. we got to do something. If she'll go, I'm not going to force her to go, but if she'll go, I'll take her with me. And so they got her dressed, and, I, and, and we talked a minute, and I said, do you know where we're going to go? And she said, I think you said that we were going to go down to Homeward Bound. And I said, yep. On Homer Bound on Friday night, the girls go to one side, the guys go to the other side, and we do this deal, and we meet back in the parking lot. And so I said, I said, yeah, that's that's what we're going to do. And she said, do you really think that's wise? And I looked at her, and I said, I don't know what else to do. I, seriously, we we, we got to do something. And she said, okay, I'll go. But I'm not going to talk. And I said, you don't, Ann, you don't have to do nothing. You just, just come up there with us and see what happens. So we get there in this parking lot. I had called a girl to come get her, and, and so they rode up in a different car. We got there like this, and so Ann goes up with her. I go up to the guy's side, and I managed to stay there about 20 minutes, and I'm coming apart. I'm going, I don't know what's going across on the girl's side. I don't know what's happening, and i got to find out. And so finally I said, guys, it's yours. Uh, y'all deal with the rest of it. And I ran down the stairs, and was just sitting in the parking lot waiting. About 20 minutes later, the door opens up. This girl comes out. Another girl comes out. Another girl comes out. No Ann. And I went, oh, oh, come on, man. Was I, did I read this that wrong? And so pretty soon I, I, the girls got down to the bottom and I said, where is she? And they said, she's still up there talking to some girls. And I said, well, let's give it a couple of minutes and see what happens like that. Pretty soon she comes down the steps. And I'm looking at her. She's as far as from here back where Tom is. And, and I see her in the parking lot. And as she's walking towards me like this, she looks at me like this. And she just does this and put a thumb up like that. And I went, all right. And I walked over to her and I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah. She said, hey, 
I'm not going to play games with you. I'm not going to tell you that I'm a little sunbeam for Jesus right now. I'm not going to tell you that I'm that I'm I'm firing on all cylinders. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to be okay. And the next day she was better, and the next day she was better, and the next day she left to go to Europe to pick up that little baby. And she did that. And that little kid's in high school now, and, and she's hitting on all cylinders, and, and it's it's a pretty amazing thing. So, so listen. Sometimes we think our efforts over here are causal, that we that, that, that this affects this, but sometimes we miss the big stuff. The, the, the big, I mean, the, the, the idea that her ability to get up out of herself and break that little cycle that was twisting her up inside like this, the idea that she could do that and it would break this psychosis that was going on, did she still need some help downrange? Yeah. Did she still get some help? Yes, she did. But at the moment, at the moment, this idea of just simply getting out of her head was what was necessary. I used to call Clifford all twisted up about some crazy stuff like this, and Clifford would always tell me the exact same thing. Myers, 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 Myers. I, I, listen, I, I'm not, I know that's important what you're talking about. Do me a favor. Would you go down to the 2-4 and spend a couple of, t- couple of hours with those guys and then call me back and we'll deal with your problem? Over and over and over he would do this, and I would go down there and I'd walk in and the smell of that old grease in that place would knock me over like this, and I'd take a couple of bucks out and I'd buy me a cup of coffee. And in a couple of minutes there'd be somebody sitting across from me just looking at me, and I'd go, "You want a cup of coffee?" And they'd go, "Yeah." I said, "How about uh, chicken fried steak? You want one of those too?" And they go, "Yeah." So it's going to cost me six bucks, and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to sling some AA at this guy and talk to him for a little bit while he's eating dinner. I'm going to drink my coffee like this, and then at the end of this thing, I walk outside somehow transformed by an action that I took and then I can call Clifford back or not depending on the situation but my experience was my experience was is that it never wasn't it never seemed big enough to even call him back afterwards like this I just got the chance to spend two hours talking to a kid that just came in off the street ate a chicken fried steak drank some coffee and I got to sling some AA with some with some meat in it with some with some good stuff like this and give this guy some hope and everything in me changed. Guys, the moment the moment I was able to simply shift this thing from being about me to about them, I'm here to give, not to take. The moment I made that distinction, everything in my life changed. Everything changed. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my kids, my relationship with the business that I'd grown to hate, everything began to change the moment I did this kind of stuff. And so all I had to do was simply submit to a process, submit to a clear-cut set of directions that had already been handed to me. I didn't even have to be smart. All I had to do was just simply be willing to do what it was that they asked me to do. Will you feel goofy? Yes. Will you feel hung out? Sometimes. Will you feel uncertain? Yes. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Because if you wait, I've been waiting my whole life to hear somebody go, you know what, I just realized it was time for me to do 12-step work. I'm sorry. I know that that intellectually we say that kind of stuff like that, but I'm telling you, it's never been my experience. My experience has always been left to my own devices. I will always find a reason why I cannot help anybody, why I will always be less than I need to be. And I'm just telling you, man, all it takes, you just need to grow some bigger ones and go go do it. Just, just You shouldn't say that, should you? But you all know exactly what I'm saying. Trust the process and then be blown away by what happens like this. And then when you get to be an old dude like me, and you look back on your life being of service to other people, 
you will simply be amazed at what goes on. And you will realize, guys, at the end, that your life counted for something. That your, that your the disaster that was your life was the springboard into being able to help somebody get past a disease that they thought was going to kill them. You see what I'm saying? Don't miss this opportunity, guys. Don't miss it. Every one of us is accountable. Every one of us needs to be there in order to do that stuff. There are no excuses. None. None. And when you jump in, and it's no longer their program, but your program, it's no longer their group, but your group, when you get in the middle of this other kind of stuff and you feel completely changed, uh, then you will know exactly. And perhaps, perhaps you will want to do what we do. Stand for something. Um, go kick some ass. Change some lives. Pretty cool, right? I love you guys. He's so rigid. Uh, just a few minutes with you guys and, and uh, we'll get through this. Uh, I spent the spiritual warfare that I talked about earlier really culminates in this stuff called the 12th step. It just this is this is where everybody wants to get let off the hook. And um, I heard a lady that not long ago she's well, I do my 12th step every time I go to a meeting. And I'm I'm no. You know, I go to a meeting because I go to a meeting. There are my buds there. I get to hear some cool things. I get to visit and all that. Twelve-step stuff is being of service. And I spent a whole bunch of time out there, seven years in and out of the program, not being able to stay sober. In 1987, these old guys got around me and they said, Chris, you've been a taker all your life, which hurt my feelings. Well, Father, it did. And, and I, okay, I said, okay, okay. But I, so you got to start helping us do some things. And uh, they started real simple with me. It was, you know, could you help us back in the floor? Could you help us set up the room? Could you just be of service and somehow and get out of your head? But real, real quickly, they got me with a clear understanding that I needed to go work with some drunks in order to stay sober. And uh, uh, again, I, I had the out because everybody was in there. Well, you can't sponsor anybody. We, got, we have a fellowship out there that we want to spend most of our time telling newcomers what they can't do. And, and I got to tell you, if we had enough people in the trench working, y'all know what I mean by in the trench, right? It's, I've told the story a thousand times that you know, I was in Houston and a big old rainstorm got lost and making a turn on there and there's a bunch of people working and the windows are all fogged up and I turned the windows down a little bit so I could see out and see where I was turning and there's a, a bunch of guys in rain slickers and there's a there's a little little Mexican guy he's in the ditch, he's digging and he's just as wet as, as any human being could get wet. Y'all follow? It's just one of those tropical storms coming through and he's in there digging his butt off and there's seven Seven guys in these yellow rain slickers, all with clipboards, looking very important, standing around the ditch. One little guy in the in the ditch digging. And I think, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. I just, you know, I just, you know, it's just, it, 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 you get on a committee, you get on a volunteer, and you have 15 people taking your inventory. Well, they should have done this. Well, they should have done that. It's like, you know. Jump in the trench with us and help us. That's what we're supposed to be doing. The entire program is based on the idea that one drunk can help another drunk. Y'all are all clear on that. We, we don't need a bunch of education. We don't need a bunch. Of, all we need is our story, which is so important, our experience, and, and, and the absolute love, the willingness to carry the solution to the alcoholic. And if we can do that, Dr. Bob said, supposedly said, stop being the patient as soon as possible and become the doctor. 
and, and it's, it's, it's heresy in certain parts of the country. I can't tell you. I bet you right now you could go into a dozen meetings in, in, in Montgomery right now, and there'll be a sign someplace, or somebody will be there to tell you, you can't chair a meeting until you're a year sober. You can't sponsor until you're two years sober. You can't do... The guy that brought Alcoholics Anonymous to Texas had never been to a single meeting. He was dying of alcoholism. They detoxed him, got him sober. The doctor said, you got to get out of this climate. you got to get someplace warmer. He had a job, a newspaper job in Houston. Got on a van. They gave him a big book and said, let's go get him, buddy. Get down there and start kicking some butt. He got down there and started writing some articles and started opening meetings like little Johnny Appleseed. Y'all follow? And, I mean, that's every meeting in Texas came from that meeting in Houston, Texas. It started from a little guy that had never been to a meeting. I mean, the arrogance of us to, continue, to think that we could just rewrite the solution to this. We read it last night on page four, bottom page 14 and 15. You must work with others. If you plan on growing spiritually... You can't do that without work and self-sacrifice for others. So sitting in the meeting, you're not working and self-sacrificing for anybody. You're just doing what you're supposed to be doing. I'm not knocking meetings. I'm saying you've got to go find you a project. You find a job in AA, you'll stay. Get on one of these committees. I mean, I, my hat's off. Thank you so much to the committees that did this. I mean, how cool is this to be able to come and do this? I mean, it's absolutely been organized to the T. I mean, that, that service, the tapers, the people, that they're not getting rich back there. They do it. This is the love, the service. They're trying to help. When's the last time you did anything for anybody? That ought to piss you off. No, because some of you believe you're doing everything for everybody. I'm saying, and there's some of you that are, are I guarantee you. But again, I, I just, I got a couple things I want to go over with you. I've got a little form, a little deal, uh, this little handout. I've got them over here. I didn't pass them out because I didn't want y'all reading them while I talk about it. It's kind of quick and fast. This is a little willing to go to any lengths. And uh, and I, this won't take like 15 minutes to go through. But but basically, these are some steps. Mark and I used to laugh about it, what Myers was talking about. We asked the newcomer, are you willing to go to any length? And he goes, yes. I've never once started working with somebody and asked them that question that they didn't say yes. Y'all follow? They always say yes. Yes, I'm willing to go to any length. They're, 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 you know. But we never tell them what that looks like. It's, it's like an ambush, you know. And I'm going to tell them so that we know downstream, two weeks from now, when you start crapping out, two months from now, when you start balking on those amends, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to remind you that we talked about this. You know, it's 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 pretty it's pretty good stuff. And again, you don't have to write it down. I've got these things in handouts, and I'll be more than glad. I'm going to ask them initially going in the door. I'm going to ask them point blank some of these questions. Are you willing to be qualified? I'm going to sit down and I'm going to ask you. You're going to sit with me, and you're going to you're going to let me help you figure out what you are. You follow? You may have one illness. You may have two illnesses. You may have a whole bunch of illnesses. You may be just in the wrong damn room altogether. And, and I'm going to be able to help you do that. You with us? My job is to be of service. And if I let you sit in a room that you don't belong in, I'm not being of service. You follow? I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah, okay. I don't mind watching you die. Y'all understand this? I'm going to ask you not to raise your hand here. I know we've got some heroin addicts in here. Let me ask you a question. How long do you think I would have to talk to you before you realize that I didn't know a thing about heroin? About 10 seconds? Yeah. But I'm going to sit there and talk to you about something I know nothing about. Buddy, i got to tell you, if you know anything about heroin or opiates, we need you. There's some other fellowships that we need your help in. Desperately. They're dying by the thousands. You're welcome at AA. I want you to be where you can be most helpful. That's that's the bottom line. That's my job. 
folks do get here by mistake. Don't assume anything. Just because they've come to treatment, don't assume that they know this. I can't tell you how many people we've treated you with this multiple times that still don't understand what it means to be an alcoholic. That information we covered this morning about first step, they don't understand. I want you to be willing to take the steps quickly. I'm not, I'm not on a slow glide plane here. Guys, I don't want to sound real rigid. Everybody's a little bit different. Y'all follow? Your detox may affect how fast you work the steps, your, your intelligence, your work schedule, your family. I mean, there's nothing to say you've got to do it in a week or a month. But what we've got to try to do is get you through the work as quick as possible. Y'all follow? It is absolutely a race. I'm going to tell you, I'm 26 years sober, guys. If the obsession to use comes back to me, I'm going to use. That's been my experience. So will you. we got to get these cats to the work. i got to get them connected to God. I can't fix you. If I could fix you, I, can you imagine how rich I would be? Oh, my God. I, I think I can fix some of you. All right, well, uh, never mind. <laughs> Not about this. Willing to attend specific meetings. Guys, I want you early on, if I'm working with you, I want you to come to some specific meetings. Meeting makers make it. It gets us in a lot of trouble. There's a lot of people that end up in halfway houses. They don't have a job. They don't do anything. All they're doing is going to meetings 24-7. I want them to go to some literature-based meetings with me. And if they're going to lit meetings with me, and then I got a guy at the new meeting tomorrow contradicting everything we just talked to him about today, we're in trouble. Go follow after we get him through the work, I want him to go to as many meetings as he can go to, anywhere he wants to go. He's, if he's free to do anything, but um, it's just simple. But I want him to try to go to some literature-based meetings so that we can at least talk about the solution and not the, not the problem. Get a home group. What a concept. Willing to focus on just the big book until we do the steps. Guys, I'm just a, I'm a thumper, and the, and, the, and the message is here in the book, and this is what we're trying to get them to do. I love the 12 and 12, but I don't want them playing with the 12 and 12 at the same time they're doing the steps. Some of y'all are free to disagree, but it will confuse the daylights out of you. It was written 11 years after the big book was written. It's a bunch of great thoughts. I love the 12 and 12, but if you start, especially if you get to the, to the four-step stuff that we're talking about, it will confuse the daylights out of you. Just, I'm just saying Read, let's just all stay on the same page until we can get you through the steps. And then I want you to read everything about recovery. Conference approved, unconference approved, I want you to read everything you can. That stupid living sober book, I want you to read it. After I get you on some good spiritual ground, then you can read it. And then you could use it as a coffee coaster. Okay. I want you to be completely honest. Guys, i got to tell you, it's a prerequisite. Bill Wilson talks about it and how it works. He says it two, two times on a, on a If you have the ability to be honest, you can get sober. It's the only prerequisite they give you. You don't have to be particularly bright. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to... You don't. If you can be honest with yourself and with the people around you, you can get sober. Y'all follow? Here's the areas I want you to be particularly honest in. Y'all heard the old expression around AA, sex and checks? I want you to be really, really, really honest with me around your money, your finances. I, I, I'm not trying to dig in personal. It's, it's just I, I want to know. If we're dealing with a bunch of debt here, I need to know. If we're dealing with a bunch of sex stuff, I need to know. You'll follow? The dishonesty around that stuff will get you in trouble. Uh, uh, I, I want to make a real point clear. I, I know I can think of four or five guys right now that can't stay sober because they won't come out of the closet. Listen, I'm not one way or another about it. I just, I'm just saying we're all brothers and sisters on this earth and i got no place to judge and I could care less. You cannot stay sober and lie about something that, that is that important. You can't. And I watch them go in and out of treatment, in and out of treatment, in and out of treatment until they finally get honest and then they can stay sober. I, I, just say it. 
you got to be honest. The other thing you got to be honest about is medications. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to pretend I'm a doctor. I'm telling you point blank. I need to know what medications you're on. The problems that we have with the meds is that we've got a lot of doctors prescribing stuff that they don't, don't need to be prescribing. If you're on benzodiazepine and anxiety medication, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have a tough time staying sober because it triggers the same area of the brain that craving kicks in. Y'all follow? I'm not talking about antidepressants. We're losing thousands of alcoholics in my 20 years. I've watched thousands upon thousands of relapses around antidepressants. I'm not knocking antidepressants. I took them most of my adult life. I don't take them anymore. I, I, I didn't need to. My problem wasn't depression. It was untreated alcoholism. The problem is that they stop taking it. And I need to know that you're on it so when you get goofy and psychotic crazy, I'll know what's up. You know, you follow? If you got to wean on them, you got to wean off of them. You all all good? Did anybody hear me say stop taking your antidepressants? Come on, guys. Love, I, I'm, don't ever go there with me because I'll never say that. If you need those medications, rock on. I love you for it. But if you're taking them, you got to keep taking them. Stop playing doctor. Make sense? The saddest thing on earth is to watch somebody that really, really, really wants to stay sober and is doing the work, and they sabotage themselves by playing doctor like that. Just, just keep, keep doing what you got to be doing. I want you to be willing and open-minded about anonymity. All right, guys. One of the problems that we have in our fellowship, we talked about it earlier, is uh, this idea around stigma. And a lot of us in Alcoholics Anonymous, we can help with this by coming out of the closet a little bit. I'm just telling you, you can be as anonymous as you want around Alcoholics Anonymous if you want. You don't have to tell anybody you're in AA. I don't care if you do or you don't. But i got to tell you this. Being in recovery is not something to be ashamed of. And if you're being quiet about it, I'm going to tell you, you're doing other people around you a disservice. There's a great little video out there, Anonymous People. Some of you all have seen it. Uh, it's uh, It's got some pretty good stuff in it. If any of you guys want to come by later, i got one of these. This is Operation Understanding. This is in 1976. There's a bunch of guys that got together. These are movie stars, politicians, astronauts. These are all cats in the early 70s. All of them, every one of them, introducing themselves as recovered alcoholics from the podium. They didn't talk about Alcoholics Anonymous. They didn't talk. They're not trying to break any traditions. They're trying to break this idea of stigma. We're, we, we want people to get comfortable with the idea. We don't seek around, I've got diabetes. We don't do that. It's like, I got, I'm a diabetic. I need some help. Okay, that's great. It's the same thing with alcoholism and drug addiction. We've got to stop walking on eggshells around that nonsense. Y'all follow? One of the reasons that I get to stay so sober and I, and I do a pretty happy, happy life of it is that I'm pretty transparent with my, my recovery. When I come in from this podium, I understand the level of press, radio, and films. If I go out there and somebody needs a, 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 an interview, my name is Chris R. from Ingram, Texas. I'm in the room with my family. My name is Chris Raymer. R-A-Y-M-E-R. There's nothing ego about this. I need, if you need me, I want you to be able to track me down. The doctors in my town know that Chris Raymer's in the program. The police know that I'm in the program. The marshal, the, the EMS people know I'm in the program. And they have a problem with somebody, they call me on the phone. You follow? I, uh, you follow? It's okay to break your anonymity. Nothing drives me crazier to be in a meeting. One of my buddies come up there and my name is, my name is, my name is C.R., Chris R., and I'm, it's like, buddy, Really? At a group level? Dr. Bob was really clear about it. You can practice above the tradition or below the tradition. Just suggesting, okay? The guys I sponsor, they're going to stop walking on eggshells about being this. You'll follow? Because if you're too afraid to tell people around it, it's going to be tough. What happens when you're at work and somebody calls and needs some help, but your boss doesn't know you're in the program? You're going to be, you're going to be a nervous wreck that somebody finds out. 
Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> no, and I'm sorry for the cussing. Y'all understand it? Nobody cares anymore. This is this is a, this is 2014. This is not 2000. I mean, you know, 1935 when we got this thing. I understand back in the day everybody tiptoeing around, but today y'all follow. I'm not saying break your anonymity about being in AA. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. But tell somebody you're in recovery. Share some hope. Come it. I want you to be willing to take a service commitment now. The bottom of page 129, if you got your book, if you don't, that's cool. But the very bottom it says, even if he displays a certain amount of neglect and irresponsibility towards the family, it's well to let him go as far as he likes in helping other alcoholics. During those first days of convalescence, that must, that's got to be a typo. This will do more to ensure his sobriety than anything else. So get it? During those first days of convalescence, Mars just told you a beautiful story about a guy just off the bus, sober two days, helping somebody. Didn't say you got to go lead a workshop or, or sponsor him, but you got to get off your butt and go help somebody. I, I'll, I'll repeat it one more time. You get a job in AA, you'll stay. If all you're doing is coming to a meeting and sitting there, you're not going to stay around. My God, we need your help. I'm just telling you. We need your help. I'm going to be willing to be accountable in all three parts. Circle triangle, I'm going to explain that to you. And every time I see you, I'm going to ask you where you are in all three parts. After we do this, I'm going to ask you to be absolutely clear about the traditions and the other AA literature. We're going to get down and we're going to read. You with us? If I'm sponsoring you, we're going to read our butts off. I want you guys to know what this is about. I'm going to ask you to be willing to follow guidance about meeting etiquette. We could do an hour on that. Y'all follow, guys? Come on, guys. If you're walking into a meeting and every head in the place looks at you, you're dressing inappropriately. <laughs> and I ain't talking about the girls. I, I, I got guys, I'm talking, I got, it's just unbelievable. Etiquette. Thank the speaker, even if you don't agree with him. Thank the speaker. Thank the chairperson. Thank the coffee people that made the coffee. You you didn't have to do anything, okay? But just it's, it's the etiquette. You drop a dollar in the basket. That's part of it. You know, it's, it's the nature of the beast. Punctuality. Y'all have been so good today. Good God Almighty. And we're preaching to the choir. Y'all understand it? It'll drive you crazy though sometime when you're sitting there doing a talk from the podium like this and somebody gets up four or five times during a talk. Clump, clump, clump. Big old clod lopper shoes. Clump, get, get a cup of coffee. Come back. Go out and smoke. Come back. Get you something. Go back to the bathroom. Come. You with us? Buddy. Just go. Just. <laughs> it's just respect. And I got to tell you guys. All of us in Alcoholics Anonymous, what are we, at the end of the day, what are we? We're teachers. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're teaching. How does a newcomer know? If a newcomer comes into a meeting, that's one of my deals on here, is, is introduce yourself with one illness. If I'm an Alcoholics Anonymous, I introduce myself as an alcoholic. I happen to also be a drug addict. When I go to Drug Addicts Anonymous, I introduce myself as a drug addict, period. It's, it's, it's about respect for the group. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. Holy shit. <laughs> Mark asked me one time, he said, Chris, are you a good sign painter? I said, no, my hands shake all the time. I'm a terrible sign painter. So why don't you introduce yourself as a shitty sign painter then? <laughs> Y'all understand? We used to watch it back in the 80s and 90s when the little guys would come in and treatment centers were grinding them out by the time. My name's Chris and I'm an alcoholic and an addict and a sex addict and a gambler and a... Shit, there was one more. Let me think. <laughs> I don't understand why nobody wants to go to dinner with me. I don't want to say anything that's going to separate me from you. You follow? In this room, we're all the same. So you can be both, but that's that's what we got to do. 
I'm going to ask you one last time here. I'm going to ask you to be really willing about health and exercise. Guys, i got to tell you, I've watched so many people come into this fellowship and they get in, this, in these rooms and, they, and they, they're just going to meetings every day, you know, but they're not taking care of their health and they're eating like pigs and they're just, and they're, just they're not, they're, I don't know why I just feel so terrible. Maybe I need to do another fourth step. No, buddy, you need to get off the damn couch and turn the, turn the TV away. Let's go. Let's go rake the leaves. You don't have to go get around in a marathon, but but you got to start exercising. We need to take a little vitamin. You know, dope feeds in here. Fish oil. I got to tell you, there's some great studies out there that talk about fish oils connecting the dots again for you a little bit. And, and it's just go go to the dentist. Let, let me help you with this a little bit. Y'all y'all understand where we're at? Yeah. Brush your teeth. I know. <laughs> I know. One of the things that we talk about, guys, is we just don't chase these little knuckleheads. We get them, we ask, we offer them what we what we got, and if they want it, great. If they don't, that's fine too. You don't take it personal. I sponsor lots of guys, buddies, and every time I, I, I turn around, about once a month or two, somebody comes and fires me. They fire me for one reason, because I'm not, I don't live in town all the time. I travel so much. You're just not available. I told you going in, I wasn't going to be there 24/7. But bye bye. If you need to go, go. And that's, that's okay. Uh, I love you. If I can ever help you, I'll see you. You follow? That's some of you guys, you marry into the sponsorship there. You've got sponsors that, that, you, that you hate, that you don't want to be around, but you don't have the cojones to say, excuse me, this ain't working out. I need to go find somebody else to help me. This is life and death. I want to be pulled with a vision. I want to be around somebody in the program that's doing more than I am. Y'all follow? Somebody that's going to hold me accountable. And if, it, it's just not personal. It's just life and death. Let me wrap this up. We could talk all day long about sponsorship and do sometimes, but I, I got—I got to tell you. Remember last night when we were talking about perspective? We were talking about being around the rooms. I—I I, I get to see so many people. My experience is this, 20 years working in the treatment center business, and of course I've been in AA longer than that, but uh, my experience is watching these guys come out of treatment, the ones that get connected with people like y'all, little busted down big books we've been stamping all day long, I mean, good gosh, some of you guys are actually reading that book, oh my God, and doing the steps, I mean, this has been a delight getting to share with a room full of like-minded people, and I know we're not all there, but most of us are there, and uh, this has been an absolute pleasure for Myers and I to do this talk. Uh, some, some of these things we get to do are absolute torture. Because you're fighting upstream the whole time, and you guys have just been absolutely great. But but I got to tell you, guys, if, if I can get a guy that leaves my facility, and I think I got a good facility. There, it's, it's, there's other great ones out there. If we can get them from those facilities to get them connected to to, to you guys, they stay sober. See, so treatment centers can do a great job drying you out, giving you some information, and getting you healthy and getting you pushed towards the light. But if we got nobody out there to catch them, to finish the work, to hold them accountable, they don't stay sober. I gotta say this again, guys, because I don't think you're hearing what I'm saying. This is a hundred percent of the cases that are real alcoholics and addicts. If they don't get reconnected once they leave treatment, they do not stay sober. They coast for a little while. I did the statistical work for years, folks, at the facility I worked at before, and I know the ones that fell on their ass. If we can get them connected. The problem is, we were talking to somebody earlier, guys. Here's what's coming down the pike. We've got this little thing called the Affordable Care Act, which is changing the landscape. I'm not even going to begin to get into it. I, I, whether it's good or bad, who knows? All I know is this. The insurance companies that used to pay for treatment ain't paying for treatment. 
and, and, and some of them that are, they're paying for outpatient and halfway houses. They're not paying for 30-day, 90-day inpatient country club settings. And I don't have a problem in the world with any of that. But what's going to happen is the same thing that happened with some of you old guys that was, were here in the 80s and 90s when we had all of these people coming into treatment when the insurance companies were paying like slot machines. What they would do is they'd bring buses up every night at 6 o'clock and at 8 o'clock to our meetings and they would unload and all of these guys would come into the rooms and here we are. They're coming, right? They ain't getting their sheet signed. They're coming in. They're drinking the coffee. They're looking around. They're looking for the solution. And we didn't have enough people. I'm telling you, in Dallas, Texas, we didn't have enough people there to, to help them carry the message. There was little handfuls of us that were trying hard, hard to do it. It's coming again. You're not going to be able to go to treatment to get well. They're going to have to walk right back into Alcoholics Anonymous, just like I did, just like so many of y'all did. And we got to be there to, to catch them. And we can't do this if we're putting all these parameters on the newcomer about what they can do. My job is to teach you how to chair a meeting so that you can go chair a meeting. My job is to show you how to sponsor so that you can do the same thing and get the results. This, this ridiculousness of you sit on your butt for years and years and years and finally one... Let me read something to you. That's my favorite thing to read I'm going to do this without crying. I promise. Uh, I was at a men's retreat. This guy handed it to me. This one, this young man had uh, been to treatment at a place where I worked, and uh, he's a good kid. You know, he's one of these guys who's been to multiple treatments. He's just he's a rock solid little guy. And he'd catch fire and then he'd sputter out. He'd leave treatment and he just he just would stop. He just blah blah blah. Little little dope things. What he was little dope thing from hell, and uh, and. Uh, He's, he's a little crackhead and a, and a little opiate addict. And he was an alcoholic too. But anyway, he was a little good little guy. He left this little letter. I just need to tell you, he committed suicide. And he left this little letter. He'd, he'd written it before, uh, after coming out of one, one more treatment center. And as I'm reading this thing, it dawns on me. I highlighted. I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's just one little piece that, that always got me. And it, and, it, and, it, and it explained what happened to me. I don't, I don't know if I can do it. It says, I hope to one day make you all proud of me. Maybe someday down the line I can freely give to others that which has been given to me. A little glimmer of hope and the prospect of never having to feel or live this way again. He signed his little name. I hope that one day, down the line, later, I can help you. This is why we die in Alcoholics Anonymous. Bill Wilson understood the foundation stone of our program is working with drunks, not going to a meeting, sponsoring, helping people, digging them out of the ditch, helping them, showing them what to do. Everybody sponsored in early days. Everybody within the first few weeks after they detox, they were working with drunks. But not today. We have to wait. 
because somebody thought it was a better idea. And i got to tell you, someday those people need to start paying the price for their crap and sharing their opinions in meetings that don't have any basis, not any basis at all, in the spiritual program of action that we've committed to. Maybe one day down the line. No, by God, now. You absolutely, I'm sorry to sound like a preacher. I just, I just, I'm winding this down, folks. When we one of these days here soon, we're not going to be speaking from the podiums anymore. I've done this for 20 years. And I just, I, the message has got to get out there. We've got to stop walking on eggshells around this one piece. This, this, this absolutely crazy idea that if I stay sober for a period of time, then I can sponsor somebody. I got to tell you guys, the only way you're going to learn how to sponsor is sponsor. And, and, and you don't have to do it by yourself. This is why we pass cards out. This is why we network. This is why we. This is what we do. You get out there and start working with a drunk, and you get in over your head. Call Curtis; he'll help you out. Man, I don't know. This guy's got some trauma. I don't know what to do, buddy. Let me connect you with her. She knows exactly what to do. Let me connect the dots. We're, this is a fellowship. We're all in this thing together, trying to help one drunk at a time. That's how we're going to change this thing. But we got to we got to push back to some of these people that are spouting this this middle of the road crap. At the group I sobered up in, there was a sign on the top that said, you can't sponsor until you're sober two years. Show me in the book where it says that. Make sense? Are you going to do it perfect? No. Are you going to make mistakes? Absolutely. Guys, this is a train wreck already. (laughs) Bless your heart. It ain't going to do it. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, at least do something to support us and help us. i got to say it and go, you guys, everybody needs to... uh, you know, a lot of you little guys, you, you got to pick up these CDs, you listen to this stuff online. And I, you, you know, I'm, guys, we don't need any more Chris Ramers. We, I, you know, we come across talking like this in the podium. This is what we do. This is if you see me in an AA meeting, I may share out of the book. I may share some of my experience. It's very quiet and very direct and loving way. And I'm not gonna, I'm not preaching from the podium in an AA meeting. Y'all follow? I'm not there to beat anybody up because they misquoted a step or got a page number wrong. That's not. Well, we're not bullies. We're not doing that nonsense. It looks bad. Shame on us for doing that. Make sense? Don't want to do that. But you see, the book says each of us in our own way are going to carry the message. And you see, that's what makes this thing so powerful. People go, Chris, I wish I could carry a message like you. Uh, buddy, we don't need any more Chris Ramers. We got one. We got another Myers. We got another Larry. We got Amanda. She, we, got, we got those bases covered. How about you? How about you? Be who you're supposed to be. You think you think this is all willy-nilly? You think you're in this room by mistake? You think you got sober when you got sober by mistake? You think the person you're sitting next to is... is Guys, I've just seen it too many times. The guy that I couldn't crack in a million years. This nice little lady comes up. You hadn't, she hadn't said three words in ten years. Y- y'all follow? And all of a sudden she slides up next to this guy that can't. And all of a sudden she says something like that. Just in the way she, she approaches this cat. She cracks him like an egg. I wouldn't have handled him that way. It's because she used discernment, just like I use discernment. We pay attention. We wake, we're we awake to what might work. And some people need me in their face. Some people need aggressive people to get. Some people need absolute loving kindness. Some of the people in, that we come across need your intellect. 
They need the fact that you've been to the, to the war and have suffered from PTSD. They need the fact that you were abused as a child. They need the fact that you're broke or eaten off the street. They need the fact that you're living in a half-million-dollar home and have never wanted for anything. They need to know that they're not alone. But I can't share that with them because I've got no experience with that. Does that make sense, folks? There was an old guy at the meeting at the end of the deal, back in the 80s, after a deal, I, I did a little talk, and he looked at me one time. I've talked about it from every podium, and I'll end with it. And he's crying at, at the end of the meeting. He's, I, I thought he was just the moisture on his glasses from washing the coffee pots. And, and he's just like, you know, says, Chris, I just uh, heard you in that meeting. I'm so grateful that you were in there. I just got to tell you, buddy, I says, we, we need you. <laughs> we, buddy, I've been asked a lot. We need you to leave. We need you to quit calling here. <laughs> we need you to. Nobody's ever asked me to. Y'all understand? Now this this old guy, thirty years sober, he's long dead. He, we need you, guys. Every one of you. You can roll your eyes at this. I'm sorry, I got so emotional today. I don't know what it is. Maybe something in the water. It's them damn Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know. Maybe them. we can blame it on the sugar. I, 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 I got to tell you, I see, I see our fellowship, and I see the the, 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 I see the truth. There is no pill coming down the pipe with the pharmaceuticals. There is no new therapeutic treatment for alcoholism and drug addiction. For the real McCoy, there's only one solution. That's the spiritual program of action that was outlined for us 80 years ago. Oh, that's it. Our problems that we see it is that we just don't have enough people in the trench carrying that message. Every old person, black person, gay person, straight person, everybody, young people, tattoos from head, we need you in the trench helping us carry the message. Stop listening to the people that tell you that you can't do that. Only game in town. I walk into a room at the outpost and I'm making coffee and I look around the corner and I see one of my guys in there and I've seen this a hundred times and, and he's got we've got this old concrete floor in there and he's in there and he's got his book open right they're talking I hear him I can hear him talking he didn't see me back there and I'm listening around the corner he says now listen okay we got this third step prayer now right you ready because I brought it up and I can hear him he's talking now remember this obligates you to bear witness to God's power and we're going to read this third step prayer and then we're going to get cranking on this fourth step so where's your highlighter I want to show you something no listen buddy every time we talk you got to bring I, he's eating this guy's ass just like I ate his ass <laughs> Three months ago about the highlighters. Y'all y'all understand the deal, you know? And they're laughing like that. He says, okay, you ready to go? Yeah, yeah. The guy says, yes. And I hear the concrete, and I look around the corner again, and I hear the chairs back up, and they're at a little desk there in the, in the outpost. And he's got his book. He says, buddy, you can read it. You don't have to have it memorized. We're going to do the third step prayer together. Can we hold hands? Okay. All right. You on your knees, and let's go. And we got on our knees like that, and we're holding hands across the table, and he does a little third step prayer. just like I did with him three months ago. I get to see what it's about. The Bill and Dr. Bob on the wall, I get to think, yep, yep. See the lineage? You see where it comes from? These guys got together. People died putting this thing together. People died trying to figure out what would work for alcoholics. And we finally came up with a solution, and now nobody wants to do it. Everybody's too afraid they're going to offend somebody. 
I get to sit there and watch my little guy do a third step prayer with his little guy. You know what I'm saying? It's pretty. They got up and hugged. And I said, y'all ready for some coffee? And they got up there and they got some. God dang, guys, to be a part of that, to, to, to get to participate in somebody else's life. I'll end with it. I'll say it. We spend so much time in meetings talking about the damage we've done. We spend it in treatment until the cows come home. All the harm we did and all this damage. Just think about it for a second. You know, drop that little ring, drop that little water, you know, a little, 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 little pebble in the water, you know, little rings come out like that. Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob get together at that little meeting, that little meeting in, in, in Henrietta Cyberlings Gatehouse, and they got together and there, and the one thing they came at, that, that big six hour long meeting, one thing they came to was one alcoholic by himself couldn't stay sober, but two, together, we could kick ass and take names. And number three, and number four, just think, this room right here, because we're not drinking a day at a time. How many lives have been positively affected? How many companies have been started? How many, how many songs have been written? How, how many fortunes have been made? How many families have been put back together? Simply because we took a stand to do the things we were supposed to do. It ain't easy, and it's scary. You get backed into a corner, you call us. And we're going to encourage you just like you encourage us. Guys, we can't back up. It's the only game in town. I sure appreciate y'all being here. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.